Patricia, my darling Patricia, I can see all my dreams in your eyes. Your smile is as gay as a bright summer day. You're much fairer than Aaron's blue skies. Oh, Patricia, my lovely Patricia, you could make all my dreaming come true. My heart is just drooling, Patricia, no fooling. I'm falling in love with you. Patricia, my darling, Patricia, I can see all my dreams in your eyes. Your smile is as gay as a bright summer day. You're much fairer than Aaron's blue skies. Oh, Patricia, my lovely Patricia, you could make all my dreaming come true. My heart is just drooling, Patricia, no fooling. I'm falling in love with you. Patricia, my lovely Patricia, you could make all my dreaming come true. My heart is just drooling, Patricia, no fooling. I'm falling in love. I'm falling in love. I'm falling in love. It is Saturday night, January the 13th, year 2018. Gosh, Y2K doesn't seem that long ago, but 18 years. <laughs> I was just thinking of something in a different vein the same way. Oh, jeez. Same vein, different item. <laughs> oh, oh, my goodness. I don't is, know. That's adorable. Sounds like me? A, it sounds like a little bit of a cold maybe coming on. I hope not. But Me? That's you. No. Yeah. I refuse. <laughs> and I'm Walden, and we have a call. So, call, you want to hang in for one second? So, Patricia, you want to do anything first before we go to the caller? Yeah. Okay. Hang in, caller. What? Go ahead, my dear. What do you want to do? Oh, I, I can hold anything. Okay. Let me get out my two trivia questions. Patricia has a game that we're going to play. Now, she... She's a little tired tonight, so it's not going to be here. It's not going to be the Patricia Marathon tonight. So <laughs> every call is going to be a little short just because, you know, she's in great demand. So what can I say? So here are my two trivia questions. You know, yesterday, if you listen to the Friday night show, we talked about Gone with the Wind. Two more questions about that. Why was the movie delayed two years before they started filming? And how many 
lady did they interview for the part of Scarlett O'Hara? Hello, Carl. You're on with Patricia. Hello, Patricia. Hi, Paul. There's Hi, Paul. Hi, uh, I'm so glad you're here, no matter how short. Well, Thank I am you. too. You know, she got bigger and better things to do, like going to bed, Never. take a nap. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like take a nap. Right? <laughs> Aren't we bigger and better? Oh. But it's there. So, Paul, how are you how doing, are you? Paul? Pardon me, Patricia. How are you doing? I've been better. My, my my GI system's a bit out of whack, but I'm hanging in there. Good. Have you been listening to old-time radio? I haven't asked you that in probably a year. Uh, yes, I have. I, um, I listen to it quite often. In fact, I listen to it the most. Mm-hmm. Um, when I'm eating, I usually watch something, but... Okay. Let me ask you, if I said, pick a show right now for Walton to play, and he can't do that, but (laughs) this is a rhetorical question. If if I asked you to pick a show for Walton to play tonight, what would it be? Uh, It would be, um, what is it, Speed Gibson, that they're flying around in an airplane and find a major bad guy? Yeah. The octopus. Yeah, and snipping the Himalayas at one point. Uh huh. You know who you know who plays his sidekick? Um, Clyde, uh, was it Clyde? His you know his guardian. Do you recognize who that voice is? The one that plays his Speed Gibson guardian. Well, I'm I'm gonna I don't know the name, but I'm gonna. I'm just going to guess on the only person I can think of in there uh, with a voice that I recognize uh-huh. for is uh, the bartender in um, uh, crime. Oh, in uh, Casey Crime Photographer? Yes. Yeah, he's, he's in the show. You know, I didn't think about that, but um, I'm thinking of the guy. I think I think he's the one who plays um, – Barney, or, or, or the, the sidekick, you know, the the, uh, the second-in-command. Mm-hmm. But I'm thinking of Speed Guardian, the guy, the head guy. No, I don't. Yeah, I haven't heard this. It's I know, I know, but I'm just... Years. It, Patricia, you want to take a quick guess before I give it I'll out? I'll take a shot at Gail Gordon because he did he did um, Flash Gordon. It It's Doc from Gunsmoke. Howard McNeil. Really? Howard McNeil. I played the Guardian Dude. on that. Oh. Yeah. How about that? I listened to that show pretty much through whatever is available, and it's been maybe two years. I can't even conjure the voice in my head. I, one of the first shows I listened to in the 70s, and it, not everything was available, so I only got up at the first 50 or 60 storylines, so I've never finished the whole story. You know, I've read titles that I guess he's still chasing after the octopus. <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah. How many total never, shows he, do you think there are? Oh, I think... I think there's over 200. But there, uh-huh. when, when I was collecting it, there were some uh, gaps in it. I, I would have to go back, or maybe somebody would look it up for us. Do all of them exist now? I'm, I don't know. Um, 
Well, Dana always drove me nuts as a kid when I first heard with the uh, film music. It seemed like it lasted forever. You know, the the, the music at mm-hmm. the beginning and at the end. Yeah. I just remember liking that a lot. I think it's a great story. And it came out early in 1937 or 36. It was an early story. Wow. How did Speed Gibson get orphaned? Did we ever find out? I don't think we ever knew. We never knew. I don't, if, if so, I don't remember it. Hmm. Remember he was 14. I, I, I remember that. Yeah. And I don't think we even know who the, who the actor who played Speed. Maybe maybe yeah. we do now. Fourteen must be the magic number. That was the Lone Ranger's <laughs> nephew's <laughs> name, Dan Reed. He was fourteen. Oh. Well, orphaned. I think Little Beaver was younger. He seemed like a Red Rider. Oh yeah, he seemed very young. I would put him. I don't know. Did they ever specify what his age is? No. I I would put him at about ten years old. Did you go higher? Yeah, that seems that's about right. That's about right. Last night we played a Fibber McGee and Molly. Patricia t- tied into a Gone with the Wind theme mm-hmm. because you know, Fibber and Molly went to see the premiere of Gone with the Wind. Uh-huh. And, Good. And I, and I found out, Teeny appeared at it, and we found out what her dad's occupation was in that broadcast. Oh, I know. <laughs> I'll have to think for a while. Uh-huh. Oh. oh, no, I'll I'll think during the show. No problem. Well, you can somebody, somebody will have to call in to help me. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'll tell you. Okay. He's the manager at the movie theater. That's right. <gasps> Paul, good on you. And you remember why Teeny, Teeny went home by herself? Yes, uh, because her dad was afraid that uh, he... He had $1,000 uh, from the tickets. He was afraid that he was going to get robbed. And so uh sent her home alone. And What's the money? I w- she had the money. <laughs> <laughs> Bibber McGee and Molly took her home. <laughs> and they did not know. They wanted to know why she was staying out late for the movie. And that's what they found at I- the end. I don't think I ever heard that show. It's January. Possible, I must have. It's January ninth, nineteen forty. Patricia, you might want to get a kick out well, of that show. Yeah. That that was the first time I've ever heard it. I I, I totally have forgotten the whole storyline until we played it last night. I just I remember they were involved with the movie Gone with the Wind that, and I wanted to tie it to the interview that we did, but I I forgot the rest of the storyline until we played it last night. Uh, I thought that was really funny when um, Boomer Boomer's way of escaping, <laughs> not having a ticket. Yes. <laughs> Did you recognize who was asking him? I think I recognized the voice who the usher who was asking him for a ticket. Pardon me. I think I recognized the person who was asking Boomer for a ticket. Who? I think I think that's Hal Perry. Hal Perry sometimes had a hot upper range that he used as a character actor, especially when and he he po- did all of those bits and pieces along the way. Right. So I think Gosh, he was an eye doctor and a yeah <laughs> everything. So people, next time you want to pull that show out, January ninth, nineteen. See if you agree with me, but I think that's Hal Perry. 
Oh, interesting. I won't listen to it. Yeah. Yeah, interesting. That should be a but fun one. Did, did I hear somebody saying something about you in a refrigerator last night? Yes. And that's, that's, uh, that's going to be a, a game that we're going to play in a little while. But yes, Bill, Bill and Kim sent Patricia a refrigerator. Isn't that cool? Or one of those little dorm ones like I was talking about? Exactly. And it's got a lot of space. I was surprised. It's got a lot of space in there. So Good. I'm glad you finally are able to have one there. Then. Yeah. Me too. <laughs> Because when because when I suggested it, you didn't you didn't. Uh, I didn't think they would let me have one. Well, you know what? I'll I'll share a little story out. Kim called the the place ahead of time just to double check. I know that. Isn't that that's and really thoughtful of Kim to do that. She she. Makes I think so too. She talked to the wrong people, but that was great <laughs> because they said yes. <laughs> the other one would have said no. <laughs> Too late now. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> yes, I, I knew she had done that yeah. because one of the nurses came in with my medications when, uh, the night I got it. And I said, look, I've got a new refrigerator. She said, I know it. <laughs> so she said, I was here when they called. <laughs> so she, my nurse was the one who, uh, oh. who said it was okay. Good thing, you have, good thing you have friends in high places, Patricia. Exactly, or in the right places. <laughs> Not necessarily high, but certainly in the right places. So... So that was, yeah, I thought that was really cool of Kim to do that. Yeah. There I am. And the, the question tonight, Paul, and you have to put on your thinking cap after you leave. The question is, Walden, go. Patricia went to Walmart today. What did she buy for her refrigerator? Ice cube trays. Ice cube trays, if, if, if Paul, suggestion. Patricia? I will write that I will write that down. Okay, we'll put those down. We'll make a list and then Patricia can yeah. review the okay. list after the sh after everybody's ice cube, ice cube tray is Paul's. Okay. Okay, Paul, we're gonna scoot because we are expecting yep. some calls if they don't come. <laughs> it, I can't yeah. call that but because um, I'm only gonna be here a little while yeah. tonight. Thank you, Paul. Now, now now realize this, you can put a microwave right under that because it's it's just going up. You wouldn't be using necessarily any more real estate. <laughs> <laughs> I, would, I know I could I could put it on top, except we're not allowed to have them. That's for sure. Yeah. Oh, okay. Oh. Unless maybe somebody called in and talked to the correct man. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody has a microwave here. <laughs> no. Okay. All right. Well, Thank you. Uh, great enjoyment uh, with your refrigerator. Thank you. Yeah. All the all the kind of things that you need. Yes. Mm-hmm. Keep Patricia wealthy, healthy, and wise. We'll yeah. Yes. Okay. All right, Paul. Thank you. you. I love you. Same here. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Back to the game, everybody. What did Patricia get for her refrigerator? Now, hopefully the refrigerator will share it with Patricia, but what did Patricia get for her refrigerator today? What do you think, Walden? Well, I'm going to play it you safe. I'm going to play it safe. I'm going to play something <laughs> that you wouldn't stick in time to the refrigerator, but I think you put it on top. Uh, paper towels. Well, we're, we're talking. I'll, I'll put down paper towels for you. Okay. Um, and I'll give you one try at inside the refrigerator. Inside the refrigerator. I'm gonna ga I'm gonna gamble on this one. Yeah. Milk. 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 Okay. Okay. I got milk. Okay. Okay. 
All right. 714-545-2071. Call in and tell Patricia what she bought at the store today for her refrigerator. Isn't that adorable? I found something the other night. I, could, I couldn't wait to tell you. Mm-hmm. Last night, I think I found it. Mm-hmm. I, was, I was on the Internet doing something, mm-hmm. and an obituary, or, or Clifton Fadiman's name was in the article I was reading. And I thought, oh, you know, he lived on Sanibel. So I looked at his obituary, and yes, he died when he was on Sanibel, and his son, Kim, lived on Sanibel also. Whoa, says me. So I went hunting for uh, Kim Fadiman. Okay. And I found one in Wyoming who used to live on Sanibel. So I also found a phone number, and I'm going to call him tomorrow and see if we can have him um, as a guest. Clifton Fadiman, of course, was the host of Information, Please, and was he was one of the smartest people on the planet at that time. He had, oh gosh, it, it was it was just so wonderful, the things that were said about him and uh, regarding his work. He, he was just remarkable, and I even wrote a little bit of it down. So having, let's see. Well, well okay, you know, maybe we can come up with an address for him in Wyoming. There's only 400,000 people that live in Wyoming. We can always write to him, too. So I have. I have a name and an address and a phone number. Okay. Woo-hoo-hoo. Wow. So I'll, I will try tomorrow. Okay. Um, that will be awesome. Oh, wouldn't that be super if we could do that? And I have to make sure I present myself in such a way <laughs> that he doesn't think I'm a traveling salesman or something. <laughs> so um, I, can I give you a couple of the, the things that were said in Absolutely. The, the article in the obituary? Absolutely. That as the years passed, his influence over Americans' reading habits waned. Americans seemed less interested in the great works of classical literature that he loved and more attractive to certain of the newer novels in which he said, this was a quote, Mm -hmm. the sex scene is mandatory about every 40 pages. He thought writers went too far, and this is also a quote, nothing was left for the poor guy or woman to work on actively in the bedroom. (laughs) It's better to (laughs) just... <laughs> There's the last one. It's better to discover those things for yourself, and I have found that out. <laughs> <laughs> what a sense of humor! What a sense of humor! I got mission to. Okay, go ahead. Go ahead. Go, stay there, call. I got Patricia gonna finish up. No, that's it. okay. I I can go back to this. Uh, well, one thing uh, I, I need to mention two passings. Uh, I just found mm-hmm. out. Uh, Jim, we told us yesterday we lost Hilly Rose, one of the well-known talk show hosts throughout America, especially on the West Coast. And uh, who was that? Hilly Rose. Hilly Rose. He was a well-known uh, okay. talk show. And then this morning I found out we lost the famous sports broadcaster, Keith Jackson. Keith Jackson, of course, was the voice of college football for almost 50 years, and he passed mm. away at age 89. So, oh, my. Yeah. Hello there, Carl. You're on with Patricia. Well, hello, the two of you. Hello, Celeste. Well, hello, Celeste. What did I buy from my refrigerator? Patricia, you sound ev- better every week. Every oh, week, you're getting stronger and stronger. You are so good to me, Celeste. Just keep yeah. that up, okay? <laughs> <laughs> this is good. Okay, what's in my refrigerator that I bought today? You get one guess. All right, I'm going to guess. I forget what kind you like. 
I like Flashman's, but the butter, the creamy butter you like, or butter spread. Uh, you like? Okay, so I like margarine. Okay. Uh-huh. Did you buy that? Okay. I'm, I'm, I'm keeping a list here, and I'll announce who, who got anything at, <laughs> at the end of the show. The one that wrote them a letter because I think they went up on their price or something, and it's the same one you'd always gotten. I don't remember which one it was that you liked. Oh, it was. It used to be. I can't believe it's not butter. Yes. And they changed. They changed the formula to pure to pure grease. <laughs> and I got sick before I found a decent decent substitute. So. You did. Yeah. yeah. I, I remember she remember they she wrote and complained about the oh, product, yeah. and they sent her they sent her coupon. Yeah. They sent me a coupon for it. <laughs> I said, it's, I said, it's terrible, and I'm not going to buy it anymore. And they said, oh, but it's got all of these great ingredients. Here's a coupon. <laughs> no. We'll know when the real Patricia's back, when she gets out that computer and writes a nasty letter to the television. It's just pointed. It's not nasty. It's just well-defined. And, and you know, Swartz, you know how our Patricia does she starts from the top. She she writes from the top down. I mean, she you know she makes sure the whole company knows about it when she's not. And gets out. copies yeah. to every key person, so it can't you be passed off. Letter writing jag about that butter. I remember that. <laughs> <laughs> that, that was so silly. It was one that goes down with my daylight savings time and Congressman Goss. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Sent me a whole package of the history of daylight savings time, and what I had asked was, why do we still have it? <laughs> and I got it must have been four pounds. I mean, that thing that thing was a ton of paper that his staff put together. And I guess they saw daylight savings time and just shoved everything into an envelope with my name on it. <laughs> unbelievable, unbelievable. Made a good article though. I got an article yeah. out of that one. Well, now remember, sometime you can try the Flashman one, the one I use, which I think is real good. Okay. Anyway, there was one more thing I was going to... Now, uh, did you buy any canned goods? Um, not allowed to say, but that, uh, this is what's in the refrigerator, so canned goods wouldn't go in the refrigerator. It will, okay, just in the refrigerator, because yeah. I always... But the answer is no, I didn't buy any canned goods. <laughs> I have to be careful now, because I... I can't run the uh, uh, electric opener the way I used to, so now I insist that all my cans have that little self opener. You know. Yeah. Oh I, yeah, the pop yeah. tops. Yeah. I, I I did not know that was the really the thing because I went out and got some canned soup here a couple months and a lot of the soup I bought all have that I self. Almost all the soup has gone to that opener. Yeah, I was really surprised. Yeah. I was really surprised. Wonderful, they're convenient. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, let's see. Now, we've done better. We've done, uh, what else have I said there? You didn't get soup because you don't have a stove. Let me see. Did you get any bread-like things like bagels or uh, oh, um, bread just to put spread on or anything? Did you buy bread? You were only allowed one guess, but the answer is no, I didn't buy bread. We do have bread here. This might be a little bit backward institution, but we do have bread. 
Alright, so if you want to take a shot at my two questions, because you are a movie historian. Okay, what? First of all, why did they wait two years before they started filming Gone with the Wind? Uh, first of all, Selznick couldn't raise the money. That's a good point. Yes, he could not raise the money, and his father-in-law wasn't going to help him. They were on the out. Right. So his father-in-law was Louis B. Mayer, and they, they argued constantly. Um, let's see, they couldn't raise the money. And he couldn't find a star he really liked. Um, I'm just trying oh, to... Oh, you're think. good. Mm-hmm. Uh, he couldn't find a star he really liked. And in the meantime, he had all this property set up there, uh, old uh, things that they had used in other movies. And he had started with the burning of Atlanta right. by the time he got Vivian Lee as his star. So... So, uh, my second question, how many people did he interview for the role of Scar um, over here? Um, uh, oh, I'll say, I'll take eight, maybe. More. Maybe more. More. Eight or ten, maybe. More. Not close. You're not close. Oh, my, 24. Yeah, keep going, Celeste. <laughs> oh dear, because I've seen those things on uh, with Ka- even Catherine Hepburn and all. Yep. I think they all tried out that role, you know. Well, it, for the people who was asking about the money part, it, the film cost three point eight million dollars right. in nineteen thirty nine, and it grossed three hundred million dollars. Everybody. Uh, it's the best. Wow. It's the best ratio ever for any film in terms of, you know, growth versus expenses ever uh-huh. in movie history. And you know, the original, the 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 last cut was four hours. You know how much the, the original, what was on the drawing board for how long they were gonna film the movie? What would both be the original amount? Four hours was left. Is that is that what showed in the movie theaters? I know it was long. Yeah, with four hours in the movie theater. What was the original? Four hours of what the, was the original. I think they probably wanted six hours. That was that that was a compromise. Six hours was. Yeah, they wanted eight. They wanted ten, they, the original plan was ten. Ten hours. Ten hours. In one sitting. <laughs> the children and their diapers to the theater. <laughs> Gee, they'd be having their babies in the aisles. <laughs> they had to sit there so long. That's amazing. So they compromised on the set, and they wound up getting some editors to get it down to four. Now, decide on Vivian Lee. I think that was Selznick. But uh, I think it was actually Selznick's wife who was really the big, if I, if I, I remember, it's been a long time since I've read the story behind that. No, 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 no. No, no. Bing, 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 bing. No, no. (laughs) (laughs) Tell me how much money they spent, Walden, um, making the movie. $3.8 million. No, that's what I thought you said. Okay. Okay, now, uh, uh, Laurence Olivier Mm -hmm. was uh, here because Hitchcock was starring him in a movie named Rebecca. Right. And he brought his girlfriend, this is before they got married, 
Vivian Lee. Right. And Selznick's brother was a, um, oh, what do you call him, a manager or a, An agent no, or something. An stars. And he walked up to his brother, and Vivian Lee wanted to be there because she wanted to be near Lawrence Olivier. And he said, here's your scarlet. And he turned around and he said, you're right. It just, he just hired her on the spot after he'd gone through all those other movie stars. But that's my question. How many did he interview? Okay. So I guess you gave him a 24. I'll let you give three more chances to watch, and after that I'll keep it. Oh, let's see. 24, let me see. Let's mm. see. <laughs> 45. That's one. You got two more to go. Oh, dear. <laughs> Don't think it went as high as 50. It might have. You got one more to go. <laughs> oh, God. Well, let's go down one. How about 48? Okay. That's So I can tell everybody the next car is more than 50. So that's, that's where we are at the moment. More than 50, yes. okay. All right. Well, I'm glad you're, sound, you're sounding good, Patricia. No teasing. Thank you. Good. You do. Yeah, she does. Send you a little. Do you have a hot plate to cook on? Will they let you oh. have that? No, no, they won't let us have anything like that. In fact, well, I just told Walden and our family a little bit ago, probably while you were di dialing, that it, Walden said Kim had called to make sure I could have one here. <laughs> I later found out that she spoke to the wrong people who gave the right answer. <laughs> oh, okay. I came in on the end of that. Okay. Yeah. 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 Uh, she said Kim spoke one to the wrong people who gave her the right answer because if she had spoken to the right person, she would have gotten a bad answer. <laughs> so, <laughs> so it it was here and hooked up, so she couldn't do very much about it. <laughs> well, and after all, there have been a national worldwide protest. Oh, I forgot about that. Oh, sure. Yeah. Oh, yeah. There oh, send a letter to. Yeah. <laughs> send you the cards and letters, folks. <laughs> no, I got it, and it's hooked up, and it's got stuff in there. So later, I will tell everybody what's in there. Perfect. And whether or not anybody guessed the right stuff. I'm going to guess some already made jello. Can I do that? Sure, we'll put it on the list. <laughs> put it on the list. <laughs> jello. It's already made, you know. Yeah. And, yeah, my brother, uh, my dad has liked this one that it doesn't require any refrigerating any, or anything. You just buy it, and it's already mm -hmm. done, and they just, you know, pull the tab off of it. Yeah, I like that too. It's pretty good. Yeah, it's pretty good. It is pretty good. Well, let me let somebody else. All right, Celeste. Take care. Patricia Walden, it's good to talk to you. And I appreciate you that. Next week. Thanks, Celeste. We'll talk to you Thanks, soon. Thanks, Celeste. Good night. Good night. Bye. All right, family. Okay, your $3.8 million yeah. today is worth anywhere between $52.7 million and $750 million. That's quite a difference. <laughs> <laughs> quite a difference. But um, it looks like uh, value of commodity, 137 moves up. About $190 million. Mm. Does that sound right? Yeah, that sounds about right. Yeah. 
714-545-2071. Why did it take two years? Why did Celtic wait two years besides the money? And how many The weather? Did the weather have anything to do with it? No, he was waiting for a particular person to show up. Oh. And. Oh, you already told me that. Yeah, I know. But oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> and, so. and, and how many how many how many people did he how many ladies did he interview for for the role of Scarlet? So, and Celeste says it's fifty, and it's more than fifty. I told Patricia whatever she came up with, she was going to be low. So she's already guessed. And she was. And she was low. 714-545-2071. Hurry up. Patricia's not going to be here very much longer because she has places to go, things to do, and to catch 40 winks. And he's going to throw me out, everybody. (laughs) (laughs) He's trying to get rid of me. I resent this. I know. I protest. I know. I know. I protest. I protest. We we have a couple of things coming up. I know Jim Taylor is anxious to talk to you to set up a date when you two can work on the, your get-together of a book review on a, on a book together. And we have a return engagement. Our friend Cynthia Myers will come back on February the 17th. And... That will make Patricia's feet really happy because Patricia loves... That will make me very happy. Cynthia is the person who was... She was with us one time before. She wrote a very comprehensive book about advertising in old-time radio, how it came about, the agencies placing uh, the ads, how they went ahead and did it, and it, it was just a fascinating interview. We've got a million more questions for her. So she will be back. Yeah. I'm I'm really hot into the advertising areas <laughs> that she touched on, and she's also going to talk with us about Frank and Ann Hummer. Right. She said, "Boy, do I have stories <laughs> about them. They were an unusual couple, married, and came up with I think at the what I counted all that I'm pretty sure of this number, 125 different radio shows. Yeah, they I wrote. think Jim Cox is 130. I think you're you're, you're definitely in the ballpark. In that. They, I'm in the ballpark. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And Mr. Keene, Tracer of Lost Persons, was one of them, and yeah. Bulldog Drummond was one of them. They did not necessarily write all the scripts, but they set the template for each one of them. They wrote the original shows and set the template, but boy, were they miserable to work with. <laughs> so, so Cynthia is going to tell us uh, about uh, the experience that she unearthed for us in that particular couple and the shows that they wrote for, or wrote, not wrote for, but they wrote and created. I guess created would be the better word. Yep, this will be the third visit that Cynthia's been with us, and she was with John Roy one at a time. So we uh-huh. love we love having Cynthia Myers because she just loves to talk about this stuff. Yeah, and, and she's enthusiastic oh, about being yeah. with us. It's not, oh, okay, I'll do it. <laughs> <laughs> she's like, yeah, sure, would love it. I think, I think so one, will of the thing, we. one of the things that makes her excited because she feels she, she doesn't have to start ground zero. With that, so she got a ah yes a ready made yes. audience. I think she, did she mention that or did you mention that? She mentioned one that time, the she, first time. She mentioned. She that. mentioned it. Oh yeah, she just loved. And we had a working knowledge of uh-huh. the, the 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 era yep. and the material that she was talking about, and but she was giving us all brand new, fresh information. Yep. We at least knew where it was going and what the shows were and stuff so like that. There. The last time we had her on, I learned something new that I had never ever. 
it was the networks themselves that wanted to ban tobacco advertising. They were the one that lobbied Congress, and she's pointed great detail why that was. And that was a backstory I never knew uh, until she she brought it to us, our, our attention, the last time she was on the air with us. Yeah. Hello there, your honor, Patricia. Patricia? Patricia! Yes. I thought it was It is I. It is I. Is this the birthday boy? It might be. Happy birthday, Dan. Thank you. Appreciate it. I, it was I wasn't. I thought that was Betty Furness talking about her refrigerators. <laughs> <laughs> the door didn't get stuck. Her door got stuck. <laughs> Do you remember hearing about that or seeing it up on YouTube? Betty Furness what? used to. I, I, oh gosh, it wasn't Hot Point. Was it Kelvinator? She advertised for. In any event, it was one of these pull dealies that did not have a handle like some of the older models did. It was a pullout just similar to what we have today, and it wouldn't open. And she kept tugging it and tugging it and, and talking about the refrigerator and how wonderful it was. And it just it didn't open. So it might be fun to look that up on eBay, uh, not eBay, um, YouTube to see whether or not it's up there, but uh, it was a hoot. I bet it was. I bet it was. Yes. I remember um, her no. more. I remember her more for her reports on the Today Show. Oh. I didn't even know she was on the Today Show. Oh, shame on me. <laughs> I did not know. It was, I, I, just, I, I just knew about the reputation with the refrigerator. Yes, yeah, she was, and I'm not sure offhand which brand she was uh, advertising for it. Uh-huh. I want to say, I want to say Hot Point, but that could be completely wrong. That's, well, that, yeah. that one went through my head. Hot Point or Frigidaire? What do you think? Yes. Hot Point. Okay, we'll go for Hot Point. Yes. When I'll we see if I can find it. When we went shopping for a refrigerator, I didn't see those two brands around, but I was only in Kmart and Sears when, it, we, when I was looking yeah. for timber, so... Yeah. And you oh, well. in the mana? Yeah, we bought it at mana because Sears is no longer selling it. And so they, they, they knocked half price off of mana. So that's what we got for our house uh, a week ago. So so my mom is so happy she has a refrigerator. It makes Amana used to be a good brand, but you know that that could have changed, but well, you know don't don't tell my mom and dad it's not a good brand. They're going to break their heart. <laughs> I don't want my mom. I don't want my mom have a forlorn look on her face to see if she has any problems, Dan. So, well, uh, well a, a Japanese. I'm sorry. A Chinese company bought GE here. They're going to build them here, but the company is higher out of uh, China. They. In fact, that might be the brand of uh, Patricia's refrigerator. Well, maybe. H, H I H A I R E higher. I don't know, but Kim Kim bought igloo. A, Kim bought Patricia two year warranty for her refrigerator, so anything goes wrong. Igloo. 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 Ah. Is it white and foamy? No, it's black and classy. Wow! How about yeah? That? Yeah. Now, now, you you want 
guesses on what you bought. Yes. The, yes, and you only get for the refrigerator, and you only get one guess. What did I buy for the refrigerator? Well, I have two answers. Is it inside or outside? Oh, inside. Silly you. <laughs> well, I mean, you're going to put decals or something on it? Well, magnets or something. Refrigerator no. magnets. That's possible. No, you can't. No, inside the fridge. I went shopping today. Okay. Um, since you're such a lovely uh, lover of coffee, I'm thinking maybe a creamer. Okay, I'm keeping track of all the answers, and I will go through them later. <laughs> Dan got, Dan has a creamer. Paul says ice cube trays. No. Walden says paper towels for the outside. I was thinking of ice cube trays, trays when he said ice cube trays. Mm -hmm. yeah. Oh. So. All right, so I'm sorry, that's already taken, sir. And okay, any, anybody who want to guess, just email Patricia at floridawriter at hotmail.com after the show, and she can confirm, just in case she you... can even you, do it now. You know, that's right. She, Patricia has her email inbox open 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And you better stay awake, because we're giving Patricia an inferiority complex. <laughs> this is true. <laughs> this is true. I told... Dan in an email that he keeps falling asleep. I'm starting to get an inferiority complex. Did you get my reply? Here it is. I just looked. You may be complex, but never inferior. Thank you. <laughs> I told my doctor one time I was delicate. He said, you're a lot of things, but delicate isn't one of them. <laughs> he says I'm the toughest patient he has, which is nice. So, Dan, anyhow, did, did, yes, did you do it. anything special for your birthday today? Did you each go get or have lunch somewhere or, or something like that? I, uh, I had a birthday. I've, I had, I've had two birthday presents, oh. uh, two snow days back to back. I didn't have to work. <laughs> really? Good for you. And I'm hoping for a third. <laughs> you think you can stretch it? Well, it's 15 degrees right now, and uh, <laughs> we're not nowhere near close to morning, so it's going to be pretty cold. But I don't uh, see what happened. We we had snow and sleet and freezing rain and uh, just a lot of winter weather. Uh, so did did Dan do either do some stuff around the house, or did he take a did he take a bear nap and scrub and hibernated for the last two days? I actually watched a couple movies this morning, and then I went over and saw my brother and uh -huh. had and hung out with my sister-in-law and one of their grandkids. And, wow. and uh, then I went out on the town. I, I was late getting tuned in. I, luckily, I had the uh, tune-in radio app on my phone. I caught you, but I went to uh, Denny's and had a, a Grand Slam. You know, you get one of those free. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Did you have to I got a, your birthday? Did you have yeah. to show them something like your driver's license? Uh, no, I just said, you know, it's my birthday, and they said, oh. Wow. So. So what, what so. comes with the glam? I, I, my dad came in this morning. I'll, I'll share a secret. My dad came in at 2.20 in the morning, and he was wide awake, so he and I went to IHOP for breakfast this morning. Oh, boy. <laughs> okay. <laughs> no wonder you're all messed up in your sleep. <laughs> Gee whiz. 
breakfast at 2 o'clock in the morning. I'm the only one who should do that. <laughs> well, you know, she was nearby. I wish I called you up and said, let's go, Patricia. That's true. You that's know? true. I'm, I would have been with you. So, mm-hmm. so Dan, what, what's, what's the Graham? It's been such a long time since I've seen the Graham Swam breakfast on Daddy's menu. What's, what's in the Graham Swam choices? They have... They they have it now where you can pick uh, four items from a list okay. of probably oh. twelve. Okay. And uh, I I had um, the, the bacon, two slices of bacon, mm-hmm. uh, two pancakes, mm-hmm. two eggs, and hash browns. Oh. But I think they they have turkey bacon and they have sausage links and they have you know many different items that you can. I suppose you could. You could take two of one item as part of your four. So you would have um, two orders of eggs plus hash browns plus bacon, uh-huh. maybe. I bet you could. you could. You could double up on the orders. Yeah. I want four eggs, yeah. please. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Not you want scrambled. Okay. No scrambled okay. eggs. So you want one soft boiled, you have one. Over easy? How, how you oh, want no. I want four of them over medium so there's still goo in there and I can mix it up with my hash browns. Okay, so, okay, hash brown, four eggs. What else, Patricia? What else? Did you get, what I don't want pancakes. You don't want bacon. I, I would like bacon. Bacon? Maybe a double order of bacon. So, two bacon. Mm-hmm. Oh, I can't do that. Huh, one bacon, <laughs> one hash brown, and four eggs. Yeah. And the address is. <laughs> is it twenty twenty seven Duke's Place, Costa Mesa, Arizona, uh, Costa Mesa, California? Yeah, two by. Oh, they, they'd, they'd be kind of messed up by them. Two five two seven Duke Place, Costa Mesa, California nine two six six two six. Don't crack the egg. <laughs> <laughs> I have a I have a feeling I should send just some peeps and pretend it was full carton eggs. <laughs> <laughs> Very good. Very good. Don't put them in the microwave. <laughs> All right, Dan. Did you ever see the movie Gone with the Wind? Ever? Have I? Mm-hmm. That used to be a staple that would be shown on uh, CBS on Friday night. That's true. Knocking my knocking my Dukes of Hazard off the air for a week. Uh oh. Oh my goodness. Your good. Dukes of Hazard? Yep. You're kidding me. Never mind. I'm, you? I'm on, no, no. no don't, <laughs> don't even answer that. I should not have said it. So. We had to support. Dukes of Hazard? Support our home. We had to support our hometown hero. Yeah. Okay. If you say so. It's okay, so Walden, Walden has. I want to know Walden how. has to ask you. Well, um, yeah, go ahead. How, why did they wait two years to film the movie? And how many people did it? How many ladies did they interview for the role of Scarlett O'Hara? Uh, I. I'll give you. I'll give you five guesses on the on the total. I'm gonna say 100. That's one. Two, four to go. Say say what again? Now. One down. Four more to go. You get five guesses on this. You get five. Okay. Now, these are the number of ladies uh, interviewed for Scarlett O'Hara? Correct. Auditioned, yeah. Okay. Audition, Uh uh-huh. And uh, 100 is too low. Correct. Okay. Um, Gosh, I thought thought I'd read at one point it was 100. Uh, But 
Apparently not. At one point it was, but they kept going. <laughs> uh, let's go ahead and just say uh, 200. Two down, three to go. So higher than 200? Yes. Okay. Uh, what kind of time period were these interviews? Well, the movie was 1939, the book was 36, so they probably did it in three years. Three years, okay. Well, let's just jump ahead and say 500. Three down, two to go. Higher than 500? Yes. Okay. Um, let's go to 1,000. Four down, one more to go. And higher than 1,000? Yes. Okay. Um, 2,500. You're too high. I'd <laughs> <laughs> still be talking to them. <laughs> Well, we had to get a we had to get a floor and a ceiling here, you know. <laughs> <laughs> this is true. This is true. And it's not why, 2,500. And why did they wait two years before they started filming the movie? Besides raising the money. Hmm. Uh, probably they need to build the set. <laughs> that's a good answer, right? but I don't. That's not what I read. So it sounds very logical. Uh, I mean, it was very large, wasn't it? It was, it was on a. Uh, what was it was it was it at four was it at forty acres? No, it was done out here in Hollywood. You know the all the all the, the sceneries. You know. I thought they called. I thought spot back there forty acres. Something like that. Yeah. Mhm. Mm what wasn't it on the same set as the Andy Griffith? What right. became right. the show? Right. Yeah. Uh huh. Right. Yeah. So. Well. It's been interesting, but I don't know if you've got anything right. <laughs> <laughs> it's been interesting, but you don't know if you've gotten anything so right. Well, you didn't get you didn't get Walden's answer. So, what time do you find out if you have to go to work? I mean, do, are they are they cut off? How do they determine there's no there's no library day for Dan? Well, school was called off uh, in, in anticipation of uh, the snow coming in Friday. They called that off, I think. Uh, Thursday afternoon, but then this morning they didn't call. Uh, they didn't close school till uh, ten minutes of six. I was almost ready to go out and start warming up the car. <laughs> so they're not going to open on Sunday, are they, Dan? What do you mean? We're always open on Sunday. We're, we're, I, I normally get only like three weekends off: Derby. And um, Christmas, right. New Year's. Yeah, but they're not going to start a whole new school cycle on a Sunday, are they? Well, we're, we were open last weekend. Okay, you're such a doubting Daniel. Well, I'm just trying to get you another <laughs> day off. <laughs> I'm, just, I'm trying to support you, Dan. I'm trying to get you one more day off. Well... Let's be realistic. It's your birthday weekend. Yeah, how about that? <laughs> <laughs> I got two more words. Who cares? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, but I don't know. It's uh, been uh, very cold. Going, uh, just had a Wednesday morning. What's starting to lose you, Dan? Your phone is starting to go, going to go out of space on us for some reason. He's gone. 
Well, thank you for calling in, Dan. If you're still hearing us, we can't hear you, and maybe we'll talk to you next week. 714-545-2071. Now, let me tell you the rest about Clifton Fadiman here, because I thought it was just great. Um, he loved to encourage young people to read, and he actually started a young person's, let's see, for two different age groups, reading material for two different age groups. He told people that books are not dinner rolls to be devoured only when they are fresh. He wanted them to read the classics, and I thought that was that was pretty cool. Mm -hmm. He read an 80, at 80 pages an hour, which is pretty darn fast, yeah. and he consolidated 200 years of the Encyclopedia Britannica into a 700-page volume. That's remarkable. Wow. Am I still with you? Yeah, I, I'm just trying to think what was his intellect. I mean, his... his I, I, it didn't have anything about his IQ. He was considered the mo one of the most intelligent people at his time. And he didn't, let's see, mandatory reported on, we got that. Mm, 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 mm. So, no, I didn't, I didn't copy out anything more interesting. You know, Dan, um, Dan, mm -hmm. Dan Paul, um producer, he really worked hard. He, he knew who he wanted for that show, and I don't think he mm -hmm. would have been happy with anybody's yeah, He choice. started out with a dud. Yes. There was, there was a, a real dud. I can't remember. It was like a college, was a, a it was college a, a professor. professor. Yeah. Uh-huh. And it, it just bombed. <laughs> it had no personality at all. Who's there? Hello there. You're on here. Hi. This is Barbara. Hello, Hello. Barbara. Oh, what did I get for my refrigerator? You what? Did I tell you what I got for my refrigerator? Yes, you did. Oh, then you can't play. Boy. I'm sorry. She can play my we're, game. We're well, she'll play my we're, game. We're playing, yeah, play Walden's game. We're playing Guess What Patricia Has in Her Refrigerator Now. Oh. oh. But you already know. Don't don't I, tell. You can't tell. Don't, don't tell. You, you, you are disqualified. I was just going to say I can't play because I already know. Okay. That's right. Okay. So you can play my games. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Barbara, how many, how many people, how many ladies tried out for the role of Scarlett O'Hara? Try out for what? Scarlett O'Hara. Oh, Scarlett O'Hara? Yeah, in uh -huh. Gone with the Wind. I would say two. Yellow. No? More. No. Go many, up. many more. Many, many, many more. Oh, okay. Um, 50? Keep going. Many more. 100? Keep going, Barbara. Oh, my goodness. You're kidding. That's three. You've got three guesses. you got two more to go. Okay, 300. Keep going. 500. Keep going. 1,000. Keep That's going. No, now, now, wait a minute, wait a minute. She only got, she's up to six tries okay, now. Okay, well. but I'm bubbles. <laughs> <laughs> Very good. Doesn't matter. And my other question is for Barbara. They delayed the movie for two years. Why? Uh, say that again. They delayed the filming of the movie by two years. Why? Oh, I have no idea. Okay. Well, it I wasn't the weather. Okay. I tried that one. Okay, I guess we're gonna send we're gonna send Barbara we're gonna send Barbara to movie school or something. Okay, Walden, can you turn both of you down just a 
Of course I can. All right, we can do that. Yep. <laughs> okay, is that better? I guess she went down too far. I think her phone is starting to. Sh I think it's her phone. Yeah. You want to turn us back up where we were? Yeah. Hold on, Barbara. I think it's your. I think it's your phone, Barbara. She she has kind of squirrely phones. She'll tell me I'm talking too softly sometimes, and I'm just right other times. So yeah. Okay, Walden. Now ask me that question again, okay. please. See, we straightened you out. What can I say? <laughs> <laughs> All right. Why did they wait two years for the film to have gone with the wind? And you said you don't know. I'll give you another chance. Oh, wait a minute. Two years to... to, uh, to they, delayed, to they delayed the beginning of the filming of the movie for two years. Why? Oh, I would say because of The Wizard of Oz? No. Because they were... Oh, interesting answer. First hmm. color um, uh, films, weren't they? Mm-hmm. And both MGM released them in the same year, but no. Huh? Yes, very good. I just saying, Barbara, what we're gonna do is send you off to film school. We need we need you to be a you need we need to get that another credit on your resume as film historian. Well, I know Gable and um oh Fiddle D D. What was her name? <laughs> Vivian Lee, Fiddle D D. Oh, Vivian Lee, right, right, right. Fiddle D D. Yes. They did not get along. I know that. Well, here's 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 a good trivia question for both of you. All right. Next year is the 80th anniversary of the film. How many cast members are still alive? Ooh. Well, Vivian Lee isn't. No. Gable is not. No. Um, um. Oh, Butterfly McQueen. No. But you're right. Butterfly is not with us? No, that? unfortunately. Oh, my gosh. I thought she was the one who, who was still with us. I, and I've interviewed three of the cast members, but they're all gone. But there are still a group left. I'm just asking how many. Oh, not too many, I would say. You're right. I don't think any of them. There, there are there are still surviving members. See, I got it. Yes, you are. You're 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 warm. You got what? Oh, you said there are there are surviving members. members. What did oh, you get? Okay. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I joyful bubbles. Said how, how how many, and I said no, none. Well, I said you at least one. Uh huh. Okay. Let's see. <laughs> give me a number. Come on. Come on. Give me a number. Give you a number. I would say three. You are absolutely correct. Oh wow! Two for two. Yep. Bingo. 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 All right. Good job. Two for bubbles. Yep. One for bubbles. Two oh. for bubbles. Okay. Two for bubbles. What? Two for bubbles. Where did you get the second one? I got, I got the first one right, didn't I? What, how many, how many actresses re auditioned for the role? No, she's still low. Uh, no, I, I didn't know that one. I know. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, uh, let's forget all that, huh? <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay, we can forget all so that. Have you worked on your poem for us for Valentine's Day? Oh, you want a poem for Valentine's yes. Day? Yeah, I think you could get one ready for Valentine's Day. Oh, goodness. Oh, I guess so. You, I mean, you're, you are you are an internationally poet, laureate, 
from yesterday USA, so we expect something for Valentine's Day. I am the formal poet for Yesterday USA. Yes, you're the poet laureate of Yesterday USA. <laughs> Oh, uh, all right. I'll, I'll try, okay? Okay. okay. <gasps> no, no, no. You have to do it. Go. you got deadlines. <laughs> deadlines. <laughs> deadlines. She got a month. Oh, geez. Well, I'll do my best. The pressure's okay. on. Okay. The pressure's on. <laughs> the pressure was on before and before that, too. You like the other two, Walden? Oh, they're wonderful, Barbara. Oh, I'm glad you liked them. They're wonderful. I'm glad you like. You know, when you issue me in your book, have you? Are you gonna go by Bubble Smith, or ha, have you decided <laughs> your 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 non plume as, your, as a as a writer? No, I don't think so. <laughs> <laughs> Bubble, who would buy? But well, I guess there would be a people that. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. You would surprise them with the content. They would be expecting something else, but they would buy it. Yes. <laughs> Yeah, maybe I... Oh, yes, indeed. <laughs> oh, yes, indeed. Okay, so you disqualified for the refrigerator. You got one of Walden's questions, and you did very well. Okay. Give me another one. Another one? No. <laughs> <laughs> no, no more. We don't have any more. <laughs> you mean you're out of questions? Yeah, these are the questions for tonight. Oh, oh fiddle-dee-dee. <laughs> okay, CD. Okay, we're keeping calls a little bit short tonight because I'm not going to be here much longer. Okay, I will say good night. Good night, Bob. Okay. Go, go, go work on your poem. <laughs> okay. Love you guys. Right. Same here, Barbara. <laughs> okay. Bye bye. Bye bye. That's Bubble Smith. Seven one four five. Our number, give us a call. Patricia will be here not too much longer. Uh, we have to offer you right off the bat when, when Patricia ducks out. It's Ray Breen when he had Gene Autry as a guest for two hours. And it's a that lot of fun. That's going to be so cool. That's a lot of fun. 714-545-2071. Next Friday, our live guest is Herb Ellis, who is who is Jack Webb's right-hand man on Dragnet. Herb is celebrating his 97th birthday this week. Oh, my goodness. Uh, so he can oh, be what on. fun that is going to be. Yes, it's a lot of fun. So Herb is going to yeah. be with us. And uh, this time we thought we'll talk about the comedy show he worked on, like Fibber, McGee, and Molly, different things like that. So those are some of the things we'll, we'll both. Too good. So. Too good. Well, I've got some other stuff for us. All right. Do you remember that last week, let me see, i got to go down here. Last week we said Ben Franklin, or you said Ben Franklin, had been the only person to sign four critical documents right. you were gonna look at the beginning, and, yes. and we got stuck on the fourth one. Yes. It was the Treaty of Paris, establishing oh. peace with Great Britain and the U.S. Constitution. Wow. Treaty of an al- al- our alliance with, uh, with France, the Treaty of Paris. Wow. Very good, I, Patricia. I, I did. I remembered to look that up. Very good. I remembered, I remembered, and I have something about Harry Truman and Winston Churchill and FDR. <coughs> Excuse me. There was a book that was featured on one of the book selection emails that I get, and it was Franklin and Winston, 
an intimate portrait of an epic relationship. And I read the, oh, 25 pages or so that you get as a sample, and it had some pretty good stuff that got pulled out. And I, I picked up three um, and something else about Roosevelt. Um, this was a quote. They loved tobacco, strong drink, history, the sea, battleships, hymns, pageantry, patriotic poetry, high office, and hearing themselves talk. <laughs> He was the author was was um, putting together reasons why they hit it off so well, and not necessarily in the beginning, but they were they had so many common likes that it it eventually really cemented their friendship. Wow. Okay, they were these are, we're still talking about Franklin and Winston. Hold on, yeah, caller. We'll be. They were deeply. We'll get to mm-hmm. you in a second. Oh, oh, we have a caller. Yeah. Okay, I can do that. Okay, yeah, call it, Patricia. Yeah, it's Ray out of Chicago. Hello, Ray. Ray in Chicago. How in the world are you? I'm cold. You are. Oh, really? Cold enough to stay home from the golf course? (laughs) Yeah. Don't talk to me for uh, maybe one more week. Although I just returned from Arizona where I played a lot of golf. Oh, you were down there. Good. Did you have a good trip? It was wonderful. I played, uh, I played three different tribal, uh, that's Native American golf courses that are mm-hmm. that were absolutely amazing. Two of them were in the mountains. The views were spectacular. Wow! So I had with your... desert throat. <coughs> and this was his, what's your cousin, right? If I remember, you were gonna, was it your cousin that you were gonna play with or mm-hmm. somebody? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I have uh, several native cousins out there, and uh, so uh, you know it was like a mini uh, a mini reunion. And I will be back in March, so uh, you know. Uh, it should get warmer. You, you go to Chicago to freeze, and you go you go to Arizona to warm up. <laughs> like I say, I got desert throat. You know, they don't have any rain out there in Phoenix area. And yeah, and the moisture is, in the air. Yeah, the dust is settling all over the valley, so it's uh, it's uh, very conducive to uh, this desert growth that I never heard of. Well, I, I, I we had a, a friend up in Reps who has a home in Arizona, and she caught like like desert fever or something. I guess it, when the air gets so dry in Arizona, mm-hmm. you can be susceptible of some of the Holland or I, I I don't know what you could pick up. But. I don't know what it is. It's a it's a, a an infection yeah. that is extremely difficult to get rid of. I remember Lynn Noyce telling me about that. I don't remember too yeah. too much of the details either, but it's really a serious illness. Yeah. Well, uh, apparently there is something called valley fever. Okay. That's it. So I I didn't go that. Uh, I wasn't that interested in catching that. I <laughs> was good of you. <laughs> I held back a little bit. Yeah. Oh, you're good. You're good. You didn't. You didn't do this whole thing all in one visit. Yeah, but you know, it just affects my throat. My voice is shorter. I was thinking I was coming down with something, but I'm taking a lot of tea, herbal tea, honey, lemon. And I do feel good, you know. I just sound uh, yeah. uh, 
you know, like I got something. Um, and I'm not, and I'm not sure if I do have something in that, uh, you know, when my grandson, my young grandson comes over, I put a face mask on just to play safe. You know? Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Now. Yeah, yeah. That's very considerate of you to do that. Really? Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, I'm going to tell you years back when I was in Japan, I was amazed you know, uh, how many people wore masks all the time. I said, so what's the matter with these people? Do they have tuberculosis? <laughs> and the reality was, when I, you know, that the, the Tokyo is so small with so many people that it's their way of protecting themselves from colds. From each other, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah so... Uh, so they they were they were they were and are a heck of a lot smarter than uh, what we accept here in terms of face masks. Although I did see a gal on the airplane with a face mask on, and when we got off, she took it off. Right, I was going to say she was protecting herself from the recycled air. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Gee, you know, I wish I would have thought of that. No. I, I know my my dad, GP general practitioner, doctor doesn't want to ever see my dad during the winter, because you get all the people who are sick in the uh, lobby. I just don't want to see my you know my healthy patients or whatever just sitting in there being exposed. So he always told my dad just wait till the spring to come back. You know, for his, for his checkup. Right. You know, makes sense. Uh, so, um. I wanted to uh, talk about Gone with the Wind. All right. Cool. Now, I'll tell you why that piqued my interest. Sure. It was written by Margaret Mitchell, and my last name is Mitchell. Now, you ask if there's any relationship. Did you ask that? No, but I'm going to Is there any relationship? No. (laughs) (laughs) You are so bad. Of course, I was fascinated because I am a reader. I did read that book uh, years ago. It's over, a, it's a, it's over a thousand what? pages. I didn't, I didn't know it that big of a book. It was a big book, and the movie, the truly the movie, was so much on target. It was so well made, and. Uh, I don't know if you mentioned this because I just tuned in uh, maybe 15 minutes ago. But Margaret Mitchell wrote that book. She was a Southern gal from Atlanta, I believe. You're right. Absolutely right. And she put it in her, uh, she put it away for years and years. And I think it was a friend that suggested she should send it in to somebody. And... It was the only book she ever read, uh, wrote. You know the story of why she wrote the book? Uh, you know, I have a vague recollection, but tell me. I'm interested. Okay. Patricia, you want to guess why did she write the book? No, because I don't do well on these. <laughs> Just tell us. She broke her ankle, and she sent her poor husband to the library all the time to bring back books. And he, she was a voracious reader. And after shuffling all these books, he said, do me a favor, write a book. Why Why have me go get all these books for the library? 
So she spent three years of her life working on Gone with the Wind. Wow. It showed that she spent great care and time. Yeah. So. Well, um, now, after she, re- you know, received all this uh, acclaim and success and all of that, uh, she was in a car accident. And, and died. And she, was, yeah. she, she was hit. She was hit by a hit-and-run driver in 1949. She died at age 48, five days afterwards. Oh. The driver spent 11 months in jail and lived another 45 more years. Died in 1994. Um, she came from a very wealthy family, and she based the book on her grandmother's memories. And her, so I, I guess... I guess Scarlett would have been sort of a figure of her grandmother. Yeah, I knew there was some kind of uh, catalyst to get her, uh, uh, you know, on that Civil War era. You know, I worked for an outfit out of uh, Atlanta, Georgia one time. I was their Midwest man. Uh And in fact, I worked for a guy named Mitchell. Now ask me if I was related (laughs) to that. You didn't hear last night's show. We had the curator, the director of the uh, Gone with the Wind Museum in Marietta, Georgia. And she says, you know, they're off the beaten path. They don't get much traffic, but they get 10,000 people a year to show up to the museum. And my trivia question to you, Ray, how many movies, how many museums in the United States are dedicated today? To that film, that's all they do. It, it, you know, the movie strictly that's the movie. A good goes. question, and I, 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 I would just guess by saying one. Seven. Wow. Isn't that something? Yeah, that really is. You know, I worked for this outfit out of Atlanta, mm-hmm. and uh, those people. Now again, I worked for them. Let's say in the seventies. And those people down there were still fighting the Civil War in some regard, you know. It was always Northerners, Southerners, and, you know, that... Mm-hmm. Uh, well, she, it was interesting reading the bio about Margaret Mitchell. She did not know the South lost until she was 10 years old. She couldn't believe it. <laughs> yeah. She grew, up oh with all, she grew up with all these stories from her family, and she would go visit the... Uh, the Confederate home of the soldiers and everything, and they talked about the great stories, but none of them told her until she was 10 that the South lost, and she d- did not believe it. Okay, I'll ask you uh, okay. a trivia question. I'll ask you both a trivia question. All right. When, now Abraham Lincoln, of course, was the president at the time, and when the, the war was over, uh, he was at some form of uh, national celebration, and he told the band to strike up his favorite tune. Does anybody know the name of that tune? I do. Dixie. Very good, Patricia. Wow. You know, I ask people that all the time. Nobody ever, <laughs> nobody knows this. How come well, you know I that? do. <laughs> <laughs> wow, I'm impressed. My mom oh, just, good. My mom, finished, the my mom just finished over the weekend the book, her biography on Grant and how much she enjoyed the book on Ulysses Grant. And, and she said it was one thing she learned after the White House, what 
Grant wanted to do is travel. So he spent two and a half years traveling around the world, going to Egypt and everything. And my mom thought it was such unusual to think about doing that in the 1880s, you know, to travel the world during that time frame. Yeah, yeah that, uh, that that's really unique, you know. Now, I want to answer your trivia question about why they delayed two years. Okay. Now, I'm going to take a guess, and I'm going to preface that guess by saying, uh, at the time, uh, Clark Gable was a natural for the role of, uh, Brett, what was his name? Uh, Rhett Butler. Butler, yeah. He was a natural for that, and he didn't want to do it. I think he was obligated to another film. You're absolutely, you are absolutely correct, Ray. You, you just won the prize. They had to wait two years until Gable was free. Yes, and he hesitated doing it. Yeah. Now, I didn't know that so many people tried to do that part, uh, but I knew Betty Davis. Didn't she eventually make a, a movie about, uh, you know, on the same order? I think she did, and I think Betty Davis was the second choice after Vivian Lee. So, but nobody, really? nobody have guessed hmm. how many women auditioned for the tryout of the of Scarlet, the role of Scarlet. So you want well, to guess? That was over five hundred so far. Is that? It's over. A, it's over a thousand. Over a thousand. Oh my goodness. Uh, there were that many female actresses <laughs> at that time? That was my question. How did they find this many people to audition? Wow. You know, because I did see, um, I do recall seeing several women trying for that part. And I think a lot of them would have been good, like Betty Davis. She was phenomenal as a young girl. Yep. You know, I would compare her with uh, Myrtle Streep these days. Absolutely. You know, uh, minus the politics, you know. <laughs> okay, I, my, my final question tonight, and this does not mean you have to hang up right away, but my final question is, I got a refrigerator from Bill and Kim Bragg. They sent a refrigerator to me here at the facility. So today was my first day. I went to Walmart. They take us to Walmart every two weeks if you want to go, and I think that is just great. So I went to Walmart today, and I came home with stuff for my refrigerator. And the question is, what did I get for the refrigerator? You get one try. What did you get? Now, that is a super-duper question. I agree. Um... We might, have to hold, we might have to hold this over to, second, to next week. We can yeah, don't, don't tell us. No, I think Patricia can, Patricia can confirm the people now, tonight and then now, hold over the rest of next week. Oh, I'm, now, I'm writing it down. Good. Let me ask you a question, Patricia. Oh, okay. What? Does the refrigerator have a freezer in it? Yes. Yes. Um... So is it something you, can I ask this question? I don't want to, you know. Get, this is not 20 questions, but we'll try. What is it? Okay, is it frozen? Oh, no, we can't answer questions like that. 
It's not bigger than a bread basket. <laughs> it's not bigger than a bread basket. Remember that program they used to do that, What's My Line? Is it bigger? Yep, yep, yep. Is it bigger than a bread box? Yeah. Yes. Uh, okay, let me think real hard now. It's got to be something unique. It's very unique yeah. in that it can't be something you get automatically uh, from the uh, cafeteria. Good thinking. You're correct, yes. Okay. Now, and you like uh, you like different things, I recall. But I don't recall. <laughs> I got featured in Spotlight this month, and I didn't know what Spotlight was. For all I knew, it could be, you know, direct line to the sheriff's office. But um, they asked about my favorite food, and I said yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All of the above. All of the above, right. <laughs> so, yes, I do like a lot of different foods. Uh, okay. You know, this is really a great one. This 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 requires someone with the um with the uh wisdom of um King Solomon. That, oh, that would be a good one, too. Yeah. I was thinking about that English detective. What's his name again? Sherlock Holmes. Sherlock? Sherlock Holmes. Sherlock Holmes. Yes. Well, you know what? What? I'm going to think about it. Okay. I'm going to listen in because this is intriguing. <laughs> this, this is like, you know, what's in my top drawer or something like that. <laughs> I think, I think this is just a good game. I think what we'll do, Patricia can confirm who guessed tonight and then said, okay, I still got items left over. We'll kill you over the next week. I think this could be a running program. What do you think, Patricia? Well, I can do that, yeah, sure. But yeah. I'm afraid some of it's going to be gone by the time we get finished with, <laughs> with the questions. But we'll go with what I put in there originally. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes. And then when you so go you'll back. get another chance, Ray. So yeah, come on, Ray. You want to take a shot? Take a shot. Go ahead. All right, let me say this. Have you guys ever heard of Wally Phillips? The guy, the, 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 the broadcaster from Chicago? That's correct. Yeah. Have you, Patricia? No, I had not heard. No, I don't know him. Wally Phillips was our number one radio guy for a zillion years. Mm-hmm. Um, he was on the radio since I was a kid, and, you know, I'm going to say 40 years. He was... The man, he was a great guy. He ran all kinds of charities. And he had one eternal question. What was the message Houdini left for his wife to determine every Halloween what this question was to determine if he could come back from wherever he was? You know? yeah. And that um, question was never answered. So... I'm sure we could guess yours. Okay. I'm not Houdini. I don't swim. I'm not ever going underwater. A snack food. Snack food. Well, which one? (laughs) You see, I'm. I mean, they've got seven aisles of snack foods in these places. (laughs) Oh, this is intriguing. This is a really great question. Uh, how much longer are you going to be on, Patricia? Oh, just a couple of minutes. Oh, you're getting ready to pack it in? Uh-huh. 
Yeah, he's going to back in, and King Autry's going to come over and take over and entertain everybody for two hours. Oh, Gene Autry, yeah, I love the guy. We're going to write a two-hour interview with Gene Oh, I, 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 I wrote him uh, a fan letter. Did you? Yeah, when him and Pat Buckstrom were on TV, they used oh, to have yeah. a TV program. Yep. Uh, and, you know, more recent one, when he when he was a baseball guy. And I, I send a letter, the poor guy dies. Yeah, well. Oh. You know, it was near the end of his life. Yeah. And I yeah. that with that actress, you told me to, uh, yeah, Shirley. Uh, 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 Shirley Mitchell. That's right. That's right. She passed and away. She, and she passed away. I'm not sending anybody <laughs> more letters. Oh, man. Oh, well. Okay, you have to guess one, Ray, before you leave, and we'll pick it up the next cracker week. Jacks. One guess. Cracker, one guess. Jack. cracker Jack. Cracker Jack. In the refrigerator? <laughs> That's right, but mine... Cracker Jack. Okay, it's on the list. We'll be back next week with this. <laughs> okay. Oh, Ray, it's so good that you called in. Thank you, and you got through even. Yeah, I, I, I amaze myself, you know. I just, uh, you know, I usually get the busy signal, you know. It's like the hook in vaudeville. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. You've, you've not had great luck getting through, but you did twice now. Yeah, I'm a lucky guy. <laughs> oh, no, we're lucky that you called in. I really appreciate it. You stay uh, warm, please, okay? Uh, you guys have a good weekend. All right. Right before you go, Thank how you. cold is it? Yeah. You did, we didn't tell. How cold is Chicago right now? I think it's zero right now. Oh. Ooh, ow, ooh, I just got a shiver. Ooh. Oh, oh. And I, when I was in Arizona a few days ago, it went up to 80 one day. From 80 to zero, I should have stayed. Okay, guys. Right. Okay, I, Ray, I, thank I you. I've for the answer, and if I don't hear it, I'll, uh, I'll write you a, a note, uh, Patricia. Okay. Yeah, you yeah. do that. Take care. We'll talk to you next week, maybe. Okay. Bye-bye now. Uh, Bye-bye. Well, my dear, five minutes till. You want me to want to open the line, keep the line open for five more minutes, or will you? Or, uh, will be like five more minutes okay. because I have another thing about <laughs> Churchill and um, FDR. Well, this one, this one is about Churchill. The, that they were both deeply driven. Mm-hmm. Seated next to Violet Bonham Carter, daughter of the Prime Minister H. H. Asquins. I do not know that. It was at a dinner when he was 33. Churchill was 33. He said, we are all worms, but I do believe that I am a glowworm. Oh. What a hoot. <laughs> he really did have a sense of humor. Now, um, FDR had a half-brother. Did you know that? I did not. He had a half-brother, and his half-brother's name was James Roosevelt Roosevelt. Huh. His middle name was Roosevelt. <laughs> They, I mean, they really wanted to make sure people knew he was a Roosevelt. Um, it was a half-brother. He was older than FDR. And it was, um, I, I don't think his second cousins. Um, I, it's, it's just incredible to try to untangle the first cousin and the second cousin, and this one married that one, and this cousin's married. Unbelievable. It, it was just, it's amazing that everybody came out with a 
okay brain here. And for people who but, may, people who might have forgotten, I think Eleanor and Franklin were second cousins. Fifth cousins. Fifth, fifth cousins. cousins. Fifth yeah. Cousins. So. And um, his father. Oh, I can't even go through this. <laughs> I've got well, stuff Eleanor, listed Eleanor, here. Eleanor's uncle was Teddy. No, so that's, that's correct. Of, that's sort of where the line she comes from. So I guess that is correct. I guess they, they definitely wanted to make sure to keep the Roosevelt name. Well, they, they weren't. And mm-hmm. to compound it, James Roosevelt Roosevelt named his son James Roosevelt Roosevelt Jr. <laughs> now, you know, <laughs> that was um, you know, a little bit. Wow. So, okay. Um, and I think that's all that I have about those two right now. It's but interesting. I have a, hmm? It's interesting. Go I ahead. I'm uh, I got a call from the FDR library this week, and I'm trying to. I I, I sent him a question because I'm looking I'm looking for an article for Spurvac, and I thought it'd be fun to write something on Roosevelt Churchill relationship and see how radio covered it. And I think I got them intrigued, so I'm I'm playing telephone tag with them to see what oh, we can come great. up with. Oh, great! But. Uh, and remember when we had Phil Reed, the, the gentleman who helped run the Winston Churchill Museum, he said several of Winston's grandchildren now live here in the States. Mm-hmm. I remember he said yeah. that. I do remember he said that. And they, they, were, nice. Be, they, they were nice to me. I, sent, I wrote them, a, and they sent me a back sheet of the cabinet room and then images, anything we could pick for you for the magazine. So wow. that's very nice of them to do that. Oh, that, that is nice. Yeah. That is nice. So, okay, well, I am finished. I gave right. you um, <laughs> Winston and FDR. And, uh, it, it just it looks like it would be a really delightful book, but it started getting a little repetitive uh-huh. already, and I was only on page 25. So I passed that, and I can always go back and get it later, but I, I passed it for now. Okay. So that's the end. I am finished. All right, my got, dear. You want to quote? Well, Paul, yeah. Paul's got ice trays. You've got paper towels <laughs> and milk. <clears throat> Celeste has margarine and jello. Dan has creamer. And Ray, heaven help me, has Cracker Jack. <laughs> You'd break your teeth on that stuff if it were cold. So what do you want to do? You want to tell? You want to let us know if we're right or wrong on the items that we chose? You're going to keep the well, recording. No, I'll tell week. you you're all wrong. Okay, there you go. Well, so well. we have to pick it up next week. <laughs> didn't realize I would be so mysterious. <laughs> this is good. So, Okay, we will pick it up next week. All Anyone right. has a guess or would like to put in a suggestion, I'm at floridawriter at hotmail.com. What did I get for my little refrigerator who, 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 today? Whoever thought that would be the big mystery, the mystery pie, you know. Go if number I can't one. do Sherlock Holmes, why not? <laughs> <laughs> Florida Writer, that's F-L-O-R-I-D-A. W-R-I-T-E-R at hotmail.com. All right, my dear, we'll talk to you next Saturday. And I will be here. Good night, everybody. Thanks for being with us. Good night, Walden. Good night, Patricia. All right. There's Patricia. And let's say up there, dear Lord, thank you for the opportunity of being with our family, but the friends and the acquaintance we have, look after this country, help our leaders do the right thing. Look after the poor, Lord, the needy, the hungry. Help those who are in emotional difficulty. 
watch those who are homeless Lord at this time help our friends who are cold keep them warm help those who are in, uh, going through difficulties with their health help our family members who are fighting cancer we ask this in all in Jesus Christ's name Amen alright first thing we're going to play is, Frank, is Ray Bream's interview with the legendary King Autry next here on Yesterday USA This is Talk Radio 790, KABC, Los Angeles. The time is 12 midnight. Hello, Americans. I'm Paul Harvey. You know what the news is. In a minute, you're going to hear the rest of the story. Hello, Susan Sullivan for Choice Magazine Listening, a free service of the nonprofit Lucerna Fund. If you are unable to read because of blindness or other handicap, Choice Magazine Listening will send you on phonograph records unabridged selections from leading magazines. For eight hours of memorable writing, every other month, completely free of charge, write Listening, Box 10, Port Washington, New York, 11050. That's Listening, Box 10, Port Washington, New York, 11050. Thank you. Anybody into physical fitness will tell you, you need sustained exercise. Get your pulse rate up near 100 and keep it there at least half an hour, three times a week. The Schwinn Airdyne is designed specifically to do that. Now, the Schwinn Airdyne, which is sold wherever Schwinn bicycles are sold, is expensive until you compare the cost of staying well with the cost of getting sick. And remember, your entire family shares the health benefits of this machine. The Schwinn Airdyne, designed specifically for cardiovascular fitness, upper and lower body. The Schwinn Airdyne. Now, the rest of the story. It was in an apartment building in Harlem in the 1930s that young Walker Smith was reared for his first 15 restless years. His mother, the only parent he ever really knew, called him Junior. To his friends, he was Smitty. So Smitty was 15. He was still restless. He was fatherless. When a man became a father to him, a fight trainer in Harlem named George Gainford. Gainford's athletic club was in the cellar of a local church. That's where the barrel-chested, six-foot-two, 250-pound George forged young bodies into steel. Now, skinny Smitty was 111 pounds of nothing. In fact, the only reason George took him in was that he needed another flyweight. Perhaps also because the spindly youngster did so want to become a boxer. So soon there grew a special rugged warmth between the two. Great hulk of a man and the tiny breath of a boy. Once when Smitty's mama couldn't meet the rent and was faced with eviction, George, short of cash himself, pawned a cherished watch to place that rent money in Mama Smith's hands. Especially after that, there was nothing spindly Smitty wouldn't do for Big George. And one day, the boy's loyalty paid off for both of them. Smitty, the 15-year-old would-be boxer, had been in training with Big George for only a few months. He'd never fought a real match. One night, George was driving up to Kingston, New York, to an amateur fight club there. And the boy begged to be taken along, and he was. Just remember, said George, your mama don't want you fighting in the bouts, because you can't beat nobody anyway. Well, those words from this man mountain he so admired made little Smitty all the more determined. Somehow he had to prove himself to Big George. And that night was the night. 
When George walked in the door, Smitty, close by his side, the club promoter approached them. All of the bouts were lined up but one. The star flyweight, a strong, fast young boxer, needed an opponent. I don't have a flyweight with me tonight, said George. Well, Smitty tugged at the big man's sleeve. He said, sure you do. The youngster said, I'm a flyweight. George took Smitty aside and regarded him skeptically for a long, anxious moment. Then, unable to resist the eager eyes, George said, all right, I'll let you fight. But don't get careless. The other boy's too tough for you. George presented Smitty to the promoter. Here was his flyweight. The promoter said, fine, now let's see his amateur card. All of the participants, you see, needed a card from the Amateur Athletic Union to certify they were amateurs. There were forms to be filed. It was a must. Smitty didn't have a card. Wasn't even supposed to be boxing. So George, thinking fast, reached into his pocket, produced the amateur cards of all of his young fighters, and drew one at random, the card of a boy about Smitty's age who had started boxing and had since stopped. And when the promoter was gone, George whispered to Smitty, the boy now had his own card and a new name. A new name. Well, Spindley Smitty won the fight for George that night, a unanimous decision. And with George as his trainer, he kept right on winning. The skinny boy from Harlem eventually turned pro, filled out from flyweight to middleweight, then to become five times middleweight champion of the world. And now when you read about what he did in the ring, you'll remember two other men, Big George Gainford and a young fellow who gave up boxing, whose amateur card gave Smitty his start and his name. The other boy grew up to become a bartender, but it was his name, Smitty. Walker Smith, Jr., immortalized. You never knew Smitty by any other name than his adopted name, Ray Robinson. That's right, Sugar Ray Robinson. Only now you know the rest of the story. Hi, John Anthony here from Montebello Daihatsu. You heard right, Montebello Daihatsu. We still own Montebello Lincoln Mercury, but now we also have the Daihatsu franchise. And am I excited about this fantastic little car? The quality and the reliability of this car is unbelievable. And I will personally match the quality of our Daihatsu charade against cars selling for twice as much. If you're looking for a car that will give you great mileage and fantastic reliability, you've got to see and drive this car. Why not come into our dealership today? Test drive a charade. Compare it with any car. Tell me what you think. I think you'll be surprised. My sales managers, my salespeople, my service people, and I have pledged to become the number one Daihatsu dealership in all of Southern California. Come in and let us prove it. We don't have our Daihatsu sign yet, so look for our Lincoln Mercury sign. Remember, it's Montebello Daihatsu, Pomona Freeway, at Garfield Wilcox. This car really makes sense. KABC Los Angeles, Talk Radio 790. Invited to participate in a learning experience as you join us right here on Talk Radio. You'll meet new and interesting people. You'll hear fresh and stimulating ideas. You'll be a part of what Talk Radio is all about. Talk Radio is Ray Dream. I'm back in the saddle again. I don't have to tell you who my guest is, you know already, but uh, let me slate it properly here. 
It's not easy to describe a legend because more often than not, the words are simply uh, too difficult to come by. In Webster's New World Dictionary, a legend is described as a notable person whose deeds or exploits are much talked about in his own time. California Angels Chairman of the Board, Gene Autry, certainly fits that criteria and more. He's our guest here this morning. Now, if you don't know anything about Gene Autry, uh, you've got to be in a closet somewhere all of your life, but his career has spanned more than five decades in the entertainment industry. Gene Autry has been the recipient of numerous awards, ranging from an honorary brigadier general in the California Air National Guard to an honorary doctor of laws degree from Pepperdine University. He recently was honored by the noted Touchdown Club in Washington, D.C. with a Hubert T. Humphrey Award, the organization's highest achievement. He has um, done everything in show business, all facets of the business, from radio and recording artist to motion picture star, television personality, broadcast executive, and major league baseball owner of the California Angels. Gene Autry has starred in 93 full-length motion picture films, 2,000 recordings, 300 of which he wrote himself. He sold more than 40 million records. In fact, he received the first gold record ever awarded. Gene Autry was voted top box office western star for eight consecutive years and three times was among the top ten in all categories, placing fourth in popularity behind Mickey Rooney, Spencer Tracy, and Clark Gable. His radio show, if you remember those halcyon days of radio, his Melody Ranch program on Sundays, a weekend listening tradition for more than 16 years on CBS. It's a great pleasure to welcome a man I've admired for so many years, Gene Autry. Well, thank you, Ray, and uh, I think you overdid that a little bit. I never considered myself as being a legend or anything like that. Well, you are. So, oh, well, uh, if you say so, that, that makes me very happy, but I don't consider that myself. You have not one, not two, not three, not four, but five stars in the Hollywood Walk of Fame. What do they represent? Well, they represent uh, records, represent radio, represent uh, stage and theaters, and uh, television, and I guess rodeo, or just about whatever <laughs> you want to call it. You played the rodeo circuit, didn't you? Oh, yes. I did a lot of rodeos. I sure did. Well, I saw you more than once when you uh, toured Ogden, Utah, when I was a kid. And uh, they had some good radios, uh, rodeos in those days. And uh, remember Abe Lefton and Jazzbo the Clown? Oh, I certainly do. Abe Lefton, in my opinion, was the greatest rodeo announcer that I ever knew. He uh, made the uh, rodeo move along. And, of course, uh, Jazzbo Fulkerson, the little guy that worked the barrel, uh, was a great clown in those days, too. And he worked with uh, uh, a fellow named George Mills. That's right. And uh, they kept the uh, audience entertained all the time out there. I can hear Abe Lefton right now saying, Jazzbo, get back in the barrel, as the Brahma <laughs> Bull's about to charge. And he'd take a, a running leap and uh, rear end first right into that barrel. <laughs> oh, yes, he would. He would jump right in there, right on his uh, fanny, and come right up with his uh, head sticking out of the barrel. And I always wondered how he ever did that. But uh, he was a very, very fine clown. You had a beautiful horse all those years called Champion. How, did you, how did you and Champion get together? Well, I, uh, I bought that horse originally from a fellow by the name of Goodwin. 
and uh, he was just a colt at the time that I got him. And uh, he'd come in from Oklahoma, and he was a, a real dark uh, horse, kind of a, a dark uh, chestnut, but he photographed real, uh, real dark, and uh, had four stockings and a blazed face. And so I bought that horse and started working with him. And then, of course, later I, uh, I uh, had a couple of other horses, too, that were with him. I had Champion Junior and then Champion the Third. So I had three horses all told as the lead horse. Gene, you started off uh, as a young man on the railroad. You were a railroad dispatcher and a telegrapher. Well, after the last year of high school, I uh, had to make a decision as to what I was going to do, and I had a chance then to go to work uh, in uh, the little hometown uh, that I came from, Tioga, Texas, and I got a job there as a kind of a helper. I would help the local uh, freight when they'd come in, help unload the freight and unload the baggage and the milk cans and whatever it was. And in doing so, I, I learned the telegraph code. And I learned uh, uh, to figure freight rates and uh, also express rates and things of that sort. So I became a full-time telegraph operator. And then I went to work uh, for the Frisco Railroad, St. Louis-San Francisco Railroad up in Oklahoma. Now, how did you make the transition from a telegraph operator and a dispatcher on the railroad to uh, the star that you became? Well, long in about 1927, I guess it was, why uh, the railroads, they were in a bad way. And uh, they started uh, closing down a lot of the uh, smaller stations and laying off a lot of their uh, employees because of the fact that the buses were uh, taking all the business from the uh, uh, railroad trains. And uh, so uh, I began to realize that uh, I might lose my job. And uh, I had met Will Rogers before that. One night I was working in a little town called Chelsea, Oklahoma. And Will Rogers came in to send a, a telegram. So uh, I happened to be playing the guitar and singing when he came in. And of course I laid the guitar down. And, he said, uh, no, I said, go right ahead. Said, I said, I enjoy the songs. So I did a couple of numbers, and he said, young fellow said, uh, uh, I think you ought to get yourself a job on the radio. says, you sing very well. So uh, I just thought he was trying to make me feel good. I didn't realize who he was until after he had left, and I uh, took the telegram, and it was going to the syndicate in New York, and it was signed Will Rogers. So uh, uh, the next night, I think it was the next night or two, I, he came in to, say, uh, to send his uh, uh, column to the syndicate, and uh, I started talking to him, and uh, I thought to myself, well, if Will Rogers thought I was good enough to, to be on the radio, I, maybe I could do that. So I decided to go to New York then, and... Uh, and uh, see what I could do in making records. So you made your first record in what year? I made my first record in, I think it was 19, uh, 1927 or something like that. Uh, 
And your first big hit was your first record? Well, no, it wasn't. I made three or four records before Silver Hair Daddy was made. However, Silver Hair Daddy was the first hit that I made. How many records have you sold of Silver Hair Daddy? Well, Silver Hair Daddy uh, has sold, uh, I imagine, probably two million records by now. But back in that era, why a million records was a pretty big seller. And in fact, uh, uh, when uh, I uh, sold the first million records, why at that time there was a fellow, the head of uh, Columbia Records, or American Record Corporation, uh, by the name of... Uh, Oh, gosh, I forget his name right now. But anyway, why, uh, the PR department there said, well, look, said for a million records in this day and time, said, I think that you should have a gold record. And you got the very first gold record ever stamped. Yes, that's absolutely correct. That uh, came from the PR department of uh, American Record Corporation at that time. And uh, along the way, you picked up a few more, about seven or eight, haven't you? Well, yes, I guess that I've had maybe more than that. The biggest record that I've ever had Rudolph. was, of course, not a cowboy song, <laughs> or it was not a country song, but it was a Christmas song called Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. When we come back, I want to hear the story about Rudolph. We'll be back with the legendary Gene Autry. This is Ray Bream on 790 KABC Los Angeles, talk radio for Southern California. Beach Lincoln Mercury in Huntington Beach has the largest inventory of Lincoln and Continentals in their history. But that's where the problem begins. You see, Beach Lincoln Mercury needs to move this big inventory off their lot now so they can make room for the 89s. Now, I know you've heard that before, but it's true. Beach Lincoln Mercury says they'll slash prices and slash again until you get the car you like at the price you love. You have by far the best opportunities in town to own a Lincoln, a Continental, a Mark, or a town car. So what are you waiting for? Get in your car now and drive to Beach Lincoln Mercury in Huntington Beach, the President's Customer Satisfaction Award-winning dealership for two years in a row. Beach Lincoln Mercury, just off the 405 freeway at Beach Boulevard in Huntington Beach. Now, if you want more information, call in area code 714-848-7739. That's area code 714-848-7739. Beach Lincoln Mercury. I'm Patrick O'Neill. I've been telling you about Therapeutic Mineral Ice, the cool blue gel that gives so much relief and pain. But let me caution you. There are mineral ice imitators. They try to look like mineral ice. They try to fool you. But the mineral ice formula has never been duplicated for the minor pains of arthritis, backache, and sports injuries. Except only mineral ice. You can't fool around with pain. America, what do you want most? No more aching feet. Okay, America, now you can kiss your aching feet goodbye. Why? There's Footmedic. Footmedic? Absolutely. Footmedic's a cooling blue gel from the people who make mineral ice. The pain fighter. Right. For minor foot pain, sports injuries, hot, tired, aching feet, get Footmedic, a small miracle for foot pain. Use only as directed. Footmedic. For the agony of the feet. I'm glad America said that. Both available at Long, Save On, Osco, Good Neighbor Pharmacies, and all thrifties. It's an early start this morning from New York. 
Game three of the League Championship Series, the Dodgers and the Mets at 9 a.m. on the home of the Dodgers, AM 790, KABC. You know Dasher and Dancer and Prancer and Vixen, Comet and Cupid and Donner and Blitzen, but do you recall the most famous reindeer of all? Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer had a very shiny you ever saw it you would even say it goes if you're calling from los angeles dial 520 followed by the word talk t-a-l-k follows all of our numbers for the san fernando valley dial 990 the san gabriel valley 448 in burbank 244 and in compton dial 639 and then talk santa came to say Rudolph, with your nose so bright, won't you guide my sleigh tonight? How many records have you sold of Rudolph? I think it's around 19 uh, million, something like that. And, and every Christmas time you sell another million or so. <laughs> well, I sell probably five of a hundred thousand every Christmas at least, sometimes more, and then sometimes maybe not that many. Jonathan Marks uh, wrote that uh, that song, right? That's correct. Now, as I understand it, he, he couldn't get anybody to record it. Well, uh, the year before, I had a record called Here Comes Santa Claus. I remember. It was a big record seller for me. I had two million on that one. But uh, they wanted another one then to try to follow up uh, Here Comes Santa Claus. So everybody was uh, sending me uh, dubs and uh, and just about sheet music and everything else or songs. So Johnny Marks sent me a uh, home recording of Rudolph where he played the uh, piano and, uh, and sing uh, uh, Rudolph. So I heard it and uh, I just passed it aside and left it over there and I was still looking for a song uh, to follow up on uh, uh, Here Comes Santa Claus. So along about uh, July, I guess it was, why I had to make a decision on on a Christmas song if I was going to get it out. So uh, my wife, Ina, said, uh, you know, I think that you ought to listen to that Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer again because it reminds me of the story of the Ugly, duck, ugly Duckling because uh, uh, they wouldn't let poor Rudolph join in any reindeer games and said Larry come along and uh, took Santa Claus to uh, the country. It says, I, I think the kids will like that number. So I said, well... I'll give it another listen to. So I listened to it two or three more times, and finally I uh, had to go and I recorded uh, four numbers, I believe it was, or five. So they said, well, look, you don't have much time here. The clock's about out. Got time maybe for one more. And I said, well, Carl, he was my ranger, and I said, Carl, bring out Rudolph, and we'll go over it a couple of times. So I sung it a couple of times, and uh, they recorded it, and... Uh, at the tail end of a session. At the tail end of the session. So uh, 
the engineer came out and he said, well, Gene, I think you've got it. I don't think you need another take on it. And I said, okay, if you're happy with it, wrap it up. So that's how Rudolph came out. And it fooled me uh, to start with. I didn't think it'd ever be that big a song, but I was appearing at Madison Square Garden. And uh, Johnny Marks had a, a reindeer made, and we had a little guy in it that would come out and dance. So on the matinee on Saturday, why the place was jammed, and I did all of my songs, and I said, well, I want to do a brand new song here. And uh, I did Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer with a nice uh, blue spotlight on me. And uh, they had uh, a bulb on his nose, and uh, Frankie came out, uh, Frankie Marvin, came out on the second chorus of it, and uh, he would have that light going on and off, and uh, gosh, I never had such an ovation in my life. And I began to think right then, well, I believe we've got a hit. So I put it in and sang it at every, every performance after that. What a story it is. Now let's go to the phones. My guest, the one and only Gene Autry. This is Ray Bream on 790 KABC Los Angeles. Talk radio for Southern California. Medicine Shop Pharmacies, take one. Registered Medicine Shop customers are guaranteed low prices on all products normally carried by a medicine shop in writing. If our price is higher than competitors or you pay more while on vacation or in an emergency, we'll give you credit for the difference in price on the spot. Remember, Medicine Shop has the lowest prices anywhere. Uh, you didn't say guaranteed low prices. Take it from oh. the top. Medicine Shop, guaranteed low prices, period. Now, whether you're looking for everyday low prices, fast service, personal attention, or just the great selection of health care products, your neighborhood medicine shop is the pharmacy you should get to know. And next time you're in a participating medicine shop, ask for a free photo of yours truly, Ray Bream, and mention KABC for $2 off on your first prescription. And visit Merrill Brinton in Arcadia at 160 East Duarte Road or Les Jones in Canoga Park at 211-15 Sherman Way or Bill Brodsky in Covina, 451 South Citrus Avenue, the medicine shop. An electric adjustable bed is the ultimate when it comes to reading, watching TV, and finding the perfect sleeping position. Now, my friends at Sit and Sleep have seven electric beds that they're selling nearly at cost. It's first come, first served, and when they're gone, they're gone. Sit and Sleep's blowout sale on electric adjustable beds will not be beat. In fact, if you find a lower advertised price on Sit and Sleep's electric adjustable beds, Sit and Sleep will give you the bed for free. Now, if it sounds like I know a lot about Sit and Sleep, you're right. Because Sit and Sleep is where I got my mattress, and I sleep like a baby today. Remember, Sit and Sleep has only seven electronic beds left, and this sale will not be repeated. Get down to Sit and Sleep and go get your bed. I did. Sit and Sleep in Culver City on Overland between Venice and Washington. Phone orders are accepted. Call 213 area code 870-1374. Now, you can't find a lower price than Sit and Sleep. So why buy anywhere else? Sit and Sleep. better. A sandwich with Kraft Singles made from five ounces of milk per slice? Mmm! 
Mmm, sounds good. For a sandwich with imitation cheese slices that are mostly oil and water with almost no real milk. That doesn't sound as good. <laughs> so the next time you choose between Kraft Singles Processed Cheese Food and imitation cheese food slices, remember the one that sounds better is the one that tastes better. Kraft Singles. More milk makes them. More milk makes them good. K-A-B-C. Talk Radio 790. I want to be a part of it. It's an oasis for me. I walk out feeling refreshed, relaxed, happy, and hummy. K-A-B-C. Talk Radio. thousand music lovers enjoyed live performances by the Los Angeles Philharmonic at the Music Center. Come see what our audiences are talking about. Be a part of Andre Previn and the Philharmonic's exciting new season. For the last time and Gene, I've got to tell you, my dad was a great fan of yours, and boy, I've heard that song a thousand times. <laughs> oh, that was a great song. A, a good friend of mine, Billy Hill, wrote that number, and uh, believe me, he was he was one of the great writers. He had uh, old spinning wheel and so many uh, good good writer. He was a fine writer. My dad used to tell me that when I was in grade school. Get your grades up, and I'll take you to the movie Saturday nights. And what movie would we go to? We'd go to the westerns, and uh, most often it was a Gene Autry western. Well, I appreciate that, Ray. Well, I appreciated it, too. I, I, I think I've seen virtually every movie ever made. <laughs> well, I made about uh, 73 of them, and... Uh, Believe me, I rode a lot of miles on that horse. <laughs> <laughs> you, of course, uh, started in motion pictures with a serial, didn't you? Yes, I did. It was uh, The Phantom Empire, and uh, I actually came out here to uh, appear in a picture with Ken Maynard. That was in 1934. So uh, after that picture was finished... Why, I saw myself on the screen, I guess, for the first time, and I told my wife, uh, Anna, I said, I don't think that this picture business is for me. I think that I'd better go back to Chicago on WLS, where I belong, and uh, forget about it. She said, well, I'm not so sure that you're right. said, uh, I don't think you were as bad as you thought you were. So about that time, Nat Levine, who owned... Uh, Mascot Pictures, came uh, to me and he said, Gene, I'd like to star you in a serial. And I said, well, I'm not sure that I can do it. He said, well, I think you can. So I said, well, if you think so, then I'll, I'll do the best job I can. So I made the serial, uh, 12 chapters of The Phantom Empire. And it was uh, uh, one of those futuristic things that they had uh, robots and they had guns that would shoot uh, fire and lightning and all that kind of things. And, and this was before Superman and Flash Gordon. Yes, it was. It was the first science fiction picture that was made. And Flash Gordon and Superman came along, oh, about two or three years later. Tell us about uh, your museum. You've got a, a museum that's almost complete now, the Gene Autry Western Heritage Museum. Well, the Western Heritage Museum is uh, kind of a thing that I uh, have wanted for many, many years because I think a lot of the uh, uh, young people especially don't realize that uh, there were so many outstanding figures in uh, our country, especially since uh, 
it expanded from the Mississippi River to the West Coast and went through all those Western uh, uh, states like uh, oh, Wyoming and uh, all of those places, you know. And uh, we go back even further than that. We go back to the 16th century where that we have uh, uh, fellows that uh, like the uh, Mexicans and the Spaniards when they came to this country. You know, the, the cowboy had a... Uh a code of ethics, didn't he? Yes. I had a code of ethics uh, in my pictures when I uh, made pictures. And uh, we set that up for the uh, kids to kind of go by. And uh, that was in a book. So uh, they wouldn't let me uh, hit a man smaller than I was. I couldn't... Uh, uh, draw a gun or shoot until he went for his gun, and I could never hit a man that was smaller than I was or take unfair advantage of him. When you see the violence on television today and in the movies today, does that bother you? Yes, it does to a certain extent. I think that sometimes that we've uh, uh, gone a little bit too far uh, to the left on that. I think there is uh, a lot of violence, and I think if you look at the movies that they used to make, I would say until maybe a few years ago, I, uh, the good, clean pictures were the pictures that really would draw the people in the box office, like Shirley Temple, for instance, and she was outstanding, and uh, Mickey Rooney when he was a kid, but the pictures were all clean. And, of course, I had to keep my pictures clean because uh, if I didn't, why, uh, I think that the grown-ups would have kicked me out. Did you ever work with Marjorie Maine? No, but I knew her. I never worked with her. Never did. She uh, always... Uh, I loved uh, Marjorie Maine. Oh, yes. She was a great <laughs> actress, no doubt about that. I used to watch uh, Wally Berry... Uh, when he uh, made a lot of those things like uh -huh. tugboat and things like uh -huh. that. They were all good, clean pictures. Indeed they were. It's a different era we're living in, Gene. My guest, the one and only Gene Autry. This is Ray Bream on 790 KABC Los Angeles. Talk radio for Southern California. To Palm Springs, California. And Frank, Frank, you're on with Gene Autry. Hey, it's great. Uh, my gizzards are tickled pink talking to him, uh, Mr. Autry. It's great to talk to you. Well, thank you very much. I, I got uh, one complaint for you, and that'd be uh, you didn't build that uh, museum out here in Palm Springs. Uh, well, uh, we would have uh, probably built it down there in Palm Springs, but uh, uh, we had we were kind of in between there because in the summer, why it's uh, hot, and a lot of the people kind of skip Palm Springs in the summer, and we wanted a climate where that it could be open year-round. And uh, that's the reason that uh, I wanted to keep it in Southern California. So we're only an hour and a half or two hours from Palm Springs up here. So I think it'll work out all right. Yeah, you're right next to my hometown there, Burbank. So that's just about that's just about just as good. Oh, absolutely. I I used to live in Burbank when I first came out here. Okay, my other question would be, um, how many of your movies did you make out here in Palm Springs? I see a lot of uh, ones on your TV show with Pat Buckram. Uh, well, uh, I made uh, uh, about 94, 95 half-hour films for television. And I made those over there uh, in uh, uh, Yucca Valley. 
And uh, a lot of them was made up there. How about Pioneer Town? Did you Pioneer Town, we made a lot of them there, and I made uh, four or five features up there, too. Okay. Yeah, uh, one other question would be, a quick one would be, how many of those uh, shows did you make with Pat Buckram on uh, your... <laughs> We did all the features, all the features that we made, which was 93. Why, uh, Pat was in all of them, and we talked about the, uh, uh, what we were on the location. Of course, Pat wasn't in all those 93. I had Spiny Burnett with me up until I came back after uh, serving in the Air Force in World War II. So when I started back in 1945, making those, well, Pat Buttram was my sidekick then. Yeah, I was talking about the ones on the cable uh, network where you and Pat are sitting there. That's right, uh, it's the Melody Ranch Theater on the Nashville network. Yeah. Yes, that's right. Well, he worked with me. We did 93. 93 at the, the shows? Itself? Yes. Wow. No, half of them have shown. They, they're starting on, on the second half of them now. Okay, well, I'll tell you what, that's one of the greatest things to watch on TV. I, get, I work nights and I get off and I watch that every day. Well, thank you very much. I hope you like them. <laughs> All right, you have a good evening. Yeah, All right. Baby. Thank you very much, Frank. Yes, uh, that's a, a big show. Uh, you uh, did this with Pat uh, when? When did you uh, put these all together? We put them together uh, about a year ago, a year and a half ago, in uh, just about this time of year, October, November. Uh, when we come back, I want to uh, talk about uh, something that is a love of yours, and that's your your Major League Baseball franchise. and. You've tried so desperately to get into the World Series, and it just seems to slip by you by inches. And we'll get to that here in just a second. My guest, Gene Autry. This is Talk Radio. I'm Ray Brain. Make me happy when skies are gray. You'll never know, dear, how much I love you. Please don't take my sunshine. KABC. Talk Radio 790. Los Angeles, the number is 520, followed by TALK, T-A-L-K. All TALK Radio 79 numbers are followed by the word TALK. Orange County, 714 area, dial 750. And the 213 area, dial 448. The South Bay area, 679. And the San Fernando Valley, dial 990. And then TALK. My guest, the one and only Gene Autry. Let's talk about baseball, Gene. The California Angels, a couple of years ago, you were so close. Well... We've been close uh, about two or three times, and it uh, seemed like that uh, the breaks didn't come to us, and uh, so you just have to keep right on going, and uh, maybe you'll get the breaks the next time. That's your first love right now, isn't it? Well, uh, I would say yes, that uh, baseball, I spend a lot of time with the baseball, and I spend a lot of time, of course, with the museum, and uh, so I, I seem like to always something that uh, keeps me busy. Reggie Jackson that you brought on to the team said something not too long ago about you, and I'd like to quote it if I can. Go ahead. He said, if I didn't have a dad, I'd want him to be my dad. He's just a man you have to love. He's a man I don't think you need to have a contract with. He's a real cowboy. His word is his bond. His saddle is his ride. 
His horse is his best friend. If you're his best friend, you've got no worries. If he likes you, you're rich. And I don't mean that monetarily, unquote. Well, I'm glad to hear Roger said that because he and I always got along very well together. And uh, he probably should because uh, uh, he made a lot of money for himself. And he made uh, a lot of money also for the angels. We paid Reggie over a million dollars a year for uh, the five or six years that he was here. And uh, after we passed 2800000 why, he was to get uh, 50 cents for everyone that came in. And uh, he made a lot of money over there. What's going to happen to, to the uh, Angels next year? Any idea as, as who the manager's going to be? Well, not yet. I, I think that we'll uh, uh, get together after the World Series, and uh, we have a lot of applications, and we're giving a lot of uh, thought as to who we might uh, bring in. And uh, I want to do this uh, so that I won't have to make some more changes. But uh, we are going to make some changes in the ball club. Uh, I uh, feel that we have to come up with some more pitching and uh, maybe a couple of uh, good long ball hitters. So I think that we'll be very active in the uh, winter meetings of baseball this year. Let's go to Minneapolis. We have Dale on the line. Dale, you're on with Gene Autry. Thank you, Ray. And, uh, uh, Gene, uh, in 1939, you had a rodeo down by Loring Park. Uh, do you remember that? I certainly do remember that because uh, that was the first aquatennial that was put on in Minneapolis. And, uh, also, uh, I believe that I led the parade that time. Yes. And uh, we had a, a had a wonderful time up there. Yes. I walked over there. You were checking out the horses and stuff. Yes, that's correct. Time. I was certainly there, and. Uh, Did you give me twenty-five cents? <laughs> Is that right? Well, I I couldn't remember that what, part. I but. know that, but what a gentleman! You were absolute. Gentlemen. Well, I thank you very much. Well, I had a lot of fun up there. And if I remember right, I think I had Abe Lifton with me up there at that rodeo, too. A long time ago. That's right. That was 19, uh, about 1940, wasn't it? 1939. 39. Yeah. Well, I'll give you a year. Oh, well, yeah. But, uh, nice time. I, I just love you. Yes, uh, thank you very much. I remember that uh, Charlie Ward, who is the president of Brown and Bigelow, uh, I think he was the president of the Aquitaine that year. I'm not sure, but I know that he was uh, on the committee. Uh-huh. All right. Thank you very much, Dale. Thank you. Bye-bye. Uh, we have Jim on the line from Garden Grove, California. Jim, you're on with Gene Autry. Yeah, thanks a lot, uh, Ray. I appreciate you putting me on the line. Uh, yes, uh, Mr. Autry, um, I remember uh, so much as a young lad uh, living it up there in Ogden, Utah, and going to the theaters out there to see you perform. It was um, uh, most uh, thrilling to me. I used to dress the part. I might add the shaps, and of course, the pearl-handled revolvers, the white hat. <laughs> I thought, by Jesus, that was the biggest man this side of heaven, I might add. <laughs> Of course, kid and my brother was the same way. We were just young shavers. My, my George, I guess I was about five years old, about way back in 1931. Well, uh, 
I was just talking to Ray Beam here a little bit ago, and he's from Ogden, uh -huh. so you kind of bring back history because uh, I remember playing up there very, very well. Oh, and I remember uh, we had, we had uh, of course, not only you, but we, I thought you were just, we were both just uh, overjoyed with you. And then, of course, we had, uh, remember, the uh, Lone Ranger and all those uh, folks out there and uh, Tom Mix, you know, we just went crazy over you guys, you know. <laughs> Uh, it was the greatest thrill we ever had in our life, and I always thought you were a giant among men. Well, thank you very much. I appreciate your thoughts. Thank you, Jim. You know, uh, what he said is true. We all went around with our Gene Autry pistols and so forth. <laughs> uh, I remember as a young tyke, I guess I was about uh, seven or eight, in the lobby of the Hotel Ben Lomond there in Ogden. That's right. You were you playing a rodeo, and I went up and got your autograph. And, you know, you gave those autographs so freely. And you were so good to your fans. Well, that's one of the toughest things in the world to do is uh, uh, start giving autographs. Because once you uh, autograph one or two of them, you simply have to autograph the others. And I know that uh, uh, a lot of times when you, uh, you're called upon to go to radio station or something for an interview or something, and you can't, it's impossible to sign them all. And what I used to try to do was uh, take a group that was waiting, kind of walk as I walked along to get in the car or whatever it was, and I would sign as many of them. But the hardest thing in the world is to see a little boy or a little girl look at you with those big eyes, you know, wanting an autograph, and you have to sign it, and uh, then some of them you have to pass them up. But uh, it's a hard thing to do, but I always tried to do the best I could. Gene, you once said, quote, I never felt that what I did for a living made me a big shot. I don't feel that way now, and I hope I never will. You don't give up the values of a lifetime because you discover people will pay to look at and listen to you. They'll do the same thing to watch trained seals catch fish. <laughs> that's, that's a pretty good quote. It's a wonderful uh, quote. I'm, I'm sorry to say that a lot of ball players, they just uh, walk off and uh, they won't sign anything, you know. But uh, I said, listen, uh, I try to tell all of my players, sometimes why, if you make somebody happy for one half minute to sign something, pat him on the head and say, thank you, son. Why, uh, I said, that Babe Ruth used to do that, and he would sit there sometimes and autograph for 15 minutes for kids. And uh, I said, if Babe Ruth can do it, well, you can too. We'll be right back with Gene Autry. This is Ray Bream on 790 KABC Los Angeles. Talk radio for Southern California. been in this situation it's saturday and you need a lot of cash more than you can get from an automatic teller machine and you say to yourself 
Oh, no, it's Saturday and my bank is closed. It's Saturday and my bank is closed. Well, that isn't a problem for customers of First Federal. First Federal Savings Bank of California. They're open every Saturday, and not just for token hours. Every First Federal branch is open from 9 in the morning until 3 in the afternoon, most of the business day. So you can get cash or open a new account, access your safe deposit box, or transact business of any type. First Federal Savings Bank, personal service that goes above and beyond. That's pretty nice for a change, don't you think? First Federal Savings Bank of California, open every Saturday from 9 a.m. to 3 p.m. Offices located throughout the Southland. They often think their kids get all the exercise they need at school. Now, Don, what's the winning answer? How much exercise should kids get? Well, Bob, it's one to two hours of vigorous exercise a day. You know, daily exercise is a must for all of us, especially young people. One to two hours each day will keep young people fit and healthy, more alert for school, better able to handle stress, off the streets, out of trouble. Parents, you can win big. Make sure daily exercise is a part of your family game. Remember... A message from the President's Council on Physical Fitness and Sports. The boys of Truth Blue are the best in the wild, wild west and hitting pitch and spirit to go Dodgers, go Truth Blue! The pitch to Hatch, a line drive, base hit, inside third and down the line. In comes Belcher, here comes Sachs, Johnson's throw to the plate, he scores! It's the Dodgers and the Mets for the National League crown game three of the league championship series this morning at nine on AM 790 KABC. All talk radio 79 numbers and in the word talk, T-A-L-K. South Bay Area, dial 679. Glendale and Pasadena, 244. 990 for the San Fernando Valley and in Orange County, the 714 area, 750. The 213 area of Orange County, 448. Los Angeles, it's 520 and then talk. sold a few million, I'm sure, over the years. Yes, that was one of my uh, bigger records. It sure was. Altogether, some 40 million records. And uh, part of that, of course, Rudolph, but uh, Mexicali Rose. And what were some of the other really big records you did? Silverhead well, Daddy, we, we talked about, of course. Silverhead Daddy was a big song for me, and You Are My Sunshine was a big song. Uh, gold mine in the sky. Gold mine in the sky. I did that in one of my first pictures too, and uh, oh, I made so many of them. I kind of forget them myself, <laughs> uh, just what they were. All right, let's go to Atlanta. We have Oscar on the line. Oscar, you're on with Gene Autry. Yeah, I'm an old sound man, Gene. Your record show keep in hand at these country and western horse shows. I'll tell you. Well, thank you very much. I appreciate that. I just want to ask you, do you think you could wiggle into that tail gunner's position again? Well, I don't know where I could do that or not. Maybe not as fast as I used to, no. Ray, one of the proudest moments of my life, I was in, I got a long liberty in New York City during the war. And, of course, a big event for this boy who had been in show business was a big rodeo in Madison Square Garden. Roy Rogers was there with Trigger and his backup group, and they 
brought the spotlight around and sitting in the president's box with Gene Autry. You remember that night, Gene? Yes, I think I was in uniform at that time. That was in 19... Uh, probably it was uh, 1943. You just come back from overseas. You had a couple of rolls of ribbons up there, buddy. Well, maybe I did, yes. I. All, all the service... Well, let, let's see. Yes, that was about 1943 or maybe 44. Oh, I think it was, Ray. Yes. Uh, Ray, all the servicemen got on their feet immediately and we hollered, let's have a song, Gene. Really? And I can see him to this day. He put one hand up on that pipe railing and he went on that railing like a young teenager. <laughs> he walked over to where Roy Rogers and Trigger was and the backup group, and that backup group, you know, used to be Gene's. Yes, I, I remember that uh, that group. No, I'll tell you who it was, I think, with Roy at that time. I think it was the Sons of the Pioneers. That's right. And uh, I had just gotten back from overseas. That's right. I had uh, uh, been in India. Yeah. And I came back, and we stopped there, and we went out to the rodeo. And Roy introduced me, and uh, they waved for me to come down. So I no, we jumped over the, the rail and went down there and did a song, and uh, Sons of the Pioneers. Years and Roy accompanied me. Yes, that's correct. Uh, uh, Ray? Yes. He asked Roy, he said, Can I borrow a trigger? <laughs> <laughs> All right, Oscar, thanks for the call. Yeah. Bye bye. Um, Gene, a lot of people don't know that you were a flyer in World War II, but you were an enlisted man flyer. Well, when I uh, uh, first went in the service, uh, I was assigned to uh, a special service and also to uh, uh, entertainment and stuff like that, and I didn't want it. I, I wanted to get transferred into flying. So uh, I finally uh, talked to the Air Force into putting me over in the uh, ATC division. That's and, the Air uh, Transport Command. Yes, the Air Transport Command, and uh, so uh, I was a tax sergeant, and I was made a flying sergeant. At first, why they had an S on the on the wings, and uh, I started uh, out flying AT6s, and uh, and uh, believe it or not, I uh, checked out in the P51 because I had to pick those up and deliver them all over the country. How exciting! So, but I, you love to fly that one, huh? Oh yes, that's, that's, <laughs> I see them once in a while. I still see them around too. Yeah, there's one out at Santa Monica Airport. Oh yes, uh, and uh, that was a good airport. Uh, the old uh, 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 the six O A T six was a good airplane. Oh to fly. sure. Uh, if uh, you are. Uh, at all in to aviation, you might want to know that Gene Autry holds an airline transport rating, and uh, virtually in all of his personal appearances, he and his co-pilot Herb Green used to fly around in a twin beach everywhere you went. That's you, correct. You did your old own piloting. Yes, and I love that beach too. Great airplane, huh? Oh, doggone right it was. I like that engine in there. You know, that uh, Wasp engine was a good one. I had a lot of faith in that. I never had one of them quit me. Is that right? That's right. And he used to uh, fly to some of those areas where he had some bad weather. Yeah, I know that. Well, Herb was a good pilot. I love to fly with him, too. Well, you have done just about everything in your life. Is there anything that you haven't done, Gene? Oh, I'm sure there's a lot of things that I haven't done and uh, probably never will do. But uh, I've had a lot of fun in, in my uh, lifetime. The Lord has been very good to me. I've always had... Uh, 
uh, excellent health, and uh, I've been hurt a few times, but uh, outside of that way, uh, I certainly can't complain. In all of this, you have maintained a great set of values, and you have uh, been a, a true patriot. You loved your country, you still do, and you set uh, a standard that we could all go by, and it must hurt you to see some of the things that are going on today. Well, I've always tried to uh, do the right thing with my fellow man, and if I work for somebody, why well, I try to give them 100% of what I could give them. And uh, like in uh, World War II, I was very fortunate. I uh, had an opportunity to uh, be in the Air Transport Command, and uh, I flew with some wonderful pilots that uh, had been airline pilots. I flew with uh, a fellow by the name of Childs. He was the first captain for a number of years on Eastern. And uh, they called him back to duty. And I flew with a fellow named Hal Murray. Hal Murray was the first captain with Brennan, but he had a reserve commission, and they called him back. And uh, I knew Bill Cherry that... Uh, flew uh, Rickenbacker over to uh, uh, Australia or somewhere down there, and they lost uh, their way and went in the drink. So I've been very fortunate. My guest, the legendary Gene Autry. This is Ray Bream on 790 KABC Los Angeles, talk radio for Southern California. To Whittier, California, and Lee. Lee, you're on with Gene Autry. Okay, Ray. Hello, Gene. Yes, Hello. How are you? I'm fine, and how are you? Oh, I'm just fine. I'm just happy to speak with you. Um, I was at the airport probably in 1960 or 70 and standing right in the back of you, and I asked if I could take your picture, and you said, sure, go ahead. And you had a beautiful picture taken, just like a real movie star. Well, thank you. Where, where was this now? Uh, I think we were uh, going to New York at the time. I see. And I also am a proud owner of one of your old rings with your picture in the center of it. Well, that'll be doggone. Well, that's a long time back. Long time. What well, did it take? A, a box topper, too? Box topper, too. That's it. A lariat and a horseshoe on one side and your famous white hat on the other side. <laughs> Well, thank you a lot, and thank you for calling. Yes, and uh, I wish you good health to Ayn and you, and 73s and 88s to you and Ray. Hey, how about that? Thank you, Lee. Yeah, okay. Good night. <laughs> She's talking ham lingo there. That's right. Uh, Gene Autry is my guest, and uh, we'll uh, continue here very shortly. Uh, before we leave, Gene, uh, the, uh, the rope tricks that you've done in the past, how, how did you learn to do roping? Well, you know, uh, I fooled with ropes a long, long time. And uh, I wasn't uh, exactly what you would call an expert uh, with ropes. I learned, yes, I learned uh, how to tie knots in rope by making the uh, pretzel out of them and things like that. And uh, I picked that up around the rodeos where some of the trick riders were there. They'd work with me and show me how to do those things. We'll be right back. The news is next. This is Talk Radio. I'm Ray Bream. My guest, Gene Autry. KABC. Talk Radio 790. 
sounds better. A sandwich with Kraft Singles made from five ounces of milk per slice? Mmm, sounds good. Or a sandwich with imitation cheese slices that are mostly oil and water with almost no real milk. That doesn't sound as good. <laughs> so the next time you choose between Kraft Singles processed cheese food and imitation cheese food slices, remember the one that sounds better is the one that tastes better. Kraft Singles, more milk makes a more milk makes them good. Peace Corps volunteers. They're in almost every corner of the world, making a difference right now. And you can join them. They leave behind more than a new crop, a new forest, or a nourished child. Leave behind people you've helped to help themselves. Whatever your skill, you don't know how much you have to offer until you offer it. Peace Corps, the toughest job you'll ever love. Call 1-800-424-8580. A public service message of the Advertising Council. This is KBC Los Angeles. Talk radio for Southern California. It's 1 o'clock. From ABC News, I'm Mary Margaret Myers. An unauthorized man mingled in with a group of reporters in Detroit and walked through security unnoticed to within 50 feet of where President Reagan was speaking at a Republican fundraiser. After Mr. Reagan's speech, the man began shouting incoherently about mind control machines and communists until he was removed by guards. An investigation is underway into the security breach. Democratic presidential candidate Michael Dukakis kind of put his foot in his mouth on a visit to a Missouri auto parts plant yesterday. Dukakis was attacking foreign ownership of America firms. The plant he was in is owned by Italians. George Bush picks up the endorsement of a police group today as he continues his push for law and order. GOP running mate Dan Quayle, meanwhile, was campaigning in Raleigh, North Carolina yesterday, as we hear from ABC's Herbert Kaplow. Two main themes are being sounded by Republican vice presidential nominee Quayle in the wake of his debate with Democratic nominee Benson. I'm ready and willing to be the lightning rod for George Bush, says Quayle. And at each opportunity, he knocks the Democrats for questioning that America is the envy of the world. Meanwhile, quail strategists say they have not detected any loss of votes yet since Wednesday's debate. They claim their polls show the Bush quail ticket still leading by about six points. But it won't be for a few more days that they also say before they have any real sense as to how many votes the debate may have affected. Herbert Kaplow, ABC News, Raleigh, North Carolina. I'll have more after this. If you decide how your company's advertising dollars are spent, listen to Bill Snedeker, owner of the True Value Hardware Store in Lake Havasu City, Arizona. Radio gets results. I found radio keeps my name before the public, and keeping my name before the public is what's important. Radio gets results. Well, I, I think basically the cost-effectiveness of radio allows me to uh, pinpoint my market better, so my dollars spent are being actually spent on people that are going to come into my store. Radio allows me to reach people at different times, and I know each time that I put on my spots, I'm going to reach a different group of people. Radio gets results. Because you, everybody doesn't have a faucet to repair today. But tomorrow morning you may wake up and you got a leaky faucet. Radio keeps my name before the public, and that's the only way you're going to sell something. Radio gets results. When you want results for your business, call this station or the Radio Advertising Bureau because... Radio gets results. The stock market closed up 42 points on Friday. Analyst Newton Zinder of Sherson, Lehman & Hutton says the government's figures on unemployment were seen as really good news on Wall Street. The economy uh, is growing at a more moderate pace than it was uh, during the early summer and spring. Uh, that means that the demand for credit will be less 
uh, interest rates will not have to rise. If anything, they could come down a bit, and that's the type of news that the stock market was looking for. The nation's jobless rate fell to 5.4% for September, the same level as July. However, somewhere in there, 37,000 factory jobs were lost, and more than 100,000 of the new jobs listed were an unusually high number of teachers returning to the classroom. Hopes were dashed for laws covering parental leave, improved child care, and tougher anti-child pornography laws when a family issues bill fell to defeat in the Senate Friday. Democrats say they were stonewalled by Republicans. Senator Edward Kennedy says they will be back pushing for passage of the measure when the next Congress meets under the new administration. Following the defeat of August Pinochet in his bid to retain the presidency in Chile, opposition members held a rally in Santiago Friday. Details from ABC's Mary Helen Spooner. Chilean opposition groups held a rally in Santiago's biggest park to celebrate Wednesday's vote against eight more years of General Augusto Pinochet. But Chilean officials insist that the 72-year-old general's position is strong and his morale is high. Chile's interior minister, Sergio Fernandez, said the regime would talk to opposition groups if it is necessary. He said that the 43% of the vote General Pinochet received in the one-man election was a solid plurality, and he noted that the opposition is comprised of 16 different political parties. Mary Helen Spooner, ABC News, Santiago. This is ABC News. After 44 years on the job, Margie Boyle is retiring. She started working as a flight attendant for Eastern Airlines back in 1944, although they used to call themselves stewardesses in those days. She thought the job would be a good finishing school. Well, 11,000 flights, 1.2 million meals served, and 22 million miles later, Margie Boyle is hanging up her wings and her uniform, still the same size as the day she started. She still giggles remembering a flight when research-bound frogs escape in the cabin. For the ABC Information Network, I'm Mary Margaret Myers. Hello, this is Rue McClanahan. Every year, thousands of blind and visually impaired students complete their education through the help of a unique organization called Recording for the Blind. Its volunteers tape record hundreds of textbooks for these hardworking students, and the service is free to those who need it. The Los Angeles studios of Recording for the Blind have a constant need for volunteers to help keep this essential service available. Readers with the knowledge of math, statistics, engineering, and computer sciences are always in demand. Also, could you help with the tape recording of these textbooks? If you can, if you can give two hours a week, days or evenings, please call 213-664-5525. That's Recording for the Blind. And if you can't find a pencil, look in the white pages of your telephone directory. Please help those who want to help themselves. You'll be glad you did. Besides, it's a lot of fun. That's 213-664-5525. KABC Los Angeles, Talk Radio 790. singing. Gene Autry, though, is my guest. Gene, did you write that song? Uh, I wrote the song with Ray Whitley, a fine guy, good friend of mine, and uh, he made a lot of, uh, of uh, short westerns. 
and uh, he was under contract at RKO for a long time, and uh, I worked with him, and uh, he worked with me in a lot of rodeos that I appeared at. Well, when you go to write a song, what, what would you do? Well, a lot of things comes to you about a song, something, and you uh, make a note on it. And uh, I don't know, uh, you just sit down and keep fooling with it. And uh, on the star in my blue heaven uh, came to me, and a funny thing, uh, there was a lady who uh, wrote to me, and she said, uh, I was walking uh, outside the other night, and I looked up in my heaven and said the stars were twinkling, but said, you are the only star in my blue heaven. So I took that uh, uh, as a, a, made a note of it and wrote the song, You're the Only Star in My Blue Heaven. Why do you think that uh, we don't see westerns anymore? We haven't seen real westerns in many, many a decade. Uh, and at one time, they were king. Oh, there's no doubt about that. I think that uh, uh, western pictures... Uh, had a lot to do with building me because uh, when you're a little kid, say six to ten to fifteen years old, well, they grow up with you, and I think they're the most loyal fans in the world because they still see uh, uh, Roy Rogers and myself, and maybe Tex Ritter and uh, Tom X, Tom X, and, uh, and Hop Along, uh, Hop Along, Cassidy, sure. So. Uh, uh, they're a very loyal group, and I think, though, it's time that uh, some young uh, upcoming Western star could, could uh, be a big hit again. And, you know, they jump jam-packed with action. Oh, yes, I like the action. I, I've seen a few uh, Western pictures that have been made in the last few years, and that's the only thing that uh, I miss is the action. Most of them, they uh, ride in and uh, walk, and then they mount up, and they ride out, but they uh, don't have the, the action I used to have. The first picture I made was uh, directed by uh, a fellow out here, B. Reeves Easton. He uh, uh, directed the action years ago for Ben-Hur. And he, he uh, uh, directed uh, people like uh, Tom Mix and Hood Gibson, people like that. And he only had two words, and I can remember them very well. Uh, when you was ready to shoot a scene, why, if you were over the hill or somewhere, he would yell action and knock on it. And that meant <laughs> he, he didn't want you walking in there. He wanted you to come in there fast. And the chase scenes and the stagecoach scenes and when the stagecoach would break away from the horses and it would go over the cliff. Man, that that uh, that was great. That's right. Well, I I had the, the uh, pleasure of working with a lot of good sta uh, uh, stuntmen. And, uh, of course, uh, there's so many of them that I worked with. I had one fellow that uh, used to do all the stunts uh, uh, with me. His name was Woodard. And uh, he worked with me a long time. And then I worked with Yak, Yakim Uncle Dart. And, uh, oh, there was a lot of good stuntmen around. I don't know... Uh, 
uh, if there's very many of uh, those fellows left or not, because uh, there was a fellow Joe Urry going. Then you uh, had some great uh, character actors. Oh, yes. I love to go just to see Gabby Hayes. Gabby Hayes was a good one. He certainly was. He was one of the better ones. And then, of course, Smiley came along, and he was Smiley, uh, kind of a slapstick uh, character. And then, uh, of course, Pat uh, Buttrup came along with me, and he was great. Mm -hmm. But... Uh, Look, uh, Gabby worked with Bill Boyd, too, and uh, Hopalong Cassidy. You did a couple of pictures with Gabby, didn't you? Oh, uh, he worked with me in a lot of pictures. Oh, uh, sure. Yes, we, we did uh, quite a few of them. Well, now, when I came to California, I went over the Santa Susana Pass, and I said, I, that's where I've spent a lot of my time, in, in the motion picture theater. Those big rocks, <laughs> that's where you had a lot of those gunfights. <laughs> oh, yes, I know what you're talking about up there, Iverson's Ranch. You used to go on location where else? Well, I used to go on location. We shot a lot of them up at Kernville. You know what Kernville is? Uh -huh. We shot a lot of my pictures at Kernville. A lot of them was uh, done in... Uh, Lone Pine, right up there. I uh, made a, a picture up in Death Valley, and it was July, and I understood very well why they called it Death Valley. It was hot. And, uh, you know, it's about uh, 300 feet or 400 feet below sea level. And uh, right north of there, you know, why... Uh, you have Mount uh, Wendy. Yes. Uh, the mountain up there is over 14,000 feet high. So uh, then I shot a lot of them at Pioneer Town, as you say. I, I, a lot of them I shot at... Uh, I made a picture up at Mammoth Lake. I don't mm -hmm. know if you know what yeah, that I is do. not. Sure. Made some pictures there and at Big Bear. So we went all around in those days. All right, let's say hello to Frank. Good morning, Frank. You're on with Gene Autry. Yes, Gene, my favorite cowboy. Well, thank you very much. Gene, I have a, uh, an article here. It pasted in my uh, baby book. My uh, mother pasted it into, into it, it, it into it. And uh, uh, I'll read uh, some of the things to you that... Uh, he won a boys' calf roping contest at the age of 12. And you're the author of 200 songs. Of course, this is some time ago. And also, once you were thrown by a bull at the Chicago Stockyards. Well, that part is correct, yes. I was thrown by a bull. But uh, I don't think that uh, the one of me uh, roping calves at 12 years old, I don't think that I ever did that. I, I might have uh, when I was 15 or 16, but I don't remember ever trying to rope calves or anything at that age. All right, Frank, thank you very much. Uh, when we come back, we'll be talking with Marjorie in New Haven, Connecticut. My guest, Gene Autry. This is Ray Bream on 790 KABC Los Angeles. Talk radio for Southern California. Right now, the Furnishings 2000 Grand Opening Holiday Sale. The brand new Furnishings 2000 Redondo Beach is open. 4225 Artesia Boulevard, right across from the South Bay Galleria. All Furnishings 2000s are celebrating right now with fabulous sale prices in every department store-wide. Living rooms, dining rooms, bedrooms, bedding, and more. Traditional to contemporary, it's all here. And this isn't the furniture you find all over town. This is the furniture just right for you. On sale, this beautiful five-piece brass and glass dinette. You get the table, four matching chairs, the complete five-piece dinette. 
sale price, $388. Take this three-piece queen wall bedroom. It's beautiful. You get the queen headboard with pop-up storage units, the lights, even the two matching nightstands. All three pieces together, sale price, just $988. An instant credit of the $1,500 with your good credit. What are you waiting for? Join me, Tom Campbell, right here at Furnishings 2000 Now. 13 stores in the greater L.A. area. Visit their new stores at 200 South La Brea Avenue and in Glendale at 119 North Central Avenue. More money for new police. Up to $120 million for new police officers on patrol. We know we need them, but how can we afford them? Proposition P, the Palisades Inland Energy Project. Up to $275 million in earmarked royalties and revenues without new taxes. Proposition P, approved as environmentally safe by the City Council, the Coastal Commission, and the Supreme Court. Yes on Proposition P. Proposition O on the November ballot equals zero. Zero dollars for new police. Zero dollars for schools. Zero dollars to crack down on toxic waste. There's only one place Proposition O doesn't mean zero. Proposition O could cost the city and its taxpayers as much as $1.3 billion in legal liability for breaking a city agreement. That's an awful lot to pay for nothing. Vote no on Proposition O. Endorsed and sponsored by the Los Angeles Public and Coastal Protection Committee, Occidental Petroleum, and the Los Angeles Police Protective League. Where can you find the best bagels in Southern California? How about the best French fries, the best meatloaf, even the best Chinese chicken salad? I'm Merrill Schindler, and that's exactly what you'll find out every week on Dining Out with Merrill Schindler, part of KBC's brand new weekend lineup. Every Saturday from 5 till 7 in the evening. Where can you find the best onion rings? Find out on Dining Out with Merrill Schindler this afternoon on KBC AM 790, the home of talk radio. If you're calling from Los Angeles, dial 520, followed by the word TALK. T-A-L-K follows all of our numbers. For the San Fernando Valley, dial 990. The San Gabriel Valley, 448. In Burbank, 244. And in Compton, dial 639. And then, TALK. Gene, is that a multiple recording? Drifting uh, the tumbleweeds. Tumbleweeds, I've done it two or three different times. And uh, I do it differently every time I, I make a record of it, I guess. That was the title of the first picture I made out here, the first feature. Well, that sounds like a multiple recording. Well, I don't know what... what sounds like that. Sounds, sounds like that you're singing with yourself. Well, I don't think so. Mm. I was going to say, you beat uh, Barry yeah. Ford and Les Paul and oh, there was Patty a group, Page. There that. was a group with me, oh, I'm sure. I see. All right, let's go to uh, New Haven, Connecticut, and Marjorie. Hello, Marjorie. You're on with Gene Autry. Well, the thrill of my life. And, Ray, uh, good morning and hello, Gene Autry. On behalf of three generations, my parents, the eight kids, but especially my son, and I want to see... If you remember Rusty the Rockin' Horse, Bucky the Buckin' Bronco, you had a whole series, and I have all of them, in 1951 with Carl Cartner Orchestra. Yes, that's correct. The unbreakable records, and Ray, to this day, maybe you'll recall some of them, maybe, no, Ray was a little older, I guess, the Red Caboose. 
The engine that could. Yes, I remember those. Uh, yes, I do. Cottontail, but you also did all the musical stories, Peter and the Wolf, and that was Night Before Christmas. I have all of them, but my mother loved you, my three sisters loved you, those dreamy, or every three generations, you are fantastic. Well, thank you very much. Well, I've been in your city of New Haven. I've played up there several times, Hartford and... Uh, and uh, New Haven, and I've played all of those towns up in that part of the country, and I've always enjoyed it, too. Well, America America needs... I, I feel sorry for this generation that's coming up now, because what they're seeing and hearing, uh, they've missed a great deal, but I have a library of all your records, and it's, I'm going to hang up and let someone else talk. Thanks, Ray, and Jean Autry, you are... Uh, we love you. Well, thank you very much, and I appreciate uh, your support, too. Thank you, Marjorie. You know, so so much of the political scene today, Gene, is uh, a put-down of traditional values that we once had. Uh, Senator Dan Quayle, when he said in his debate the other night that uh, the first thing he'd do would be to pray. Uh, there were titters in the audience, and that drove me up the wall. Well, there's nothing wrong with a prayer now and then. I'll tell you, I think that uh, a prayer is something that, it's, uh, that uh, the younger generation has got away from too much. They should think about uh, how lucky that we are in this country, and they should say a prayer every night before they go to bed. Amen. You uh, have great feelings about this country and the land of opportunity that it still is. Well, I certainly do, and uh, I take myself more or less as an example. Where else in the world could uh, a guy come along, and born in a situation, a little town, a little community, and uh, uh, to achieve what little I have achieved. I don't know of any place in the world where people have an opportunity to do that. Mm. Hopefully it's going to remain that way. I hope so, too. Let's go to uh, Guadalupe, California, or is it Guadalupe? Guadalupe. Guadalupe. All right. Myrtle, you're on with Gene Autry. Oh, hi, Gene. How are you, Myrtle? I'm just fine, thank you. And I just want to ask you, uh, what year was it that they changed the name of Berwyn to Gene Autry? I believe that was maybe 19, uh, let's see here, 1945, I believe. Well, I was... Uh, you were there. I was, uh, my little hometown is Doherty, and if you know... Oh, sure, I know where Doherty is. Oklahoma. Absolutely. And uh, uh, we went down, we were all a bunch of kids, and we went down when they changed the name from... Uh, well, it was a lot of fun, yes. I uh, I did a, a show there that picked up my program, Melody Ranch. Uh, and I remember that uh, they had a, a string of uh, boxcars uh -huh. out there, and uh, the Santa Fe Railroad came through there, and they had a lot of those flat cars, and they set us up on there. I never saw so many people in my life. And we got to go down and shake hands with you. Well, that's good. Well, there was a lot of people. Uh-huh, sure was, yeah. So I was back there a year ago, and... And, uh, but I've never been back down since the year of the I see. Well, there was a big airport there during World War uh -huh. II, so uh, uh -huh. uh, I get there very seldom anymore, but uh, I still remember it. Yes. Okay, well, thank you. I'll let someone else have the line. All right, thank you, Myrtle. Uh -huh. uh, the uh, 
idea of having a, a town named after you, I don't think that happens very often. Is there another town like that anywhere in the United States? I don't think so. Well, there must be, but I, I don't know really myself. I think uh, there are towns like, named after a lot of the people who are in show business. All right, uh, we'll take a break, and we'll come right back with my guest, Gene Autry. This is Ray Bream on 790 KABC Los Angeles, talk radio for Southern California. Beach Lincoln Mercury in Huntington Beach has the largest inventory of Lincoln and Continentals in their history. But that's where the problem begins. You see, Beach Lincoln Mercury needs to move this big inventory off their lot now so they can make room for the 89s. Now, I know you've heard that before, but it's true. Beach Lincoln Mercury says they'll slash prices and slash again until you get the car you like at the price you love. You have by far the best opportunities in town to own a Lincoln, a Continental, a Mark, or a town car. So what are you waiting for? Get in your car now and drive to Beach Lincoln Mercury in Huntington Beach, the President's Customer Satisfaction Award-winning dealership for two years in a row. Beach Lincoln Mercury, just off the 405 freeway at Beach Boulevard in Huntington Beach. Now, if you want more information, call in area code 714-848-7739. That's area code 714-848-7739, Beach, Lincoln Mercury. On Wednesday, October 12th at 7.30 p.m., the law offices of Robert Otis will be conducting a free seminar called How to Avoid Probate and Save Taxes with a Living Trust. Now, anyone who owns a home and has a will or is thinking of making out a will should make plans to meet Mr. Otis. Now, you'll learn all of the advantages of the Living Trust, which is very similar to a will. But there are many advantages for you with the Living Trust, such as tremendous tax savings, quick and uncontested settlements, and you'll eliminate expensive probate fees and costs. Control what happens to your estate. It's easier for you, and it's easier for your beneficiaries. The seminar is Wednesday, October 12th at 7.30 p.m. at the Warner Center Marriott. Seating is limited. Call now for a reservation. 1-800-843-4646. No charge for your attendance. That number again. 1-800-843-4646. 1-800-843-4646. Car with license number BJS472. Please move it. Junior, get out of that candy. Clean up in aisle five. Mrs. Watson, your prescription is ready. Mrs. Watson, your prescription is ready. Has the task of filling a prescription turned into a circus act? Try the medicine shop. Fast service, low prices, and personal attention are guaranteed. By selling only prescriptions and health care items, your medicine shop pharmacist has time to get to know you. Now, whether you're looking for everyday low prices, fast service, personal attention, or just the great selection of health care products, your neighborhood medicine shop is the pharmacy you should get to know. And next time you're in a participating medicine shop, ask for a free photo of yours truly, Ray Brayman. Mention KABC for $2 off on your first prescription. Visit Mark Talon Fullerton at 1119 Orange Thorpe or Bean Bouchard in Lancaster at 44203 10th Street West or Joyce Tawa in Los Angeles, 4832 Hollywood Boulevard. The Medicine Shop. KABC, Talk Radio 790. <laughs> From Los Angeles, dial 
Compton, dial 639, and then talk. My guest is Gene Autry, and let's go back to the phones. We've got uh, Glenna, I guess it is, on the uh, line. Is that right? Yes. Glenna, in Arcadia, California. You're on with Gene Autry. Thank you. Hello, Mr. Autry. Yeah, hello there. How are you? I'm just fine. How well, are you? Well, I'm doing very well, I think. Good. Uh, I think we were at a rodeo uh, December 7th, 1941. Were you at a rodeo? Yes, I did. And you were at a rodeo when the war broke out? Uh, yes. Burbank. In Burbank, California. Yes, I, th I, I I remember that very well when the war broke out. <laughs> I had a rodeo, yes, I did, but I wasn't uh, there. The day the war wo broke out, I was doing a radio program. I remember that very much. That's right, and, it was a Sunday and you had Melody Ranch. That's right, I had Melody Ranch and I was on, and uh, they uh, had to cut us off for uh, the uh, news from the invasion over in Hawaii. Oh, it was terrible, wasn't it? My dad won the championship at that rodeo, the all-around championship. Oh, he did? Well, I, I had a rodeo, but uh, that particular day, well, I, I was doing my show. I remembered you from the night before being there, but I couldn't remember if you were there that day. I was only eight at the time. <laughs> I see. Well, all right. Well, it's all nice to talk to you. To you, too. You brought back memories when you talked about Abe Lefton. Oh, yes. There was no one like him ever. That's correct. I agree with you there, Ray. <laughs> and he's in the uh, uh, Cowboy Hall of Fame. Yes, he is. And I think that you are, too, aren't you? Yes, that's right. That's correct. Uh, the Cowboy Hall of Fame is where? Oklahoma? Oklahoma City. Right. That's correct. All right. Thank you very much, uh, Glenna. We go to uh, Salt Lake City and Norma. Norma, good morning. Good morning, gentlemen. Ray, thank you for having quality and interesting shows. Well, thank you, and thank Gene Autry for coming. Oh. We've been working on this thing for several years. <laughs> Gene Autry, you have entertained me for hundreds of hours with your beautiful music. Well, I appreciate that very much, and I want to thank you for supporting me. And uh, Oh, and you were such a favorite in Ogden, Utah. In Ogden, Utah. Oh. I don't know. I've got to talk to Ray about that. We've had a lot of calls from I Ogden. Guess, I guess it's Ogden night tonight. <laughs> <laughs> and this is going to be your lucky year with your baseball team. Well, thank you. I hope so. And instead of saying goodbye, I hope you'll give me a birthday hello or a wave. Well, all right. I'll just say so long until next time. And thanks to both of you. Thank you, Norma. Bye. Bye-bye. Let's go to Maysville, Oklahoma and say hello to Wanda. Wanda, you're on with Gene Autry. Good, good morning to you and uh, Ray, to you and Gene. It's good to hear an Oklahoma cowboy. Well, thank you very much. It's good to talk to you. We've enjoyed so much over the years. I just wish it was, wish it was back good like it was then. Well, maybe it will be again. Right. Um, were you in Oklahoma when Wiley Post was here? Yes, I knew Wiley Post. I uh, didn't know him well, but I did know Wiley Post, yes. Uh-huh. Well, he would land his plane here on the hill by Maysville, and the boys would run and get ropes to tie it down. No, that that was not me. I, I uh, knew Wiley Post. But uh, I saw Will Rogers uh, at a rodeo out here in California at the old Gilmore Stadium uh, just about a week before he was killed. Uh -huh. And uh, I talked to him, and he said, when uh, I'm going around the world with the Wiley Post, and said, when I get back, 
Well, I said, we'll have lunch and we'll have a last long mm -hmm. talk. And I said, fine. And, of course, you know what happened. He never came back. Right. Oklahoma lost two good people then. Well, thank you very much. And we're proud of the, uh, the Cowboy Hall of Fame being in Oklahoma City. Good luck. Yes, it's a very nice place. I've got to get to that place because uh, I feel like uh, my youth is uh, very much wrapped up in that. And... Uh, see all the, the heroes of my young life, and you're one of them, Gene. Well, thank you very much. You can have a, uh, out here at this museum we have, we have uh, some wonderful characters. We have uh, the gun that uh, uh, Theodore Roosevelt carried. We have his rifle. Really? And we have his jacket, and we have uh, uh, Custer's uh, uh, pistol, the gun that he had. Now, that's going to open here very shortly, about a month. Yes, October 22nd is the uh, opening. Less than a month. Uh, Just a couple of weeks. Well, it'll be a little longer than that. That's November, I should oh, say. November. November 22nd. That's correct. All right, let's say hello here to... Uh, oh, we have to take a break here first. My guest is the one and only Gene Autry. This is Ray Bream on 790 KABC Los Angeles. Talk radio for Southern California. To New York City and Rosemary. Rosemary, you're on with Gene Autry. Hi, Gene. This That's is Rosemary from New York City. How are you? Oh, I'm fine. And how are you tonight? Oh, I'm fine. This is the most exciting evening of my life. I tell you, you have been my idol for so many years, and my whole childhood was wrapped up in... Uh, you. Uh, I slept every night with your picture under my pillow. My father ran with me through streets of Dayton, Ohio on his shoulders so I could see you at Bond Drive. I went to your rodeos. I, uh, uh, I got in fights with all the kids in the schoolyards because they named Roy Rogers the king of the cowboys while you were serving in the army. And they didn't name you that. But, uh, oh, I can't imagine all the things. But I wanted to ask you about Phantom of the Empire, which was the first and only cowboy sci-fi picture. Could you tell me something about filming that? Well, uh, that, that uh, was the first serial that was made of uh, the science fiction uh, background, I guess, and it was far ahead of its time, and quite frankly, I, I don't know uh, why I happened to be the one to, to do it, but uh, it was uh, way ahead of its time, and I had a lot of fun uh, making the picture, and uh, it was uh, in uh, 1934, just about this time of the year, too, is either October or November, I forget which. But you were speaking of Roy. He's a fine fellow. He's a good friend of mine, too. And uh, I see Roy quite often. And uh, he lives up here in uh, Victorville. So uh, uh, I'm glad to hear the, hear you say that, uh, that you like Roy, because well, he is a swell guy. Well, I would come home from school every night and write you a letter. And I never understood why you didn't answer, because I invited you and Champion to come to my house and I would give Champion straw to eat. And on my 21st birthday, my mother handed me the stack of letters wrapped with a ribbon because she thought they were too cute to mail. Well, well, I appreciate <laughs> that. Well, sometimes, you know, it's almost impossible to answer every letter that you get. And I, uh, I still get a lot of mail, and uh, it's almost impossible to answer all of them. I know. Well, you never got any of them because my mother never sent them. <laughs> well, uh, thank you, well, Rosemary. Thank you. Bye-bye. <laughs> <Thank you. laughs> <laughs> 
do do you get mail from youngsters regarding Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer? I, I still get pictures right now because uh, of those pictures that uh, Pat and I uh, did the wrap-ups on. Mm-hmm. Why, you'd be surprised at the number of letters that I get. I'm getting thousands of letters still about uh, those uh, 93 films that I made that they're showing. Amazing. We'll be right back. My guest, Gene Autry. This is Talk Radio. I'm Ray Brain. For the last round Get along, little dog, get along. KABC Talk Radio 790. You are my sunshine, my only sunshine. You make me happy when skies are gray. Los Angeles, the number is 520, followed by Talk, T-A-L-K. All Talk Radio 79 numbers are followed by the word Talk. Orange County, 714 area, dial 750. And the 213 area, dial 448. The South Bay area, 679. And the San Fernando Valley, dial 990. And then Talk. All right, to uh, Leanne in the San Fernando Valley. She calls at her home, and uh, you're on with Gene Autry. Go ahead. Good evening, sirs. Hello, how are you? Fine, thank you. That's good. Do y'all have our sesquicentennial Lone Ranger first edition for your uh, museum? The Lone Ranger? Texas Rangers. The Texas Rangers? Uh-huh. Yes, I uh, I was made a captain in the, uh, of the nope. Texas Rangers, honorary captain, way back in 1936. Really? I, That's right, I yes. Know if you had our, you know, the last one they had for our sesquicentennial at Waco? Yes, I was down there for that. I know you were. Yes. It's in my book. It's totally, I was just going to say, if y'all didn't have it, I'd be very happy to let you have mine. Well, I appreciate that very much, and uh, uh, I'll take you up on that if you'll mail it to me. Uh, I'd be happy to have it. All right. Yes, I I, made, I was there. I made a picture down there in Dallas and Fort Worth uh-huh. uh, for the uh, 100th anniversary of the Texas Rangers. And then I was at Waco for the 150th anniversary so at the fun. Texas Rangers. And I remember that Paul Whiteman and his band was appearing down there in Fort Worth for... Uh, for, and Billy Rose was the was the producer of it, and Whiteman had all the all the boys in the band dressed with boots and big hats. Uh huh. I was in Waco then. Oh yes. And well, I would appreciate it if you just send that to me uh, at five eight five eight Sunset Boulevard in Hollywood. I would appreciate the book very much. That's fifty eight fifty eight Sunset. Yes. All right. Uh, thank you, Leanne. Let's go to Palm Springs and Perry. Hello, Perry. You're on with Gene Autry. How are you doing, Mr. Autry? I'm fine, Perry. How are you? Um, I've got a question. Yes. I've lived in the valley down here for 23 years. 
And, and I know that you're a local visitor and you come down all the time. Oh, yes. What is your opinion of the changes that has happened in the Palm Springs, Coachella, Indio area lately? Well, of course, uh, I've been uh, uh, in Palm Springs for a number of years. In fact, Al Balka, the Angels, trained there and have trained there since uh, 1961. And uh, I remember uh, Palm Springs when it was just a small little village and everybody had a good time. And now, while well, it's getting to be a, a big city, it's practically built up all the way from uh, Indio all the way up to Palm Springs. Kind of like you go from one end to the other and you don't notice the difference. Well, I notice the difference when I go down there. My wife... I understand uh, what you mean, Mr. Autry. What's that? Um, I understand what you mean about noticing the difference, but will your team, the Angels, they're thinking of changing venue. Well, we've, we've thought about that because, uh, uh, well, it's a long story. I won't go into it. But uh, uh, we'll be there this year, though. We'll be back there this spring. All right, Perry, thank you very much. Let's go to Tucson, Arizona. We have Virginia on the line. Virginia, you're on with Gene Autry. Thank you. Mr. Beam, thank you for allowing me to speak to Mr. Autry. Well, this... In 1949, he was at Madison Square Garden, and he brought some of his troop and came out to Bellevue Hospital to entertain the patients. I have never known anyone to have spread as much joy and happiness among the unfortunates. His, your imitation of bring me a fireside, I want to make a chat, I can still hear. Oh, yes, I did that for uh, Franklin D. Roosevelt. I know you did. Uh, tell me about that. What is that? Oh, uh, I, I'd rather be right than president. <laughs> that's, that's right. Well, that was years ago. I used to do an imitation of Franklin D. Roosevelt. Did you? And uh, I was uh, at the White House uh, for lunch with him, and uh, I gave him a hat. And uh, he made a, he accepted the hat, and uh, I used to do an in, but, uh, imitation of the president when he uh, uh, would do that. And I would say, Mr. Audrey, as one country boy to another, I will accept your hat, and I will wear it as long as I'm in the White House, and then I shall take it to my little home in Hyde Park. <laughs> well, your cowboys put little boys on their horses, and I have never seen such joy and such happiness. And many, many times, I'm a registered nurse, and I was working at Bellevue, and I helped wheel the patients out on litters and in wheelchairs. Yes, I know that. I remember going to Bellevue. I took my horse down there, and I think I took Little Champion down there, too. Yes, well, I, I just want you to know that you spread so much happiness, and you gave so many people lovely memories, and I'm so happy I could tell you. Well, thank you very much. Long and happy life. Thank you very much, Virginia. Let's go to Blaine, Minnesota. We have Don on the line. Don, you're on with Gene Autry. Uh, hello, Gene. Yes, how are you? Very good. Thank you. Yes, I wanted to share something with you from uh, uh, when I was a small child back in 1947, when it was Christmas Eve, and uh, Santa Claus was to bring our uh, radio phonograph combination. And uh, we kids were already gone to bed, sleeping, 
And all of a sudden, my folks had to try out that new machine while we were, uh, after we were gone to bed. And I guess they had the volume turned way up or whatever. <laughs> and uh, that song, Here Comes Santa Claus, uh, came on very, very loud. We all woke up. And we had a two-story house. We all came running down the stairs as kids. And uh, <laughs> my folks says, what did we do now? <laughs> and she says, well, you might as well see what Santa Claus brought. But uh, Gene Autry, here comes Santa Claus, the very first song. Well, I thank you very much. Yes, that goes back a long, long time back. I think I recorded that in uh, 1945, maybe. Yeah, well, we had, that was our first record in our home, played on our machine. And every year we think of that as we Christmas time well, comes along, how he came running down the stairs and Gene Autry was... <laughs> well, thank you very much. That's a funny thing, Ray. They, you're asking how did you get the idea. Well, I was the Grand Marshal of the Hollywood Parade, you know, the Christmas uh -huh. Parade yes. on the Hollywood Boulevard. And as I was riding along, when the kids were sitting all along on the sidewalk, and it was waving at me on the horse, and, and I could hear them saying, oh, here comes Santa Claus, here comes Santa Claus. So I made a note of that, and I wrote the song. When I and got you back wrote to that it, song? I wrote that song. Yeah, sure did. Right down Santa Claus Lane. That's right. We'll be right back with Gene Autry and that uh, great lane of memories. Don't go away. This is Ray Bream on 790 KABC Los Angeles. Talk radio for Southern California. We're waging a mean, cruel war on the streets of Los Angeles County. I'm Sheriff Sherman Block. Crime, drug abuse, and gang violence have led to death and human suffering. Law enforcement is the first line of defense and needs constant support. When we needed to expand our drug and gang units, Supervisor Mike Antonovich responded. We doubled our personnel. Mike sponsored a program which assigned a special county prosecutor to the U.S. Attorney's Office. Now, under a new federal law, drug dealers convicted for pushing near schools receive swift and long-term prison sentences. Law enforcement needs tough, strong support. We can count on Mike Antonovich. So can you. Keep Mike on the job. Like everyone, my husband and I fear the effects of crime and drugs on our society. Re-elect Supervisor Mike Antonovich. He's fighting for our community, our families, and our children's future. Paid for by Antonovich 88. Have you ever been in this situation? It's Saturday, and you need a lot of cash, more than you can get from an automatic teller machine. And you say to yourself, Oh, no, it's Saturday and my bank is closed. It's Saturday and my bank is closed. Well, that isn't a problem for customers of First Federal. First Federal Savings Bank of California. They're open every Saturday, and not just for token hours. Every First Federal branch is open from 9 in the morning until 3 in the afternoon, most of the business day. So you can get cash or open a new account, access your safe deposit box, or transact business of any type. First Federal Savings Bank, personal service that goes above and beyond. That's pretty nice for a change, don't you think? First Federal Savings Bank of California, open every Saturday from 9 a.m. to 3 p.m. Offices located throughout the Southland. Hershiser a look, and the pitch to Wilson. Mookie, a ground ball to Griffin. He's on the bag and doubles him at first. Beat New York! Beat New York! Beat New York! Beat New York! 
Game 3 of the League Championship Series as the Dodgers and the Mets battle for the National League crown. Later today at 9 on AM 790 KABC. certain secret to that? <laughs> In the early days when I started making records, why, uh, Jimmy Rogers, uh, a great yodeler, was a good friend of mine. I, I had met Jimmy uh, several years uh, ago, and uh, I uh, more or less took out uh, after him because there was nobody yodeling in those days. And I think that had a lot to do with my uh, uh, getting started in records because there was no competition. It was Jimmy That's and me. That's true. All right, we have Mabel on the line from Linwood, California. Mabel, you're on with Gene Autry. Thank you, Ray. Hello, Gene. Hello there. How are you? Well, I am fine, and you? Well, I'm doing pretty good. That's good. Glad to hear it. Um, I grew up in the Midwest, and as when we were very young, when we were married, and we used to walk about a mile and a half to town to go to your movies and carry our little daughter. She was home this summer visiting my daughter, my grandchildren, and my great-grandchildren. We were discussing the old movies and movie stars and everything, and we were talking about the horses and everything in your shows. Uh, we remembered the name of your horse was Champion, but we couldn't remember the name of Smiley's horse nor a Pat's horse. Well, uh, uh, Smiley Burnett's horse was called Ring Eye. And if you notice, he was a white horse, but he had a black uh, circle around his eye. Huh? And the reason they did that, uh, uh, he had been uh, a horse with a fire, uh, uh, pulled a fire engine. Mm -hmm. And every time he'd hear a bell ring and a whistle, why, he would run. And they had to have a horse that uh, was easy to uh, uh, to pick out of a herd of horses. Mm -hmm. And in, in a posse, and they could always uh, uh, get ring-eyed. They could always see him. And that's how Smiley got the horse called Ring-Eyed. <laughs> Speaking of Smiley Burnett, he, he did a song... When I was a kid, I loved Catfish, Take a Look at That Worm. That's right. <laughs> oh, yes. He, uh, I tell you, I have a, a song that uh, Smiley wrote called, Well, am I to come a-fishing? You remember that one? That, that was the one. Yeah, well, Smiley wrote that song. I'm thinking it over. A good writer. Yes, he was. All right, let's uh, say hello to Kenny in Brooklyn. Hello, Kenny. You're on with Gene Autry. Hello, Ray. Hello, Gene. Hello there. How are you? I want to talk, say something to you, Ray. Yes. Okay. It's been raining since before 8 o'clock tonight. It's still raining in, um, in New York and Brooklyn. That's all right, but we're going to play tomorrow. Yeah, it's supposed to rain tomorrow also, some intimate rain. Well, uh, now, uh, have, have a little faith there, there, Kenny. Well, maybe it'll clear up. Listen, I want to, okay, I want to, the baseball, I want to ask you something, Gene. Yes. You say he was captain in the Texas Rangers. Yes. Right. Do you remember Trigger Man Hammer? 
No, I don't. Before your time, he killed Bonnie and Clyde. Oh, is that right? No, I oh, I know about that, but I, I didn't know him. No, I did not. Well, he's a fiend's legend. Yes, I would I would say he is, yes. Sixteen men with the, with the Texas Rangers and eight with the FBI. There was a, a woman governor in Texas that time. Yes, Ma Ferguson. Yeah, so he quit the Texas Rangers and went and joined the FBI because they were the, he didn't like to be a, a woman governor. Yes, well, I think that she perhaps was the first woman governor I can remember. Yeah. Can you imagine we talk about the feminists? No woman, uh, back then they had a woman governor. Yeah, oh, they did? Well, maybe so, but uh, that was the only woman governor that I knew of. No, there was a You're You're correct. There was a, a lady that was governor much later. All right, Kenny, thank you. Let's go to Miami Beach, Florida, and Ruth. Hello, Ruth. You're on with Gene Autry. Thank you. Gene? Yes. This is Mrs. Rosa. I wrote you a letter. I told you my father had one of your horses. Yes. And you sent me a picture of the champ that you autographed for us. Why, is that right? Oh, yes. Well, I thank you very much, then, for calling us tonight. And I was so glad to hear you were on the radio. You've well, always been my favorite cowboy. Well, I appreciate that. And I never missed any of your pictures. Well, I need all the support I can get, and I thank you. And I also sent you a get-well card when you were in the hospital. You know, you know who, I don't know if you remember or not, my name is Mrs. Ruth Rosa. I don't know about that. <laughs> I have a beautiful picture of you and Camp. Well, I'm sure glad to hear that. All right, Ruth, thank you very much. Let's say hello to Pete in Whittier, California. Pete, you're on with Gene Autry. Good morning, gentlemen. Good morning. Good morning. It certainly is a, a fantastic serendipity to know that you're on the air and I'm actually talking to you. Well, that's all right. I'm easy to talk to every time you uh, you can while you say hello. Well, thank you. I just wanted to really say when I was a little fella growing up in, in Flagstaff, Arizona. Oh, yes. Well, we used to head on down to the show on Saturdays and, and look forward to all your movies out there. And uh, I really liked the way your movies were done because it always you always wore that white hat and rode old champ and, and took care of them rustlers for them ranchers out there. And it was a nice thing to see that uh, you rounded them up and went. they went to jail and stayed there, it seemed like. Well, thank you very much, and that's a nice city there, Flagstaff. I've been there many, many times. Well, thank you, and I hope your angels do it for you, and uh, you'll beat the Dodgers next year. <laughs> <laughs> well, I would like that, and I think that the Dodgers would love to do it, too. Well, thank you. That would be the, the really uh, the great freeway World Series. That would be sensational. That's right. Uh, all right. Thank you, Pete. Uh, we have Vivian in New York City. Vivian, you're on with Gene Autry. Good morning, gentlemen. I wonder if Mr. Autry remembers being in the American Express in Paris in the late 50s. In the late 60s? Yeah, 50s. 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 About 58, 50, yeah, 57, 58. Yes. Oh, you do? Well, I couldn't speak much English then, and uh, I was sort of a gangly teenager, and I asked you for an autograph, and you very kindly gave it to me, and I'll never forget it. Well, thank you very much. Well, uh, you speak very good English now. I can understand you very well. <laughs> yes, I've learned a lot since. I'm not as young as I used to be then. <laughs> well, no, I hope so. But uh, I did enjoy your, uh, I mean, you're on in New York um, on a certain cable channel uh, almost every day, lunchtime, about 12 o'clock. Is that right? That's yes. the Nashville Network. Yes, well, and thank you very much. It's very nice, and I have two sons, and they watch it, and... Uh, 
like you very much also, so I just want to thank you. All right, where are you from? Uh, originally? Paris. Yes. Paris. From Paris? Yes. That's a nice city, too. Uh, oh, I think it's the most gorgeous city in the world. <laughs> <laughs> well, all right, well, thank you for calling me. All right, thank well, you. Bye-bye. Uh, the, um, the pictures that you would do, uh, a lot of people say you just ground them out. I'm not sure that that's the, the proper way to, to describe them, but you didn't take too long to do a picture, I guess. No, we did about, uh, 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 oh, I'd say uh, 10 or 12 days. And when you think that some major motion pictures take uh, a year to do. Oh, yes. Yes, there's a lot of them that take a long, long time. I think that uh, Wayne Wayne made a, a lot of program pictures, though, with me over at Republic. He and I were very close friends. In fact, we were the two, uh, the only two stars that uh, Republic Pictures had. You could uh, write a whole book about uh, Republic Pictures. Oh, gosh, yeah. I could. And uh, with Wayne, he, he was my buddy. We had a lot of fun. I've got, uh, I've got a picture that uh, old Duke signed for me and he said, uh, Dear Gene, a uh, lot of water's gone under the bridge. A lot of whiskey, too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, John was a wonderful guy, good friend of mine, big-hearted, and we, we miss him. Did you have a hard time learning lines? Not too much. I, could, I, uh, I think I put in enough time probably in radio Mm -hmm. And uh, I, I can memorize lines a lot faster than I can now, really. And uh, acting, did it just sort of come naturally? Well, I never was uh, the greatest actor in the world. I wasn't a Lionel Barrymore or a John Barrymore or someone like that. And uh, I more or less tried to just tried to be natural and play Gene Autry. That's the, about all that I could do. You were playing yourself. So there was no use for me to try to change it, because I might mess it up. <laughs> <laughs> My guest, the one and only Gene Autry. This is Ray Bream on 790 KABC Los Angeles, talk radio for Southern California. One last call. We have Dorothy on the line. Dorothy, you're on with Gene Autry. Hi, Gene. Yes, hello, Dorothy. How are you? Well, I'm just fine. I... Uh, I was at Mascot on the switchboard when you made that serial, and then we went out to the old Max Studios. That's correct. And I was there for a long time. We used to sit in the dailies with you, and well, Andy Schaefer, and Nat Levine. Yes. And the whole group, and you were always a nice guy. Well, I appreciate that very much. Yes, that uh, uh, the studio out there was built by... Uh, uh, Max Sennett, and uh, then it was, it became Mascot, and, and then about that time, why Mascot Pictures and Monogram Pictures uh, merged, and it was uh, formed uh, and called Republic Pictures, and John Wayne's contract came over there for Monogram, and Mascot uh, had me, and I became Republic. So John Wayne and I were the two only stars they had at that time. 
All right, thank you very much, Dorothy. And uh, Gene Autry, thank you for being with us. It's uh, over and above the call of duty, and I appreciate that. Well, Ray, it was a pleasure for me to be here with you because I listen to you, too, a lot of times. I wake up in the middle of the night, and I tune you in, and I listen to you. And uh, I want to thank you for making it possible for me to talk to a lot of my fans and those that called me. And uh, thank you for all the support you gives me all these years support the angels and i'll never forget you we're going to keep our fingers crossed next year is the year for the angels i hope so ray thank you thank you gene autry this is talk radio i'm ray brain god bless rudolph the red-nosed reindeer you go down in history k-a-b-c talk radio 790 and your host, Dice Rowland. <laughs> Thanks so much, Johnny. By golly. Hello, everyone. You know, by golly, it's time now for the big dollars, big question. Dan and Doris, two beautiful people from Dayton. Are you ready? Ready, Dice. Big dollars, big dollars. Okay, here we go. For all the money, tell me what were Dillinger's last words as the feds closed in on him. Gee, you got me. By golly, that's right, Dan. You win the big dollars. Tell me, Doris and Dan, you beautiful kids, how are you going to spend all that money, huh? Oh, that's easy. We agreed on it before we came on the show. We're putting our money in U.S. savings bonds. Fabulous, fabulous Johnny, sweetheart. Tell them how they can play at home. Well, if you've been thinking about savings for years, now's your chance. No matter what your game, U.S. savings bonds are a great American investment. They pay competitive rates like money market accounts. They're free from state and local income tax. They're guaranteed to be safe. And you can buy them for as little as $25 at your bank. U.S. savings bonds, the great American investment. Find out more. Call 1-800-US-BONDS. <laughs> Thanks so much, Johnny. We'll be right back. This is KABC Los Angeles, talk radio for Southern California. It's 2 o'clock. From ABC News, I'm Mary Margaret Myers. Exactly one month from today, voters go to the polls to pick the man who will lead the nation for the next four years. And let's move into December 14th, 1949, The Great Doge We Show. The Kraft Foods Company, makers of Kraft Quality Foods, presents Harold Perry as the Great Gildersleeve. The Great Gildersleeve is brought to you by the Kraft Foods Company, makers of the famous cheese food, Velveeta. Everybody goes for Velveeta's rich yet mild cheddar cheese flavor in snacks, in sandwiches, and in hot dishes. And Velveeta, you know, helps supply important food values from milk and is as digestible as milk itself. That's why smart homemakers keep Velveeta on hand regularly to spread or slice and to melt for grand economical hot dishes. Tomorrow... Get Velveeta, the cheese food of craft quality. Well, it's a crisp, cold night in Summerfield. Here and there, a lighted Christmas tree glows warmly in a window. Holly wreaths have begun to appear. The ground is white with new snow, and it's still falling. Big fat flakes that cling to the porches and the trees. 
and to the brim of the great Gildersleeve's hat as he hurries down his front steps. Makes a cautious turn as he reaches the sidewalk. And then strides gaily up the street toward Catherine Milford's house. Deck the halls with boughs of holly. Fa la 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 la. Tis the season to be jolly. Fa la 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 la. What? Wait for me! Leroy, I wouldn't run so fast. These sidewalks are slippery. Sure, I can slide even. Look here. Uh, pretty good. <laughs> this is the one time those big feet come in handy. <laughs> Better than skis, Leroy. Where are you going, Unc? Well, I thought I'd be dropping in at Miss Milford's for a while this evening. Can I walk with you? I'm going to Piggy's house. They're putting up their tree tonight. We're going to decorate it. Well, good. Uh, don't stand on the furniture. You going to help Miss Milford decorate her tree? Well, you can never tell, Leroy. We may string a few cranberries, drape the icicles around... What if Dr. Olson is there? Leroy, don't you worry about Dr. Olson. I'm not. But you said he was a pain in the neck. You said he was always hanging around her house when you wanted to be there. Well, you weren't supposed to have heard that, but it used to be that way. How is it now? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Suffice it to say, my boy, that your old uncle has a situation very well under control. But the fact is, I haven't seen Dr. Clarence Q. Olson in over three weeks. Gee, then you're winning, aren't you, Hunk? You bet I'm winning. Golly. You gotta be smart to be the doctor, too. You said it. Gee, and you're my uncle. Yeah. Well, here's Piggy's house. See you later, Uncle. Yeah, see you later, Leroy. Yes, sir, there's a mighty fine boy. Well, Throckmorton. Hello, Catherine. Come on in. My, it's snowing out, isn't it? Well, just a little. Look at you. You have a big snowflake right on the end of your nose. I do? Well, cold nose, warm heart. <laughs> <laughs> Let me take your coat. Uh, thank you. Well, beautiful tree, Catherine. And Christmas presents. All those for me? No, but you can help me finish wrapping them. Fine. A lot of presents. Well, Mother and I have a lot of relatives. Oh, sure. Then I couldn't forget those darling children down at the hospital. Oh? There are five of them that Santa Claus may not remember. Well, good for you, Catherine. Be ashamed if any little kitties were forgotten on Christmas. Mm. Here, put your finger on this ribbon while I tie the knot, huh? Hmm? <sighs> kind of cold. I'll try it. <laughs> yeah. Well, interesting paper you're using, Catherine. Mistletoe design. <laughs> Just put the package over there. Uh, no, I think I'll balance it right on top of your head. Throckmorton. And you know what that means, mistletoe. <laughs> Aren't you rushing this season a little? Well, I don't know. Only nine more shopping days left. You better put the package down there by the tree. Oh, shucks. Say, here's a fancy-looking package. I think that's Mother's gift to me. Uh, your mother couldn't wait, eh? Let me shake this. But I guess what's in it. Now, Throckmorton. Oop. Card fell off. Oh, dear. Well, isn't that just like your mother? To the dearest girl in the world, Clarence. Clarence! Throckmorton, give me the package. That one isn't from mother. Oh, I guess not. Dr. Clarence Olson, the intern, eh? I thought he'd given up. Clarence has been on night duty at the hospital. Mm -hmm. I can hardly wait to open his present. He always thinks of the most original things. Well, 
I haven't brought you my present yet. I'm liable to think of something pretty original, too. Oh? Give me a hint. Hint? Well? At the hospital, Clarence keeps teasing me about what's in this package. Oh, he does, does he? Uh, all he'll tell me is that it starts with a K for Catherine. Isn't that clever? Well, I guess there's a fine line between being clever and being corny. <laughs> now, Throckmorton, he's very ingenious. In fact, the uh, mistletoe paper was his idea. It was? Well, might have been his idea, but I was the first one who thought of holding it over your head. <laughs> I think. Bertie. Hmm. Wish I knew what that fellow Olson is giving Catherine for Christmas. I'll have to go on one better. Good morning, Anki. Hi, Anki. Good morning, children. Uh, uh, uh. <laughs> Gruel. Marjorie, what Christmas presents can you think of that starts with the letter K? K? Well, who's the present for, Anki? A little kid we know spelled K-I-D? Hardly, Roy. I was thinking about something for a young lady. Oh, you mean me. <laughs> well, we'll get around to you children later. There's a present under Miss Milford's tree, and it starts with a K. I'm trying to think what it is. Forgot what you gave her, honk. I haven't done my shopping yet, Leroy. This was from somebody else. Oh-ho. What do you mean, oh-ho? Oh, it's Miss Milford's present from Dr. Olson, isn't it? Well, yes. Well, if it's from the doc, why do you want to know what it is, honk? Well, I don't want to give her the same present, Leroy. I'd like to give her something a little better. Well, if it starts with a K, maybe it's a Kodak, Anki. Kodak? No, it's a pretty big package. I know, Anki. It's a kangaroo. Okay. <laughs> I doubt that, Leroy. Dr. Olson isn't that ingenious. Canary? I don't think it's alive, Leroy. As I recall, canary doesn't start with a K. Like some hot coffee, Mr. Gillsleeve? Thank you, Bertie. It could be knickknacks. No, sir, this is coffee. What? Bertie, we're trying to think of some gift a woman would like, starting with K. Oh? Any ideas, Bertie? I'm getting them from everybody. And some pretty bad ones. Well, if it's for a woman, maybe it's something for the kitchen. Kitchen. Well, yeah, I can't think of anything for the kitchen that starts with a K. Except Kraft cheese. <laughs> I can't think of anything. Maybe it's kisses, Mr. Gillsleeve. Kisses? The candy type, you know. Candy kisses wrapped in paper. <laughs> oh, my goodness, a kitchen hillbilly. That uh, Dr. Olson. Wish I'd thought of giving her something starting with K for Catherine. I could give her something starting with G for Gildersleeve. Nah, that's not the same idea. Let's see. K, K, carrot. He could be giving her a diamond. He wouldn't dare. <laughs> Kettle drums. <laughs> kilts. Uh, he wouldn't give her those. She'd look cute in kilts, though. Well, good morning, Gildy. Well, the Honorable Judge Hooker. Good morning, Horace. You were walking along with a faraway look in your eye. Were you dreaming of a white Christmas? <laughs> <laughs> oh, 
goat. I'm trying to get an idea about a Christmas present for Miss Milford, Horace. Oh? Have you tried looking in the stores? No, thanks for the idea. Not at all. But if you're going to do any shopping, Gildy, you better get busy or there won't be anything left. Don't you worry, Judge. You'll get your necktie. Yeah, I'm afraid so. But I didn't mean that, Gildy. It just seems that everybody I know has been Christmas shopping. I bumped into Floyd, Chief Gates, your current amour, Miss Milford. Oh? And yesterday, I even ran into your arch-rival, Dr. Olson. Olson? Where did you run into him, Horace? Why, in Hogan Brothers, but why are you so excited, Gilly? Ah, now we're getting someplace. What department was he in? Well, as I recall, he was in the gift shoppy. Oh? Do you remember who waited on Olson? What did the sales girl look like? Sales girl? Well, uh, dark, wavy hair, parted in the middle, black mustache... Black... Black mustache? Oh, no, 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 I'm thinking of the floor walker. Uh, well, think a little harder, Judge. What did the sales girl look like? I've got to talk to her. Well, as I recall, she was rather tall. Oh? Or was she short? That's it, a short brunette. Good. Or was she a blonde? Oh, my goodness. <laughs> Judge, come along with me and point her out. Gladly, Gildy. She was pretty, as I recall... Or was she? Yes. <laughs> Look at all those shoppers. Stay right behind me, Judge. Don't you worry about me, Gildy. If I start losing ground, I'll grab you by the coattails. Oh. Pardon me, miss. Madam. Are you Excuse me, coming through. Yeah, here's the gift shop. Now, where's the sales girl, Horace? There she is at the end of the counter. Oh? Are you being held? Uh, not yet, miss. I'd like a little information. Yes, sir? Uh, Dr. Clarence Olson, a friend of mine, was in your department yesterday and bought something. As I recall, he was carrying a little black bag, and he placed it on your counter here. I seem to remember that. Yes, he's a tall young man with blonde, wavy hair. Oh, you mean the tall, handsome, blonde man. Well, I wouldn't go so far as to say he's handsome. That sounds like Dr. Olson to me. Please, Horace. Miss, do you remember what he bought? Well, he looked at several things. He did. We're on the right track, Judge. Now I'll find out what he got for Catherine. I showed him a diamond necklace like this. The hymen necklace? My. But he didn't buy it. Good. Then he looked at these watches. <laughs> Platinum. But he didn't buy one. <laughs> Young lady, what did he buy? Well, he just bought something for $5. Only $5, cheapskate. I'll buy Catherine something more expensive than that. My, nothing like the true Christmas spirit. All right, Judge. Young lady, what did Dr. Olson buy? He went down to the next counter and bought a pair of suspenders. Suspenders? That's easy, Gildy. Now you can buy Catherine a nice pipe. <laughs> Is there something I can show you? <laughs> you can show me the way out. The Great Gildersleeve will be right back. Well, Christmas comes but once a year. So who cares if holiday preparations keep you mothers so busy you can't fuss with the old three squares? You can do very well without fussing. For instance, take lunch. You can serve jiffy, quick, and easy pan-fried sandwiches of Kraft's famous cheese food, Velveeta. They're delicious, with Velveeta's grand, rich, yet mild cheddar cheese flavor. And they're nourishing, too, because Velveeta is rich in important food values from milk. It helps supply protein for strong muscles, minerals that help build sound teeth and bones, vitamins needed for normal growth. 
Yes, Velveeta helps supply many important food values your family should have. To make these wholesome sandwiches, all you do is melt some butter or parquet margarine in a skillet. Then fry the sandwiches till the bread is golden brown on both sides and the Velveeta melting. Easy, aren't they? And so good, you'll serve wholesome pan-fried Velveeta sandwiches often, whether you're in a hurry or not. So keep your refrigerator stocked with a two-pound loaf of Velveeta. Just be sure you get genuine Velveeta when you buy. It's the cheese food of top quality, made only by Kraft. Well, there's a fancy Christmas package under the tree at Catherine Milford's house from Gildersleeve's rival, Dr. Olson. What's in it? That's what the water commissioner would like to know. Well, whatever it is, I'll get her something better. He may have the edge on me at the hospital, but by George, I'll beat him under the Christmas tree. I'll go all out. Hello, PV. Hello, Mr. Gildersleeve. <laughs> what can I do for you this afternoon? Well, I'm looking for a Christmas present, PV, for a lady. Something extra special. A gift for Miss Milford, is it? You bet. Mm -hmm. That sneaky Dr. Olson bought her something that looks pretty nice. And I'm going to go him one better. I'm going to get her something so beautiful and so clever, it'll make him look silly. My, my. <laughs> <laughs> Any suggestions, Peavy? Well, uh, what does she like? Has she dropped any hints? No. Lately, all she talks about is those little kids she takes care of at the hospital. Must be something clever and original I could get for her, Peavy. Well, how about a year's subscription to the Reader's Digest? <laughs> year's subscription? Or, or how about a nice set of scales? Women like to weigh themselves, you know. Peavy, she can weigh herself at the hospital. Does she uh, like sweet meats? Sweetmeats? We have some very attractive boxes of candied prunes. Uh. Quite helpful, too. No, Peavy. How about some musical bath salts? No. A ballpoint pen? No. Mr. Gildersleeve, you're rather hard to please. Oh. <laughs> Peavy, I've got to get something different, something original. Now, you've had plenty of experience at this Christmas thing. Mm, that's true. You've been buying Christmas presents for Mrs. Peavy for 20 years. Yes, I have. Well, certainly after all that time, a man should know what it takes to please a woman. Well, no, I wouldn't say that. <laughs> oh, my goodness. I can see you're going to be of no help at all, Peavy. I'm going back downtown. That's a good idea. Happy shopping, Mr. Gildersleeve. Happy shopping to you. Oh, brother, what a mob in this store. Why does everybody wait till the last minute to buy their Christmas presents? Watch it, madam. <laughs> Wonder if Catherine would like an alligator bag. No, I don't think she likes alligators. I don't either. I'll have to look around some more. Excuse me. Pardon me. Ow! That's my foot, lady. Going up, going up, please. Oh, where's everybody rushing to? Huh? The elevator. Hey, I don't want to get on this elevator. Oh, watch it. Well, I'm in whether I want to be or not. Second floor, phonographs, radios, toys. Out on two, please. Uh, thank you. Might get her a radio. No, everybody has a radio. Have to be more original than that. I'm going to beat that slick intern. 
wish I had chairs around here. My feet hurt. Might just as well sit on this little red wagon a minute. Ooh. Well, cute toys up here. Is that you, Mr. Gilsleeve? Well, hello, Bertie. What are you doing up here in toys? Oh, I got a lot of little nieces and nephews I have to buy for. Oh, yes. They don't have much, and when I show up on Christmas with my arms full of toys, they think I'm some pumpkin. Yeah, I bet they do, Bertie. Say, what if I showed up with an armful of toys for those kiddies at the hospital? The ones Mrs. Milford is, Miss Milford is so fond of. Them children would think you were some pumpkins, too, Mr. Gillsleeve. Yeah, I guess they would. What's more, I'd be some pumpkins with Miss Milford, too. Yes, sir. You bet. There's nothing I could do that would impress her more. By George, this is a great idea we had, Bertie. Clerk, clerk, I, I want to buy some toys. Whoop, what was that? That's the wagon you just bought. <laughs> the toy department, too. Clerk! <laughs> what an idea. Yeah. Dr. Olson can never top this. I'll walk in on Catherine, pass out these toys to her little kitties, and tell her this is my Christmas present to her. What can she say except that I'm the greatest guy in the world? The kids will get a kick out of it, too. <laughs> In turn, turn in your suit. Hey, this must be the ward. I see some children there. Well, hello, little children. Hello. Hello. Hey, where is uh, Miss Milford? She'll be back. She went to get orange juice. Oh, well, I'll just put these packages down here and wait. Are you Santa Claus? Me? Nah, he's not Santa Claus. He hasn't got a white beard. But he's nice and fat. <laughs> yeah. yeah, but he's not Santa Claus. Santa Claus never comes around here. Uh, now, wait a minute, young fellow. I'm a sort of a Santa Claus. I brought all these presents to you children. For us? Honest and truly? Oh, boy! You see, Stuffy, he is Santa Claus. <laughs> oh, boy, I gotta come over and see them. Stuffy's lucky he's in a wheelchair. Oh, uh, well, I'll bring the presents around to your little beds when Miss Milford comes. I want to open mine. Yeah, now, wait a minute, Stuffy. You shouldn't open presents until Christmas. I don't want to open mine until Christmas. I just want to dream about what's in them. Uh, that's the idea, little girl. While we're waiting for Miss Milford, will you read us a Christmas story? A uh, Christmas story? That's what she was doing. Yeah, they're in that book. Oh, well, I like stories. I used to read them to my niece and nephew. Let's see what we've got here. Why the Chimes Rang by Raymond McDonald Alden. I like that one. I don't know it. Well, I've been in the hospital longer than you have. Uh, yes. Well, let's read it, huh? We don't have much time. Once upon a time, in a faraway country, there was a wonderful church. It stood on a high hill in the midst of a great city. And every Sunday, as well as on sacred days like Christmas, thousands of people climbed the hill to its great archways, looking like lines of ants, all moving in the same direction. While ants in the hospital. Stop interrupting, Stuffy. Yeah, must listen, Stuffy. <laughs> now, all the people knew that at the top of the tower was a chime of Christmas bells. They had hung there ever since the church had been built, and they were the most beautiful bells in the world. Some described them as sounding like angels far up in the sky, others as sounding like strange winds singing through the trees. But for many years, they had never been heard. Why didn't the bells ring? Well, we're coming to that, I guess. 
It was said that people had been growing less careful of their gifts for the Christ child, that no offering was brought which was fine enough to deserve the music of the chimes. Hmm. Every Christmas Eve, people still crowded to the altar, each one trying to bring some gift better than any other. Why did they do that? Well, for personal reasons, I guess. They were trying to make a big impression. Oh. Mm-hmm. Now, where were we? Oh, yes. Now, a number of miles from the city, in a little country village, lived a boy named Pedro and his little brother. They had heard of the service in the church on Christmas Eve and planned to go see the beautiful celebration. Nobody can guess, little brother, Pedro would say, all the fine things there are to see and hear. And I've even heard it said that the Christ child sometimes comes down to bless the service. What if we should see him? The day before Christmas... Pedro and little brother were able to slip away quietly, and although the walking was hard in the frosty air, before nightfall they had trudged so far, hand in hand, that they saw the lights of the big city just ahead of them. They were about to enter one of the great gates in the wall that surrounded it, and they saw something dark on the snow near their path, and they stepped aside to look at it. What was it? Well, let's see. There by the path was a poor woman who had fallen in the snow, too sick and tired to get in where she might have found shelter. Oh. Pedro knelt down beside her. You will have to go on alone, little brother, he said. Alone, cried little brother. But you will not see the Christmas festival. No, said Pedro. He could not keep back a bit of a choking sound in his throat. See this poor woman? Her face looks like the Madonna in the chapel window. And she'll freeze to death if nobody cares for her. But I can't bear to leave you and go on alone, said little brother. Both of us need not miss the service, said Pedro. And it had better be I than you. You can easily find your way to the church. And you must see and hear everything twice, little brother. Once for you and once for me. And oh, if you get a chance, little brother, to slip up to the altar without getting in anybody's way, take this little silver piece of mine and lay it down for my offering when no one is looking. In this way, he hurried little brother off to the city and winked hard to keep back the tears as he heard the crunching footsteps sounding farther and farther away in the twilight. The great church was wonderful that night. When the organ played and the thousands of people sang, the walls shook with the sound, and little Pedro, way outside the city wall, felt the earth tremble around him. At the close of the service came the procession for the offerings to be laid on the altar. Rich men and great men marched proudly up to lay down their gifts to the Christ child. Some brought wonderful jewels. Some brought baskets of gold. But the chimes did not ring. And last of all came the king of the country, hoping with all the rest to win for himself the chime of the Christmas bells. There went a great murmur through the church, as the people saw the king take from his head the royal crown, all set with precious stones, and lay it gleaming on the altar as his offering to the holy child. Surely, everyone said, we shall hear the bells now, for nothing like this has ever happened before. But still, only the cold old wind was heard in the tower, and the people shook their heads, and some of them said as they had said before, that they never really believed the story of the chimes and doubted if they ever rang at all. Suddenly, everyone looked at the old minister who was standing by the altar, holding up his hand for silence. 
Not a sound could be heard from anyone in the church. But as all the people strained their ears to listen, there came softly but distinctly, swinging through the air, the sound of the chimes in the tower. So far away and yet so clear the music seemed, so much sweeter were the notes than anything that had been heard before, rising and falling away up there in the sky, that the people in the church sat for a moment as still as though something held each of them by the shoulders. And they all stood up together and stared straight at the altar to see what great gift had awakened the long, silent bells. But all that the nearest of them saw was the childish figure of little brother, who had crept softly down the aisle when no one was looking and had laid Pedro's little piece of silver on the altar. That's a wonderful story. Why did the bells ring when the little brother laid the piece of silver on the altar? Well, then... Why didn't they ring when the great men brought jewels and things? Well, like the book said, each one was trying to bring some gift better than any other. Those men were trying to outdo each other. While little Pedro gave out of the goodness of his heart. He didn't have an ulterior motive. What's an ulterior motive? Well, I guess that's what I had when I came here. That's Miss Milford coming. It is? Yeah. Well, I uh, guess I'll be going. Aren't you going to wait and see our nurse? Where are you going, mister? Well, I think I'll sneak out this side door. But how do you know who brought the presents? Well, that's not important anymore. Merry Christmas. Thanks. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Tiptoe down the back steps. o'clock. I didn't know the hospital had chimes. Great Gildersleeve is played by Harold Perry. The show was written by Paul West, John Elliott, and Andy White, with music by Jack Meekin. In addition to our regular cast, you heard Ann Whitfield and Stuffy Singer as the children in the hospital. The Great Gildersleeve is brought to you each week by the Kraft Foods Company, makers of the famous cheese food Velveeta, and the complete line of Kraft quality food products. Here's a suggestion for Christmas time or any time. Begin now to save for a happier future with the regular purchase of United States savings bonds. Automatic purchase plans that make saving painless are available to you either where you work or where you bank. Ask about them. $3 invested now will get you 4 when the bonds mature. Or you can cash your bonds any time after 60 days and get back every cent you've put in plus accrued interest. Be happy tomorrow because you were wise today. Buy United States savings bonds regularly. Good night, folks. See you next week.
Break the Bank, radio's biggest money-paying show, is next on NBC. Let's move up to December 21, 1949. Portions of the following program are transcribed. The Kraft Foods Company, makers of Kraft Quality Foods, presents Harold Perry as the Great Gildersleeve. The Great Gildersleeve is brought to you by the Kraft Foods Company, makers of the famous cheese food Velveeta. Everybody goes for Velveeta's rich yet mild cheddar cheese flavor in snacks, in sandwiches, and in hot dishes. And Velveeta, you know, helps supply important food values from milk. It's as digestible as milk itself. That's why smart homemakers keep Velveeta on hand regularly to spread or slice and to melt for grand economical hot dishes. Tomorrow, get Velveeta. The cheese food of craft quality. Well, the Christmas spirit has really taken over the great Gildersleeve's house. Tinsel and bells, gifts being tucked away in every nook and corner. What excitement. The water commissioner can scarcely sleep at night. <sighs> Lumpy mattress. I shouldn't have hidden Leroy's bicycle under my bed. <laughs> and all the wonderful mysteries of the days before Christmas. Hidden parcels, closet doors all locked. Leroy, what you doing peeking through that keyhole? I wasn't peeking. Looking through a keyhole into a dark closet. You can't see nothing in there. Yeah, I know it. Come on, let's get a flashlight. <laughs> now it's coming on Christmas Eve. Is that all the presents you're putting under the tree? Well, that's all for now, Leroy. I may have a couple of other little items to bring down after you're snug in your bed. Yeah? While visions of sugar plums dance through your head. That's something I could never figure out. What's a sugar plum? Well, uh, Make uh, room coming through. Well, Marjorie with her little presents. Little presents is right. Holy smoke, she can carry them all in one hand. What a cheapskate. Now, Leroy. It's all right, Unky. It doesn't bother me a bit. What dinky little packages. I bet everybody gets a doily. <laughs> the size of the package, my boy, doesn't mean a thing. It's the thought that counts. Yeah, I know. This is going to be the best Christmas we ever had, Unky. Well, it could be. I have a big surprise for you. For me? I know. It's a motorcycle. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's not a motorcycle. It's a wonderful surprise for a wonderful uncle. Oh, Marjorie, don't hug me so tight. Oop. I heard something crack. Were they ribs? No, Leroy. Three cigars. <laughs> oh, well, I'll give them to Judge Hooker. <laughs> I'll tell them they're a new brand of cigar with hinges in the middle. <laughs> For smoking in phone booths. <laughs> oh, I can hardly wait, Uncle. Now, Marjorie, I hope you didn't buy me something expensive. You'll never guess what it is. Hmm? Oh, that must be Bronco. Yeah, that's Bronco, all right. He always rings the bell like a bear was chasing him. <laughs> Hello, Bronco. 
Bronco, come in. Hiya, Marge, honey. Well, come in, Bronco. Merry Christmas, Mr. Gildersleeve. Leroy? Merry Christmas to you, Bronco. Yeah, Merry Christmas, honey. Leroy? <laughs> 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 Little brothers. You can leave your coat on, Bronco. We're all going over to the high school auditorium tonight. Oh? They're having the Craft Choral Club from Chicago. Well, that's very nice, Mr. Gildersleeve. Yeah, a lot of fine voices. Beautiful music. What are they going to sing, Unc? That opera stuff? No, Leroy. Christmas carols. Bronco, I told Unky I have a surprise for him tonight. <laughs> yeah, quite a surprise. Oh? Is Bronco in on this, too? How about a little tip, Bronco? Oh, I couldn't do that, Mr. Gildersleeve. I don't know what it is, but Bertie does. Bertie? Hmm. Well, uh, <clears throat> you children clean up the front room. I think I'll drift out to the kitchen and have a little talk with Bertie. You won't get anything out of Bertie, Uncle. Well, I'm not trying to, Marjorie. I just want to see Bertie about arrangements for this evening. <laughs> of course, it wouldn't hurt to pick up a small clue. I love Christmas. Bertie! Yes, Mr. Gildersleeve? Uh, just thought I'd come out and see if you're all set for tonight. Yes, sir. Bertie's all set. Fine. Uh, Marjorie has a little surprise for me this evening. Yes, sir. Of course, I know what it is. <laughs> yes, sir. I'm sure you know what it is, too, Bertie. Yes, sir. <laughs> <laughs> that is, you may know what it is, but... Just so you'll be sure, Bertie, you write what you think it is on this piece of paper, and I'll write what I know it is, then we'll exchange pieces of paper. All right, Mr. Gillsleeve, here's my grocery pencil. There. Now we exchange, Bertie. Yes, sir. Thank you. Let's see what Bertie wrote. You ain't trapping me. <laughs> Let's face it, Bertie. Marjorie's gone out and bought me a very nice present of some kind, and I'm, I'm a little worried about it. Oh? See, I don't have anything very spectacular for Marjorie. Just the usual presents for a girl. Well, don't worry about that, Mr. Gilsey. Miss Marjorie ain't worried about what she's going to get this year. She's a grown-up lady now. I know, Bertie, but I've got to give her something a little bit special. After all, she has this big surprise for me. Pretty late to go buying anything now, Mr. Gilsey. Yeah, that's right. By George, Bertie, I just had a great idea. You remember a long time ago I said when Marjorie grew up, I was going to give her my mother's diamond ring? Yes, sir. I was going to surprise her with it on her next birthday. But what's wrong with Christmas? There's nothing wrong with it. Absolutely nothing. I'll do it, Bertie. I've got the ring up in my dresser drawer. I'll go down to Mr. Peavy's and get a fancy box for it. Oh, that sure will please her. You bet. Now, Bertie, don't you say a word about this to Marjorie? No, sir. I ain't tell nobody nothing. Don't you even give her a little hint? I ain't tell nobody nothing. Fine. What time is dinner? I ain't tell nobody. Oh, I mean six o'clock. <laughs> Good old Bertie. Well, hello, Peavy. Oh, hello, Mr. Gildersleeve. <laughs> What can I do for you this Christmas Eve? Peavy, I need a box. Something very fancy. Well, what would you like to have in it? <laughs> well, nothing, Peavy. I just want a little empty box. It's for a Christmas present. Empty box, eh? You're playing a little practical joke on somebody, are you? 
No, Peavy, it's for a ring. I want a box for a ring. Oh, well, why didn't you say so? Do you have one? I don't think so. (laughs) Peavy, you must have something around here. There's a lot of little boxes there in the showcase. Those are all full of cold tablets. Oh, for goodness. How about an aspirin box? You could take the aspirin out. Peavy, this is Marjorie's Christmas present. I'm giving her my mother's diamond ring. Most wonderful surprise of her life. Now, come on, Peavy. Well, I think I can find you something. Ah, boy. Look at this ring. Isn't that a beauty? Oh, my, my. I've just been waiting for Marjorie to grow up so I could give it to her. Makes me feel a little old, Mr. Gildersleeve. Huh? <laughs> Seems like only yesterday that Marjorie was in here dangling her pigtails in a chocolate sundae. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, those pigtails are up in the attic now. I kept them both. Very sweet girl, Marjorie. Yes, she is, Peavy. I was thinking this afternoon while Marjorie and Leroy and I were decorating the tree how much those children mean to me. How I've cared for them and watched them grow. Yeah, they're everything I have, Peavy. Mm, it's nice to feel that way. Makes a nice Christmas, too. All the stockings hung up by the chimney. You bet. Too bad you didn't have any children, Peavy. Only two stockings on your mantle? No, we have three. Mrs. Peavy hangs up both of hers. <laughs> I've got to run, Peavy. I'm picking up Miss Milford, and we're all going over to the auditorium to hear the craft chorus. Why don't you folks drop over to the house later, Peavy? Christmas Eve, you know. Thank you, Mr. Gildersleeve, and happy Christmas, Carol. Yeah, see you later, Peavy. Well, the auditorium's almost full. Let's sit down here, Catherine. Thank you, Throckmorton. Oh, you look lovely this evening. Thank you. I feel like a debutante with this corsage you sent me. Well, what the heck? It's Christmas. I gave the florist three seventy-five and told him to shoot the works. <laughs> Oop, who's that? Look up here on the roof! Leroy! Oh, no. Where is he? Way up there in the balcony, eating peanuts. Leroy, Leroy watch those shells! Oh, look, there's Bronco and Marjorie. Yeah, you can't miss Bronco. What a moose. Aren't they cute together? Yeah. You care to put your coat over the back of the seat? Get it off your shoulders? Thank you. Nice evening gown. <laughs> Love concerts. Shh, Throckmorton, the curtain is going up. Uh, Ladies and gentlemen... On this Christmas Eve, it is our pleasure to present the Kraft Choral Club under the direction of Gerhard Schroff. Well, fine-looking group, all in tuxedos.
Catherine, I'm going to give you a little preview of a surprise I have for Marjorie tonight. What do you think of this? Oh, <gasps> what a gorgeous ring. I beg your pardon. Oh. Excuse me, please. The judge late again. Well, Gilday. Good evening, Miss Milford. Good evening, Judge Hooker. Sit down, Judge. You're interrupting something important. I am? Oh, are you presenting your lady fair with a ring? Oh, for... Judge, please. This is Throckmorton's gift to Marjorie. It is? Uh, Horace, why don't you drop over after the concert and watch Marjorie's eyes light up when she sees this, huh? Thank you, Gilda. I'll be happy to. Here, the Peavies are coming over. Shh, they're about to sing again, Throckmorton. Yeah, I'd invite all the craft singers, too, but I'm afraid Bertie might run out of cheese and crackers. <laughs> Throckmorton, hush. Huh? Oh, yeah. This is the best part of Christmas Eve. Very nice, Judge. Wait till we get over to our house. And Marjorie starts opening her presents. Oh, brother, I can hardly wait. Gildersleeve will return in just a minute. Santa Claus season is pretty expensive, isn't it? Well, if the holiday ahead might put your food budget in the red, here's how to economize now so you'll be prepared for the splurge meals. Use up leftovers tomorrow and Friday and Saturday by dressing them up with the wonderful cheese sauce you can make with Kraft smooth-melting cheese food Velveeta. You see, you can pour this Velveeta sauce over leftovers, ham or veal or fish, or just over toast for an economical hot main dish you can make in a jiffy. That sauce will help you economize after Christmas, too, when you serve it with the last bits of the Christmas bird. For that tasty sauce, all you do is melt one-half pound of Velveeta in the top of your double boiler. Then gradually stir in one-quarter cup of milk and season to taste. That's all there is to it for a sauce that'll give your main dish a grand, rich, yet mild cheddar cheese flavor. And fine nourishment, too, because Velveeta is rich in important food values from milk. So for a wide variety of hot main dishes that are really economical, use good-eating Velveeta, the cheese food that's as digestible as milk itself. When you buy, be sure you get genuine Velveeta. It's the cheese food of top quality, made only by Kraft.
Well, the folks have just come home from the Christmas Eve concert, and it's getting close to the big moment the great Gildersleeve has been waiting for. <laughs> Marjorie, you and Catherine come over by the fire. Bronco, why don't you throw another log on? What? Oh, sure, Mr. Gildersleeve. Bronco, that's the footstool. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry, Mr. Gildersleeve. I don't know what I was thinking about. He's excited tonight, Unky. Yeah. <laughs> What's everybody so excited about? It's Christmas Eve, huh? Let's light the tree and open the packages. Well, better light the tree, I guess. Where's that plug? Yeah. Get ready, everybody. Here go the lights. Oh, oh it's perfectly beautiful, Throckmorton. Yeah, that's quite a tree. Isn't it wonderful? Oh, it's very effective with all those lights bubbling. Well, I'm sort of a bubbly fellow, too, around Christmas time. <laughs> Why shouldn't I be? Got a lot of good friends and a wonderful little family. You certainly have, Throckmorton. Yes, sir. I've raised two fine children, and they mean all the world to me. We go through this every year, Miss Milford. <laughs> well, I mean it. I appreciate you more and more every year. We appreciate you, too, Unc. Now let's open the presents. Yeah, <laughs> yeah let's open the presents. My surprise to you comes last, Unky. Uh, well, I have a surprise for you, too, Marjorie, but... Wait a minute. We can't open presents till the others get here. What others? You mean you're expecting somebody else, Mr. Gildersleeve? Well, I invited Judge Hooker and the Peavies. But, Uncle Mort, we thought it was just to be the family and Miss Milford. Yeah, that's what we thought, Mr. Gildersleeve. Well, Marjorie, I sort of wanted the judge and the Peavies to see what I have for you. Yeah, what's wrong with having them over at Christmas? They always bring presents. Uh. <laughs> Leroy is being very practical about this. Thing. Yeah, Christmas to Leroy is like bank night. Yeah. <laughs> Bronco, let's bring some more chairs into the dining room, huh? Say, where's Bronco? Did he fall in the fireplace? I think he went in your den, Unky. Oh? Mr. Gildersleeve... Yes, Bronco? May I see you for a minute? Certainly. Excuse me, everybody. Take the halls with flowers and holly. Do you mind if we close the door, Mr. Gildersleeve? Close the door? Is it that secret? Well, it's about the surprise Marjorie was telling you about. Well, don't tell me now, Bronco. I want to wait for it. I think I should tell you, Mr. Gildersleeve, before the others come. Huh? What difference does that make? Well, we planned this for just you and the family... Marjorie and I were going to stand up by the tree hand in hand and give you your surprise. Cute, cute. I, uh, I was going to make the speech. You? A speech? Yes, sir. I was going to tell you that Marjorie and I want to be married. Married? <laughs> well, sure, maybe sometime, Bronco. Not sometime, Mr. Gildersleeve. This is definite. I'm asking you if I may marry Marjorie. Marry Marjorie? <laughs> Little Marjorie? So, this is her surprise, eh? I love her, Mr. Gildersleeve. Yes. And Marjorie loves me. That's pretty important. Yeah, I guess it is. We've been thinking about it for a long time. I guess it's sort of sudden to you, but... Well... What do you think, Mr. Gildersleeve? We aren't going to do anything hasty, sir. We weren't even planning it until spring. Late spring. <laughs> June, maybe? <laughs> That's long enough to wait. Don't you think so, Mr. Gildersleeve? 
I... I've never thought about it at all. Well, you'll probably get used to the idea of not having Marge around by then. Wouldn't you? <laughs> I've been saving my money. In fact, Marge and I aren't giving each other much for Christmas. We're looking ahead. I want to be able to take good care of Marjorie, Mr. Gildersleeve. Of course, we wouldn't do anything without your permission. So, what do you think, Mr. Gildersleeve? Bronco, I think the other guests have arrived by now. Do you tell them I'll be out in a minute? Of course, Mr. Gildersleeve. I'll tell them. Little Marjorie. Can't believe it. Just can't imagine this house without her. Couldn't bear to go into her little room again. Where I used to tuck her in. Read her bedtime stories. Care for her when she had measles chicken pox. I've worked and sacrificed to raise Marjorie. Now and she means the most to me. Somebody wants to take her away. That boy has his nerve. Who does he think he is? Who is it? It's Catherine Throckmorton. Oh. Judge Hooker and the Peavies are outside. Don't you think you should join the party? Well, I have some thinking to do. Catherine? Yes? Bronco and Marjorie want to get married. Oh, I suspected something like that. Isn't it wonderful? What's so wonderful about it? Why, Throckmorton. I should think you'd be very proud and happy. Happy? How would you feel if your Christmas surprise meant losing your daughter? Well, I suppose I'm thinking more about Marjorie's happiness and Bronco's. How radiant she looks tonight and what it will mean to them. Try to remember, Throckmorton, that a mother wants more than anything else to have her daughter marry a nice young man. Somebody who will be kind and good to her. Bronco will. My Marjorie. What are you going to do? I don't know. Give me a little time, Catherine. Anybody want more cocoa and popcorn balls? Oh, no, thank you, Bertie. Gosh, where's Unc? It's time to open the presents. Now, Leroy, let's not be impatient. Unc has a present under the tree for you, Judge. He has? Where is Gildy? <laughs> of course, when he comes out, he ought to stand, start handing out to the little kids first. Well, they say age before beauty, Leroy. Perhaps Peavy should receive his present first. He's the oldest man here. Well, no, I wouldn't say that. <laughs> Marjorie, while we're waiting for the Lord of the Manor, perhaps you'll play the piano for us. Oh, Judge, I couldn't. I'm too excited tonight. Well, here comes Mr. Gildersleeve. I'm sorry if I kept everybody waiting. What have you been doing, Gildy? Hibernating in your den? <laughs> Come on, Uncle. I want to see what Santa Claus brought. Yes, it is time to pass out the presents, isn't it? Leroy, we'll start with you. Here you are, my boy. Oh, boy, thanks, Unc. And, Bertie, here's a package with your name on it. Thank you, Mr. Gillespie. Old Santa Claus never forgets Bertie. <laughs> now we 
come to Marjorie. I said I had a special surprise for her tonight. Oh, that's my A number of years ago, my mother gave me her engagement ring. I guess she secretly hoped that someday I'd give it to a girl and start a little family. Well, I have a little family. A fine niece and nephew. But I haven't been very lucky on the other score. (laughs) (laughs) And so this Christmas, I thought I'd present my mother's ring to Marjorie. Oh, Anki. Splendid idea. But something has happened tonight which forces me to change my plans. Instead of giving the ring to Marjorie, I want to give it to Bronco to give to Marjorie. Me, Mr. Gildersleeve? You want me to give it to her? Here, Bronco. Read the card. To Marjorie, for always, from Bronco. Bronco is joining our little family. Oh, Anki, thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Gildersleeve, very much. We hadn't planned to have an engagement ring. I I hope you'll be very happy, both of you. Let me shake your hand, my boy. Gosh, Unc, is Marjorie leaving us? Well, let's not talk about that now, huh, my boy? Uh, Bertie, isn't it time for your little Christmas song? Yes, sir, if Miss Marjorie feels like playing the piano. I never felt more like it in my life. Fine. This is a little lullaby Bertie always sang to the children since Marjorie was this high. Mr. Harold Perry steps out of his role as the great Gildersleeve to wish you all a very Merry Christmas. You know, we don't often get a chance to tell you listeners how much your enthusiasm and support mean to the group of people who bring you this program every week. But we mean very sincerely that if hearing the program gives you one half the pleasure that bringing it to you gives to us, we're more than satisfied. We're glad that we have this opportunity to come into your homes and wish you all the joys and blessings of the holiday season. So it's a Merry Christmas to all of you from all of us. Walter Tetley. Leroy. Mary Lee Robb. Marjorie. Lillian Randolph. Birdie. Earl Ross. Judge Hooker. Kathy Lewis. Katie Milford. Dick Crenna. Bronco. And Dick Legrand. Mr. Peavy. Yeah. <laughs> and a Merry Christmas, too, from all the people behind the scenes. From Jack Meekin and the orchestra, writers Paul West, John Elliott, and Andy White. From Ray Ferguson and Monty Fraser, our engineer and sound effects artist. And from our producer-director, Fran Van Hardisfeld. 
And of course, these holiday greetings come to you too from our sponsors, the Kraft Foods Company, their representative on this program announcer, Jay Stewart, the Kraft Choral Club, and the entire family of Kraft employees. Merry Christmas, everybody, and good night. Ladies, Pab Step, the delicious cheddar cheese food, is offering you a knife of a hundred uses, the Super Slicer. It pairs faster, slices cleaner, removes olives and cherries from bottles in a jiffy. It's the handiest kitchen knife in years. And you can get this knife for only 25 cents and the top label of a round package of delicious Pabstet cheese food or the red arrow from the top of a two-pound Pabstet loaf. Send your Pabstet label and your quarter tonight to Phoenix Pabstet, Box 5239, Chicago, 77, Illinois. Please print your return address. Portions of tonight's broadcast were transcribed. Break the Bank, radio's biggest money-paying show, is next on NBC. Let's move to 1944. Kraft presents The Great Gildersleeve. <laughs> yeah. The Kraft Cheese Company, makers of parquet margarine and a complete line of famous quality food products, presents Harold Perry as The Great Gildersleeve. Kraft brings you The Great Gildersleeve every week at this time. Written by John Wheaton and Sam Moore. Music by Claude Sweeten. Gildersleeve in just a moment. During the holidays, you'll be greeting many old-time friends and acquaintances, and a real way to show your hospitality is to serve the foods they like. So spread good cheer among your guests by serving fresh bread rolls and muffins with delicious parquet margarine. This nutritious spread for America's bread, a favorite in millions of American homes, has a fresh, delicate flavor that's sure to satisfy. Parquet margarine is a spread you'll want to serve your family every day in the year, because parquet is so high in food energy value, so dependable for vitamin A. In fact, Kraft guarantees every pound of parquet to contain 9,000 units of vitamin A. So tomorrow, buy this nourishing spread that's so delicious and satisfying. Ask for parquet, P-A-R-K-A-Y, parquet margarine. Kraft makes this nutritious spread for America's bread. Yes, Kraft makes parquet. find the great Gildersleeve at this merry Christmas tide? Well, not so merry. While all the rest of Summerfield is giddy with good feeling and holiday cheer, over the Gildersleeve household hangs a pall. The threat of a lawsuit. A suit for breach of promise by a lady he once admired. Prosecuted by a friend he trusted. All the infamy of woman, the ingratitude of man. 
So heavily do they weigh upon him that he's been unable to give a single thought to Christmas, which is only two days off. This seems to be a matter of some concern to Leroy. What do you think he's planning to do, Marge? Just skip Christmas this year? He wouldn't do that. I don't know. Eat your breakfast, Leroy. Gosh, two days before Christmas and we haven't even got a tree. You don't think he's been buying a lot of stuff on the sly and hiding it someplace? Nah, I know all the hiding places. Who wants Christmas anyway? It won't be any fun. Gosh, you're as bad as he is, Miss Gloomy Puss. Well, if you ever worried about anybody besides yourself, you'd be worried too. What good is it going to do to worry? She's going to sue him, she's going to sue him. Leroy, here comes your uncle. Now let's all see if we can't cheer him up. Yes, let's. Don't do anything to annoy him, Leroy. Me annoy him? Are you kidding? Uh, yep, as I was saying, it's only two days till Christmas now, Marge. Only two days till Christmas. Oh, hi, Unc. Uh, good morning, everybody. Good morning, Unky darling. Mr. Gilsey, what would you like for breakfast? I'll fit you anything you like. We're in a position to offer fried eggs, boiled eggs, scrambled eggs, poached eggs, shared eggs. What would you like? It better be eggs. <laughs> I also got oatmeal. Well, it doesn't matter, Bertie, anything. A few prunes, maybe. Prunes? <laughs> Is it like that? Yeah, prunes and a little tea and toast. Things aren't sitting too well with me these days, Bertie. Poor Mr. Gilsey. Unky, I'm sorry. Oh, don't mind me. Hee hee. <laughs> well, only two days till Christmas, hey, Unky? Leroy. Oh, I'm only trying to cheer him up. Two days? Is that all it is? Yep, two days. What do you know? I got all my Christmas shopping done, too. Great me. I got a present for everybody. I wonder what I'll be getting this year. <laughs> Christmas. Hee <laughs> hee. Well, I suppose it's time I was doing something about it. Only somehow I can't seem to get up any enthusiasm. Oh, don't let's bother about Christmas this year, Uncle Mort. We know how you feel. Well, you're a very sweet girl, my dear, and very understanding. Me too. I'm not asking for anything special this year. Anything at all will be okay. Any little thing. Anything. <laughs> Front door. I'll go. It might be a package. You sit down. It might not. I'm coming. Oh, good morning, Judge. Is Mr. Gildersleeve in, Bertie? Well, just a minute. I'll ask him. Judge Hooker, how can he have the nerve to come over here? Now, my dear. Mr. Gilsleeve, it's the judge out there. Shall I tell him you ain't in? No, Bertie, I might as well face it. Well, children, I guess this is it. At least when this is over, we'll know the worst. Show the judge into my study, Bertie. Yes, sir. Uh, no, wait a minute. Yes? First, I think you children better run upstairs out of the way. I won't say anything, Uncle. Well, I will. If I see that Judge Hooker, I'll tell him exactly what I think of him. I'll handle the judge, my dear. I think you better run along upstairs. You too, Leroy. This may be a little unpleasant. Now, Judge. Gildy, I suppose you think it a little strange of me coming over here like this. Nothing you could do would surprise me anymore, Judge. Nothing. And before you do it, I want to say this. You got me into all this. I know. You came over here and asked me to help you propose to that girl. I know. You gave me a lot of talk about how a friend should help a friend. How John Alden helped Miles Standish with Priscilla. I know, I know. Well, let me ask you this. Did Priscilla turn around and sue John Alden? Did she? And did Standish help her? Well, I, I'm afraid the sad fact is, Gilda, that our little friend Dolores is no Priscilla. And you're no Miles Standish. <laughs> well, let her sue. Go ahead. Draw up the papers. Hire the witnesses. Bribe the jury. I don't care. She can't hang anything on me. Can she? Gildy, believe me, this whole episode has been most distasteful to me. Sure, sure. This hurts you more than it does me. Baloney, you'd sue your own grandmother. 
Oh, Gildy, I'm your friend, remember? All these years? Why, we... we played golf together. Never mind the crocodile tears. I mean it. Why, I cut off my right arm. You're left-handed. Well, I... I... I cut off both arms before I'd accept a case against my old friend. Oh, sure. Huh? Say that again, Judge. You didn't take the case? You turned her down? Well, Gildy, she has no case. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, what do you know? No case. Woman's got no case. (laughs) This isn't a trick, Judge. This isn't a booby trap. Oh, Gildy, how can you say that? You sure she's got no case? You think I'd have turned it down if she had? (laughs) (laughs) Horace, you're a friend. I want to take this opportunity of wishing you a very Merry Christmas. And a Merry Christmas to you, Throckmorton. By George, it is a Merry Christmas. Uh, Merry Christmas, Horace. Merry Christmas, Gilda. Merry Christmas, everybody. Happy New Year. Look, what's happened? Merry Christmas, my boy. Well, you woke up just in time. What do you mean? Christmas is only two days off, and the stores are closed on Sunday. Oh, my goodness, and I haven't done a thing about it. Uncle Morton, where are you going? Leroy, me lad. Bring me me reindeer. Yeah. Will there be anything else, sir? Uh, uh, <laughs> Isn't that cute? A regular little train. Will there be anything else? Well, let me see. We got the magic set, the wood-burning set, and the bomb sight, and the... <laughs> Careful with that pop gun, Sonny. <laughs> <laughs> that will be all there? Uh, let me think. Have uh, uh, I got enough for Marjorie? That uh, Marjorie's my niece. Say, I'd like to show you something I bought her. I'd like to get your opinion. Do you mind? Oh, not at all. There's a lady calling you. Huh? Who? Throckmorton, of all people. Leela. <laughs> well, I was just showing this young lady here what I bought for Marjorie. This, uh, sweater. Oh, it's adorable. Pink. It's got buttons, too. <laughs> you can wear them up the front or up the back, the girl said. Oh, she'll love it. Well, I'll be right back with your parcel, sir. Huh? Oh, thank you. Oh, it's so nice to see you again, Throckmorton. I could swear you've been hiding. Well, I'm... <laughs> I'm back in circulation again, Leela. <laughs> and by George, Leela, I've never seen you looking better. Oh, thank you. Yes, sir. Christmas has put color in your cheeks or something and sparkle in your eyes. Oh, I love Christmas, don't you? Uh, it's the greatest day in the year, mm. bar none. Say, how about coming over to my house tomorrow night, Christmas Eve? We'll celebrate. Just the family. You know, popcorn, candied apples and stuff. And I'm getting in a whole ton of mistletoe. Why, Throckmorton, whatever for? Yeah. <laughs> By George, if there's any of it around here, I'd show you what for. Oh, Throckmorton. Here's your parcel, sir. Oh, thanks, miss. Well, got to be going. million things to do. Don't forget tomorrow night, Leela. Come early. We'll have more fun and more down mistletoe. <laughs> <laughs> Floyd, greetings of the season. Well, if it ain't Father Christmas. Hi, Commissioner. Come right in. I can't stay, Floyd. I'm in the midst of my Christmas shopping. Yeah, well, I ain't even got around to mine. Keep putting it off, you know what I mean? Had nobody to take care of but the wife, anyway. Well, Christmas comes once a year, Floyd. I think we ought to make Oh, not that I'm complaining, you understand. She's okay, Ruthie is. Just got her little ways, that's all. Now, you take like last year. I was sore about something. I forget what. So I wasn't going to get her nothing. Well, sir, the day before Christmas, didn't a Salvation Army band have to set up in front of the shop here and play hymns all afternoon? 
On the way home that night, I laid out 11 bucks for an electric iron. Of course, the next day, I could have kicked myself. That's the trouble with me. I'm soft-hearted. Floyd, the only trouble with you is you're human. I wouldn't be ashamed of it. By the way, if you're not doing anything tomorrow night, I'd like to have you drop over to my house. You know, say Merry Christmas, just the family. Oh, thanks, Commissioner. I'd like to do that. Glad to be on my way now. Don't forget your wife, Floyd. Get her something nice. You know, women are sentimental about Christmas. Well, I guess I'm kind of sentimental myself. Like this morning now. She got up before I did and cooked me a nice big breakfast of kippered herring. You know, on the way down to the shop, I had half a notion to stop in somewhere and buy her a bottle of perfume. I might do it yet. Oh, I think she'd like that, Floyd. Yeah, I might even buy her one of them sets, you know, where they got the perfume and the bath powder and the... Oh, there I go again. Just a sucker for kippers. Well, so long, Commissioner. Yeah, so long, Floyd. Hey, Peavy, what are you doing Christmas Eve? Christmas Eve? Well, Mrs. Peavy and I usually just spend Christmas Eve together, you know. <laughs> sort of a family custom. Well, I don't want to upset any family customs, Peavy. I just thought if you weren't doing anything... Well, we don't do anything, really. We just sit there and listen to the radio. <laughs> We like to hear the Christmas programs, and we usually go through our Christmas cards together. You know, all the friends who have been kind enough to remember it. People we haven't seen for a long time, a lot of them. And Mrs. Peavy has a little drink she makes. Mulled cider. <laughs> very good. That's about all we do. Not very exciting, but it's kind of nice. And long about 10 o'clock, we just hang up our stockings and go to bed. <laughs> Peavy, uh, you still hang up your stockings? Oh, yeah. Yeah, but who fills them? Mr. Gildersleeve, who do you think fills them? Peavy, <laughs> you're not going to tell me you hear jingle bells in the night. Well, no, I wouldn't say that, no. <laughs> no, I wait until after Mrs. Peavy's asleep, and then I sneak downstairs and fill her stocking myself. And she gets up before I'm awake in the morning and fills mine. <laughs> just a little game we play. <laughs> Bye, George Peavy. I'll bet you have more fun than anybody. Well, now, I... I don't know. Maybe I do. <laughs> well, try to come around to the house if you can, Peavy. We'll be glad to see you. Oh, Mr. Gillespie. Anybody think you was the American Express? Oh, oh, oh. There they go. My goodness, all them packages. Well, I got them home anyway. <laughs> I'll pick them up. Mr. Gillespie, it sure looks like Christmas around here all of a sudden. Quiet, Bertie. I don't want the children to hear. That's why I came around to the kitchen door. Yes, sir. I won't tell. Well, I think I got everything. If I didn't, it's just too bad. Sure looks like you got plenty. Oh, wait a minute. What? Oh, my goodness. Why didn't I remember? Of all things, why did I have to forget that? Forget what? Oh, that spoils everything. What good is Christmas without a turkey? No turkey, Mr. Gillespie. No turkey. I clean forgot it, Bertie. That was the last thing I said to myself. Get a turkey. Darn it. Well, I tell you, Mr. Gillespie, tell you what you do. There's nothing we can do, Bertie. The stores are closed. It's too late. You go look in the icebox. What? In the icebox? Uh-huh. Bertie, how long has he been laying there? <laughs> oh, for a couple of days. I had him sent over on approval. How's that for a turkey, Mr. Gillespie? Bertie, that's not a turkey. That's a B-29. <laughs> and when you get that Bombay stuffed with chestnut dressing, oh, brother, Merry Christmas. <laughs> Gildersleeve 
Steve will be with us again in just a few seconds. If Christmas shopping has made a big dent in your family budget, you're probably thinking right now of ways to economize. Well, that economy can start right with your food budget. And here's a timely suggestion. Buy economical parquet margarine, the delicious spread for bread that's made by Kraft. Parquet is a top-notch energy food, one of the very best. Parquet is fortified by Kraft with vitamin A, 9,000 units to every pound. And parquet has a flavor that's truly delicious, a flavor that's fresh, delicate, satisfying. So for an economical spread that's both delicious and highly nourishing, buy and serve parquet. P-A-R-K-A-Y, parquet margarine made by Kraft. Remember to ask for the Kraft quality spread, and that's parquet. Now let's get back to the great Gildersleeve. It's Christmas Eve at last in Summerfield, and it couldn't be a prettier one. There's a beautiful clean blanket of snow covering the streets and sidewalks and yards and roofs, and a few flakes still drifting down in the twilight. And in Gildersleeve's house, the family has just finished decorating the Christmas tree, and they've hung their stockings by the fireplace. A neat black sock for Gildersleeve, a pale rayon stocking for Marjorie, and a huge laundry bag of a golf stocking that Leroy had borrowed for the occasion. Well, well, well. Looks Christmassy, doesn't it? Oh, it's sweet. The tree always smells so good, too. Yeah. Could I eat one of the candy canes, Uncle? Uh, you know the rule, my boy. No nibbling on candy canes till after breakfast Christmas morning. Start eating them now, we'll have no decorations left. Well, I could just take a little bite off one at the back. Who'd notice? <laughs> Let's stick to our rules, shall we? Okay. We got gingerbread for supper anyway. Great. Bye, George. You can't beat Christmas. The old Christmas spirit. You can feel it in the air. Oh, I felt it all afternoon. It does something to people. Certainly does. <laughs> Happy little family. Stockings all hung by the chimney with care. Hi, George. Let's read that. What do you say? Oh, that's kid stuff. That's right. And I feel like a kid on Christmas Eve. Is the book still over here with the fairy tale? That's where it belongs. Now, Lee. <laughs> Be nice. If Uncle Mort wants to read it, let's not spoil it for him. Oh, for corn's sake, he reads it every year. Never mind. Shut up and be nice. Okay, I can be just as nice as you. Oh, here it is. Same old book, same old pictures. Fellow wearing a nightcap. That shows how old this book is. Now, sit down, Leroy. Marjorie? Just about got time to read this before supper. All settled? I'm fine. Leroy? Shoot the bunk for me, Unc. <laughs> all right, my boy. It was the night before Christmas when all through the house not a creature was stirring, not even a mouse. The stock... Oh, excuse me, Unc. I just thought of something. What is it, my boy? If you couldn't get those skates at Hogan's, they're a pair down at Hoyt's. They're open until 10 o'clock. Oh, well, I'll make a note of it. Yeah, let's see. The stockings were hung by the chimney with care in hopes that St. Nicholas soon would be there. The children were nestled all snug in their beds. That's you and Marjorie, Leroy. While visions of sugar plums danced in their heads. Sugar plums. <laughs> Mama in her kerchief and I in my cap. That's the nightcap. Had just settled our brains for a long winter's nap. When out on the lawn there arose such a clatter. What is it, Bertie? I forgot to ask you. Are you expecting anyone in this evening? Oh, no, Bertie. Just the family. Yes, sir. I just thought I'd ask. Uh, now I think of it, I asked Mrs. Ransom to drop over after supper. Yes, sir. Oh, and I may have said something to Judge Hooker and, uh, <laughs> Miss Goodwin. Well, I'm glad I brung it up. I guess it'll be the usual Christmas Eve. <laughs> well, Christmas comes but once a year, Bertie. Now, let's see. Where were we? Oh, yes. Out on the lawn there arose such a clatter. I sprang from my bed to see what was the matter. The moon on the breast of the new-fallen snow gave the luster of midday to objects below. 
When what to my wondering eyes should appear but a miniature sleigh and eight tiny reindeer. <laughs> By George, that's real poetry. <laughs> With a little old driver so lively and quick, I knew in a moment it must be St. Nick. That's Santa Claus, children. Of course. Who doesn't know that? Go ahead, Uncle. More rapid than eagles, his coursers they came, and he whistled and shouted and called them by name. Now Dasher, now Dancer, now Prancer and Vixen, on Comet, on Cupid, on Dunder and Blitzen. To the top of the... Oh, the phone. I'll get it. Hello? Oh, just a minute. It's Piggy, Leroy. Tell him I can't talk to him now. I'm busy. Go ahead, Uncle. He'll call you back, Piggy. All right, Uncle Morris. Oh, uh, let's see. To the top of the porch, to the top of the wall. Now dash away, dash away, dash away off. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> and then in a twinkling, I heard on the roof the prancing and pawing of each little hoof. Uh-oh, uh, there's a page been lost here. Oh, that's okay. As I drew in my head and was turning around, down the chimney St. Nicholas came with a bomb. Well... A bundle of toys he had flung on his back, and he looked like a peddler just opening his pack. His eyes, how they twinkled, his dimples, how merry. His cheeks were like roses, his nose like a cherry. His droll little mouth was drawn up like a bow, and, and the, the beard, beard on his chin was as white as the snow. The stump of his pipe, he uh, had... Uh, 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 that's the next page. <laughs> <laughs> the stump of his pipe he held tight in his teeth, and the smoke had encircled his head like a wreath. He had a droll face and a little round belly that shook when he laughed like a bowl full of jelly. Just like you, Unc. <laughs> uh, you think so? Look, Marge, see it shake? <laughs> no more than anybody else's. Yeah, thank you, my dear. <laughs> he spoke not a word, but went straight to his work and filled all the stockings, then turned with a jerk. And laying his finger aside of his nose and giving a nod up the chimney, he rose. <laughs> Be there in a second, Bertie. He sprang to his sleigh, to his team, gave a whistle, and, and away they all flew like the down of a thistle. thistle. But, but I heard him explain, and he rode out of sight. Happy, happy Christmas, Christmas to all, and to all a good, a good night. night. Well, by George, that's a great book. None better. Oh, I love it. What do you say, Leroy? Well, great for kids. <laughs> <laughs> well, come on, kids. Let's eat. Let's all go, my boy. United we stand. Come on, Margie. I'm coming. How late can we stay up, Unc? As long as you're good, Leroy. Or till nine o'clock, whichever is sooner. <laughs> Merry Christmas, everybody. Merry, Merry Christmas. Christmas. Come on in, Leela. Well, I'd better leave my galoshes here on the porch. They're pretty snowy. You want me to hold those packages, Mrs. Lansom? Well, now, that's very thoughtful of you, Leroy. But no peeking now, you hear? One of those is for you. For me? Mm -hmm. Gee, thanks. No shaking it either, Leroy. Okay. Come on in, Leela. Thank you. Now, this package is for you, Marjorie. Oh, thank you. And this one's yours, Leroy. That's what I figured. And the other one is for you, Throckmorton. Why, Leela, for me? Thank you. I uh, got something for you, too, Leela. Come here. Well, I can take it later. Put these packages under the tree, children. I want to show Mrs. Ransom something. Okay. Come on, Marge. Let's put them in pile. Be careful with mine. Uh, right here, Leela. Where? Look up. Up? Oh, <laughs> you devil. You put it in a different place from last year. Yeah. 
Leela, I've got it everywhere. There isn't a spot in the whole house where you'll be safe. Rockmorton, you are simply terrible. Uh, hey, what's going on here? Come over here and I'll show you, Leroy, dear. Oh, no, you don't. You've got five o'clock shadow. Yeah. <laughs> Do I get the cider and donuts, Uncle? I think it's a little early. You just finished stuffing in that last piece of gingerbread not five minutes ago. Okay. Here, take Mrs. Ransom's coat and hang it up. Why, you'll soon have a cry. The more the merrier. I'll answer it, Uncle Morris. No, no, all of us. United we stand. Come on, Leela. Come on, Leroy. Here I come. When I open the door, we'll all say Merry Christmas all together. Ready? Merry Christmas! My goodness gracious. <laughs> come on in, Peavy. Oh, thank you, Mr. Gallifrey, but I can't stay. Oh, good evening, Mr. Ransom. Oh, do come in for a minute, Mr. Peavy. You ought to see the tree anyway. Yeah, just for a moment. A little Christmas remembrance for your family, Mr. Gildersleeve. Box of chocolates, my best grade. Well, that's fine, Peavy, but you shouldn't have told us. No surprise. Yeah, pretty hard to fool anybody with chocolates. <laughs> Let's open them. What do you say, Uncle? As long as we know what they are. Leroy, you amaze me. You must be 90% stomach. <laughs> Look who's talking. <laughs> Leroy. Well, how about the chocolates? They're not getting any better in the box, are they, Mr. Peavy? I think I'll stay out of this, Leroy, if you don't mind. <laughs> Mr. Peavy's pretty cagey. Go ahead and open them, Leroy, but only one piece for you, understand? Okay, I'll... Hey, Marsh, you can each have one. Look here a minute, Mr. Peavy, won't you? What is it, the tree? Something even nicer. Look. Well, oh, I... Merry <laughs> Christmas. Gee, yes, it's your Happy New Year. <laughs> Leela, you ought to be ashamed of yourself brazenly kissing a married man. Well, no, I wouldn't say that. <laughs> I'm quite able to defend myself, Mr. Gildersleeve. That's the spirit, Peavy. I noticed he offered very little resistance. <laughs> well, I... It, my gracious, I don't know what to say. <laughs> Here's somebody else, Uncle. Come on, Leroy. Marge, we united, we stand. Peavy, just like we did for you. Now, all together when I open the door... Merry, Merry Christmas! Christmas. We're doing that to everybody, Eve. Come on in. Well, this is wonderful. Hello, Mrs. Ransom, Mr. Peavy. It's awfully nice to see you, Miss Goodwin. Compliments of the season, Miss Goodwin. Thank you. Hello, Leroy, Marjorie. Hi. Let me hang up your coat. Thank you. Now, into the parlor, everybody, and we'll have some fun. Oh, really, Mr. Gildersleeve. I've got to be running I know, Peavy, but you can at least see the tree. Go on, look at it. Uh, come here a minute, Eve. What is it? I haven't... Oh, Doc Morton, I might have known. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, she sees everything. <laughs> Come on, Doc Morton, let's join the others. I've got little presents for the children, but I thought I could bring them over tomorrow. Anytime. It's pretty nice having vacation for a change, isn't it, school one? Are you enjoying it too, Leroy? Are you kidding? <laughs> Must be kind of nice to be a school teacher, though, sometimes. Just like having a lot of children. It is nice. You know, I wish Mrs. Peavy could have come over with me. This is the kind of Christmas we miss, Mr. Gildersleeve. Why don't you go get her, Peavy? Uh, oh, no, I don't think so. Maybe next year. Oh, we'd love to have her. <laughs> Maybe we... Hey, what's that? Somebody's singing outside. Oh, look, it's the Jolly Boys. Oh, they sure need us, Peavy. Oh, brother. <laughs> Great Merry Christmas, Jolly Boy. Yeah, come on in, fellas. Hey, you're in great voice tonight, Judge. Well, Chief, uh, nice to have a friendly visit from the police. Well, thank you, Mr. Come on in, Floyd, letting in the cold. Come on, come on, come on, boy. Don't stand out there so long. Hey, 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 fellas. Hey, mistletoe. Oh, look, there's some more over there and in the corner. 
Commissioner, you got enough mistletoe here to start a first-class brawl. Yeah. <laughs> now, let me catch you kissing my girl now, Floyd. Okay, which one is yours? Whichever one I catch you kissing. Fine, <laughs> pal. Well, who's going to play the piano for the next carol? I'll play if you want me to. Oh, that'll be fine, lady. Oh, oh Chief, this is Miss Goodwin. Uh, Chief Gates of the Summerfield Police. Here. Pleased to meet How you, do ma'am. You? Uh-huh. There's that title you're talking about, Gildy. It's in the dining room, but let's sing one carol first. Which will it be, folks? How about Joy to the World? Yeah. Joy to the World's a pip, and besides, I can sing out. Oh, I like that one. I'll just sing the end. Good enough. Joy to the World, boys. Uh, you got it there, Eve? Yes, it is. Come on, Marjorie. Uh, you get in on this too, Bertie. By George, just nothing like Christmas. Now, wait a minute. I've got an idea. What is it? Wouldn't it be wonderful if everyone in the world could join in and sing with us? What are you talking about, Commissioner? Well, I know we can't really do it. Not tonight, anyway. But if you look and see how happy we all are here singing together, and you think of all the people who can't get together this Christmas, well, the only excuse for the kind of suffering that's going on all over the world is if we can make sure it never happens again. What I'm trying to say is, let's all sing anyway. You people in Massachusetts, Virginia... Idaho, Iowa, Colorado, California, and everywhere in army camps and on ships at sea. Let's sing the way we used to when we were at home together. Let's hope that before so very long, all the peoples of the world will be able to join in with us. Merry Christmas, and God bless you. This is the National Broadcasting Company. I guess that's it. The Kraft Foods Company presents The Great Gildersleeve. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's The Great Gildersleeve, starring Harold Perry, brought to you by The Kraft Foods Company makers of parquet margarine and a complete line of famous quality food products.
Well, it's almost here. Only one more day. And there isn't a kid in the whole country who looks forward to it with more eagerness than Gildersleeve. Here comes the great man now, plodding up the front walk to his home. He's a little weary and a little out of breath. But his eyes, ah, how they twinkle. His dimples, how merry. And what a load of parcels he's got, right up to his chin. Oh. He can't even get hold of the doorknob. Bertie! Bertie, quick, help me here, Bertie. Mr. Gillsleeve, all them packages. Yeah, and grab some of them, will you, Bertie? Grab the top ones. I got them. Let go with your chin. Uh, oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, where can we hide these, Bertie, where the kids won't find them? Gosh, I don't believe there's a spot in the whole house that Leroy ain't into and out of all day long. Well, how about the cedar chest up in the sewing room? Him and Piggy were playing lifeboat in that yesterday. Lifeboat? Yeah, they wanted me to fly over them and drop them rations. But I told them... <laughs> I just told him I was too busy to do any flying. I got other things to do. Plenty, besides flying. Oh, yeah. Well, now, let me see. Um, oh, I know, in the wood closet. Oh, that's no good, Bertie. Leroy's supposed to check that every day and make sure it's filled. That's one of his regular duties. Mr. Gilsey, I could put a seven-layer cake in that closet, and it would be safe for a year with chocolate frosting. <laughs> any wood gets in there, I put it in there. Yeah, well, you know him better than I do, Bertie. Let's hide him in the wood closet, then. Oh, quick, Mr. Gillsleeve. I think I hear Leroy coming in the back way. Oh, here, you hide him, Bertie. I'll go and hit him off. Yes. Well, well, my boy. Home from school already? I didn't go to school today. We didn't have any school. You know that. Oh, that's so. I'd forgotten. <laughs> well, how does it feel not to have any school then, huh? Pretty fine? Unc, we went through all this at breakfast. What's up? What do you mean, what's up? What are you acting so funny about? Who's acting funny? I'm merely trying to have a little conversation with you, that's all. Gosh, most of the time you won't even listen to me. <laughs> well, let me just go... Uh, 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 uh. I wouldn't go in there just now if I were you, Leroy. Why not? It's Christmas, my boy. Doesn't pay to ask too many questions. Is it something for me? Doesn't pay to ask too many questions. <laughs> Gosh, I know what I hope it is. That's good. There's just one thing I want for Christmas, that's all. Just one thing. I believe I've heard you mention that before. I wouldn't care if I didn't get another single thing if I just got that. Just that one thing. If I just got that, that would make Christmas perfect. I say it's one thing. There are several parts to it, actually. There's the bass drum and the snare drum and the cowbells and the wood block and the cymbal. Yes, yes. <laughs> all right, Mr. Gilfeed, all clear. Uh, we can go in the front of the house now, my boy. Now, don't run. What was Bertie doing, hiding it? She uh, asked me to step out while she was cleaning up in there. Uh-huh. All right, first to come in now, Bertie? Oh, yes, sir. I put them logs away like you told me, Mr. Gillsleeve. <laughs> uh, Leroy, wood closet, you won't get a single thing that's in there, you hear? Oh, I wasn't thinking of going near it. Why would I want to go near the wood closet? Uh, not to put any wood in it, I'll bet. Well, don't, that's all. I was telling Uncle Mort, Bertie, there's only one thing I want for Christmas this year. Leroy, it strikes me that all you ever think about is getting... You should give more thought to giving. That's the spirit of Christmas, my boy. Oh, don't worry. I got that all taken care of. I know just what I'm going to give everybody, except Marge. Well, you better get busy on her present, too, then. It's practically Christmas Eve. What are you waiting for? I'm waiting till I find out how much she spends on my present. <laughs> Confounded, Leroy. That's no way to do. Christmas is not a time for horse trading. It's a time for generosity and uh, being nice. Uh, Marjorie? Hi, Uncle. 
Frankie. Where have you been? At the Bullards. Not that it's any of your business. Who said you could stay to lunch? Nobody. Do I have to ask your permission? Oh, stop it, both of you. Why can't you children be nice to each other on Christmas Eve, at least? Well, I'm being nice. He's the one who so... Ha! Quiet. <laughs> oh, Aki, I meant to ask you, is it all right if I go out for a while this evening with Marshall? Go out? My dear, this is Christmas Eve. Well, I know, but all the gang... Christmas Eve, we always spend at home. You know that. Well, that's just the point. What do you mean? Well, she says Christmas Eve is corny. I didn't say it was corny. I said it was dull. My dear, what kind of talk is this? Well, it's true. <laughs> everybody has to stay at home. What? I said everybody has to stay at home, and everybody has to do the same old thing year after year and pretend to enjoy it. Marjorie, where do you get these ideas? From Marshall. Oh, <laughs> go away. Uncle Mort, you know as well as I do, Christmas is nothing but a commercialized racket. Indeed. Just a way of making money. Is that so? So why go on being mushy and old-fashioned and sentimental about it? You can't expect us to go on believing all that nonsense forever. After all, we're not children. I am. You both are, if you only knew it. And that Marshall, if I get my hands on him. I believe if you want something badly enough and you ask Santa Claus for it, and you keep wishing you had it, and you try to be... Oh, come off of it, Leroy. <laughs> now, Marjorie, about this evening. Oh, well, all we're doing, Uncle Mort, a bunch of us are going over to Francie's and play her new phonograph and dance and things. Marshall's bringing his collection of hot records. Hot records on Christmas Eve? Yeah, and that's not all. Tell them what you call it, Marge. They call it the Anti-Santy Club. Why don't you keep out of this? Well, all I can say, I don't know what's happened to Christmas. But I think the whole thing is the most disgusting idea I ever heard of. Uncle Mort, you don't want Marshall to think I'm a baby who isn't even allowed to go out after dark. It strikes me, young lady, that you care more about what Marshall thinks than what I think. All right, go on, ruin Christmas. You've already ruined it anyway, you two. <laughs> Decorate it yourself. Gosh, do I have to do it all alone? Well, don't if you don't want to. I don't care if we even have a tree. Boy, here's that little angel with the parachute. Remember him? Where do you think he'd look best, Dunk? Up top? I don't care where you put him. Gosh. Can I have a candy cane? Before dinner? Just one, Unc? Have two. Maybe they'll make you sick. <laughs> Is that kid comes near me, I'll... Hey, Ma, it's a boyfriend! Leroy! <laughs> it's Marshall, Unc. Good evening, sir. Hello? I wanted Marge to hear a record I found today. Are you interested in good records, Mr. Gildersleeve? In good ones, yes. Well, this is a real find. An oldie, of course, but a real collector's item. Harry James' record of the mole. The what? The mole. I thought that's what you said. You like to hear it? Uh, not particularly. I understand, young man, that you've plans for this evening, you and Marjorie. Now, I may be old-fashioned, Marshall, but I was brought up to believe that oh, Christmas... Oh, hello, Marshall. Uh, let's go into the study, shall we, so we won't disturb Uncle Moore? No, just a minute. Doorbell. I got it. Oh, hi, Craig. What do you want? My brother here? Hey, Marshall, come on home. Why? To hang up your... Because Pop says to, that's why. What for? To hang up your stockings. 
excuse me, Marge. Listen, Squirt, what's the idea of coming over here Pop like says this? he doesn't care what you told Mom. He says you come home and hang up your stocking or I'll break your neck. Okay, okay. And he says you needn't think you're going out of the house tonight either. Craig, have a candy cane. <laughs> fine boy, fine boy. Well, if you'll excuse me, about tonight, Marge, I, I don't know it. Doesn't look too good. That's perfectly all right, Marshal. Marjorie understands perfectly, don't you, my dear? Yes, indeed. You just run along. <laughs> yeah. Oh, Marjorie, I, I don't want you to be too disappointed. Well, to tell you the truth, Anki, I'm kind of glad. Well, it looks as if we might have a white Christmas after all. The Great Gildersleeve will be back in just a moment. Some friends dropped in the other night to help us trim our Christmas tree. And after we had the tree all decked out, Mrs. Lang served a buffet lunch. And while one of our guests was fixing a sandwich, she said to me... I suppose, John, that this spread is the parquet margarine we've heard you raving about on the Gildersleeve show. That's it, the one and only parquet margarine. Well, here's that chance I've been waiting for. You've been saying that parquet margarine is still unmatched for flavor. Yes, I have. And the best way to prove it is to taste that sandwich you just spread with parquet. All right. One, two, three, tasting. Now, there's real flavor for you. Fresh, sweet, and delicate. Am I right? Yes, you are. It's really delicious. Thank you. And friends, I'm sure you'll have the same gratifying taste experience the very first time you spread parquet margarine on bread, hot toast, and rolls. I'm sure you'll agree with the millions who prefer parquet margarine, that it's still unmatched for flavor. Try it soon and let your own taste decide. That's P-A-R-K-A-Y, parquet margarine, made by the Kraft Foods Company. Now let's get back to the Great Gildersleeve. It's getting on toward 4 o'clock in the afternoon, and here and there in Summerfield, lights have been turned on. Here a Christmas tree, there a neon sign. The Gildersleeve house is not yet lit up, though Gildersleeve is there wrapping parcels and putting artistic bows on them. At the moment, he is alone in the parlor. Darn fancy paper. They never make it big enough. Must think people give each other thimbles for Christmas. Hi, Alf, what you doing? Don't sneak up on me like that, Leroy. Sorry, I didn't mean to scare you. You didn't scare me, you merely surprised me. You were hoping you'd see something, weren't you? No, I just happened to come downstairs quietly. I've been wrapping up March's presents. Oh, finally got one, did you? Yeah, swell, too. It cost a buck and a half. Well, what is it? Perfume. The bottle is shaped like a little house. I hope it smells good. <laughs> you mean you didn't smell it before you bought it? No, nah, but for a buck and a half, how could it be lousy? <laughs> well, I hope you're right, my boy. Well, if your presents are ready, maybe you could help me wrap up some of these things. Okay, sure, Unc. Here, see if you can do a nice job on this box of cigars. 
Who's it for, the old goat? Yeah, no. <laughs> Leroy, these cigars are for my very good friend, Judge Horace Hooker. Okay. Huh? See who that is, my boy. Maybe it's a present. Everywhere I went, they gave me something. Well, that's Christmas, my dear. Gosh, is all that stuff for you, Marge? Oh, not all of it. Some of it's for the whole family. Uh, I know those family presents. Doilies. <laughs> I'll be pessimistic. Put the things under the tree, my dear, and then you can help me and Leroy wrap up this other stuff. <laughs> okay. I hope what Fancy gave me is what I think. What do you think? What I gave her. I was going to get one for myself, too, but then I figured... Maybe. Yes. Christmas is a bad time to buy things for yourself, my dear. Here's the judge's cigars, Unc. Neat, hey? A little shaggy, but I'll pass it. <laughs> Where's that card I made out for him? Oh, here. Just shove this under the string. Okay. Why doesn't Leroy take it over to him? Oh, maybe he can later. The judge doesn't stop by. He generally looks in on Christmas Eve. You know what we ought to do. Francie's mother does it every year. We ought to get an extra package ready in case somebody drops in with a present we don't expect. Well, good idea. Very clever. I don't get it. You well, you remember how embarrassing it was when, when Mrs. Pettibone came by last year? Embarrassing? All she brought was a glass of jelly. That's not the spirit, Leroy. Mrs. Pettibone was thoughtful enough to bring us a Christmas remembrance. It was beautifully wrapped, too. So you couldn't tell it was jelly. What did you say, Leroy? Nothing. Well, just be careful. Remember that Santa Claus can hear you even if I can't. Okay. Do you think he's heard me say anything about a set of drums? He certainly has. <laughs> I venture to say he's sick of hearing about them. Okay. Unky, I know just the thing for the extra present. Those bookends Aunt Hattie sent you last year. The two Cupids leaning against each other? Mm, I don't know, my dear. Well, you never cared for them particularly, but someone else might be crazy about them. Can't imagine who, but go ahead and wrap them up. They'll do for a real emergency. I'll go upstairs and get them. Compliments of the season, Throckmorton. Well, same to you, Horace, same to you. Take off your coat and mittens and make yourself at home. No, I can't. Thank you just the same. I just stopped by to leave some little Christmas remembrances. Oh, you shouldn't have done it, Horace. Leroy, where's that package we had for Judge Hooker? Coming up. Here, take this with you, Horace, and all of our best wishes for a very Merry Christmas. Throckmorton, you shouldn't have done it. Nonsense, old friend. <laughs> Christmas comes but once a year. So it does. And in spite of all the inconvenience and the crowded stores and the whatnot, it's a grand old day. Yeah, nothing like it. It's a day when a man really feels close to his friends and his family. Exactly. Well, I've got to be running along. I hope you children won't be disappointed when you open your stockings tomorrow. I'm sure everything will be lovely, Judge. I hope it's as lovely as you're looking right this minute, my dear. Why, thank you, kind sir. She's growing up to be a pretty child, Throckmorton. Don't tell her, Judge. You'll give her ideas. <laughs> oh, <Uncle. laughs> Got your package, Judge? Yes, thank you. Well, goodbye, all. So long, Judge. Thanks a lot. Oh, yes, thank you, Judge. Don't mention it. Merry Christmas, Horace. Merry Christmas to all, and to all, a good night. Ah, <laughs> uh, good old Horace. Original, too, yeah. <laughs> a little difficult at times, a little set in his ways, maybe, but true blue, just the same. He's sweet. You said it. 
Can we look at the stuff he brought, Unc? I think we'd better wait till tomorrow. Oh, just one little peek. Well, just one, then. And no shaking, mind you. Okay. Best wishes for a happy Christmas to Marjorie from her friend Judge Hooker. My, it's big. Merry Christmas to Leroy and be careful with this. Say, might be a knife. Yes, yes. Well, what does mine say? Yours? He only left two. What? That's right, Uncle Morris. Why, that two-faced old goat. And I gave him 25 cigars, three for 29. No, it's more blessed to give than to receive. Don't tell me I know it, but by George, I'll show him next year. The place is beginning to look Christmassy. Tree never really looks like anything until it's dark outside. Let's turn out all the lights, then it'll look super. No, not now. I'm reading. Christmas cards look nice up on the mantel there. I think we got more cards than usual this year. That's because the war's over. Well, maybe. Say, I think it would be nice to spend a few minutes looking at our cards, make a little good wish for each of the people who sent them. What do you say, children? It'd be more fun to open a present. Yes, Leroy. <laughs> After all, a Christmas card is a real thought. A lot of trouble, too. Well, sure, only... Never mind. Marjorie, what about you? I'm reading. What a family. Well, I think it's a good idea, and I'm going through with it. Let's see. Here's a pretty card. Three wise men walking through the snow to Bethlehem. There wasn't any snow in Bethlehem. There was, too. You can see it right here in the picture. <laughs> Noel, Noel. That's all it says. Very nice. Yeah, who sent this? Oh, Summerfield Hardware Company. <laughs> Hoping to fill your tool needs in 1946. <laughs> By George, that's enough to turn a man's doorbell. I got it. Leroy seems awfully willing today. Hello, Mr. Peavy. Merry Christmas. Oh, Peavy, I completely forgot him. I haven't got a present for him. Ed had his book in. Gee. Mr. Gillespie, I want to take this opportunity <laughs> to wish a very Merry Christmas to you and to your family. Well, thank you, Mr. Peavy. Yes, thanks, Peavy, and the same to you and to Mrs. Peavy. Tell her, Peavy, that I... Peavy! What's the matter? Is that lipstick on your cheek or do my eyes deceive me? Lipstick? Yes. On my cheek? Yes. Well, a darn mistletoe. <laughs> <laughs> I don't blame the mistletoe, Peavy. Mistletoe isn't what leads a man astray. I didn't go astray. I just went to deliver a Christmas present to Mr. Uh, to take a present to this certain party. Who is it, Peavy? I might go take a, this party a little certain present myself. <laughs> Come on now. Who was it? Mr. Gildersleeve, a gentleman never betrays a lady. <laughs> just the same, I better get this stuff off my face before I go home. Mrs. Peavy doesn't take much stock in mistletoe. Here, don't use your handkerchief, Peavy. Leroy, take Mr. Peavy up to the bathroom. Okay. Oh, I can't believe that's necessary. It's the only way. Isn't it, Marjorie? It's the best way, Mr. Peavy. I mean, the way of the transgressor is hard. Well, show me where it is, Leroy. Okay. Gosh, all this fuss about a little lipstick. <laughs> Poor Mr. Peavy. Marjorie, he's left a five-pound box of chocolates here. Look. 
and Mr. Gildersleeve and family from the Peavies. What shall I do? But the bookends. Oh, isn't it lucky we thought of it? I suppose so. No, by George, it's not. I wouldn't give those bookends to a nice fellow like Peavy. I don't know who I would give them to now that I come to think of it. Well, what can you do? We haven't got another thing. Um, yes, we have. I have, that is. I bought myself a little present today. A little silver lighter I couldn't resist. Why, Uncle Moore? All right, I know I shouldn't have done it. Well, I'll give it to Peavy. We'd better hurry and wrap it. It's all wrapped. Right here under the tree. Thought I'd surprise myself Christmas morning. <laughs> what about a card? Oh, yes, a card. Here. Uh, Merry Christmas to good old Peavy from Frockmorton P. Gildersleeve uh, and family. <laughs> What's so funny? I was just reading the card you had on it before. Give me that card. To Throckmorton from his loving brother. <laughs> well, my brother Wendell would probably give me a lighter if he thought of it, if he had any money. Oh, uh, there you are, Peavy, as good as new. No, no, I wouldn't say that. <laughs> Rubbed half my face away getting the darn stuff off. Yeah, he really worked on it. I'm much obliged for the use of your facilities, Mr. Gildersleeve. Well, think nothing of it, Peavy. Come on, sit down and relax for a while. No, I really can't. Mrs. Peavy and I light our tree at 6 o'clock sharp, and I, I got to be there. Oh, well, in that case, of course. Oh, I just came over to bring a couple of small gifts to you and Mrs. Ransom. And, uh, oh, Mrs. Ransom. That's where you ran into the mistletoe. Mr. Gildersleeve, I'm a cad. <laughs> Don't you worry about it, Peavy. If I know her, she was more to blame than you. No, I wouldn't say that. <laughs> I gave her as good as you got. Well. <laughs> I'd really better be going, Mr. Gildersleeve, but I'll just leave this little thought for you and Marjorie and Leroy, if I may. Little thought? It's a five-pound box of chocolates. My best grade. You shouldn't have done it, Peavy. But here, take this along, and I hope you and Mrs. Peavy have a merry, merry Christmas. Yeah, thank you. Good night, Marjorie. Good night, Leroy. Good night, Mr. Peavy. Good night, Mr. Gildersleeve. Good night, Peavy. Go straight home now. Anki, have you got a present for Mrs. Ransom? Yes, I have, my dear. Why do you ask? Because I see her coming up the front wall. I'll go. You will kindly stay right where you are, my boy. You too, my dear. Don't worry. I will handle this. Leela, Merry Christmas. Shame to you, Throckmorton. <laughs> my, my, what are all those packages? Oh, uh, take some of them, will you, please? Yeah, just put them down here for a second. There. Throckmorton, what on earth? Heavy, heavy hangs over your head, Leela. <laughs> Throckmorton, I got a cold. What do I care? Ah! <laughs> 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 Merry Christmas. Oh, my goodness, you absolutely took my breath away. Did I? Well, Happy New Year. 
<laughs> Come on in, Leela. Take off your coat and stay a while. Well, just for a minute. Uh, can you bring my packages like a sweet line? Oh, sure thing. Say, a lot of them, too. Well, I want to explain about that. Uh, oh, good evening, Marjorie. Hello, Leroy. Hi, Mrs. Ransom. What do you know? Good evening, Mrs. Ransom. Well, I, I do hope you children are going to like the presents I brought you, but I never know. Don't worry. Whatever it is, I'll be crazy about it. Well, this package is for you, Leroy. Gee, thanks a million. And this is for Marjorie. The Bontown Specialty Shop, my dream. <laughs> and this is for Bertie. Oh, put it with Bertie's things under the tree, my boy. Got it. And this is for you, Throckmorton. Leela, you shouldn't have done it. <laughs> oh, that's silly. What's this other package, Mrs. Ransom? Oh, that's the strangest thing. Judge Hooker came by with a gift for me, the old darling. The old goat. Oh, but, but wait, Throckmorton. He accidentally left a package for you at the same time. What? Look. To Throckmorton, best wishes for a Merry Christmas from the old goat. Well, I'll be darned. Good old hooker. He was true blue after all. What's in the bag of junk? Looks like a box of cigars. Fifty Corona Coronas. Hmm. Well, I'll make it up to him next year. <laughs> oh, the tree looks simply lovely, Marjorie. Did you decorate it? No, Leroy did it all. Well, Leroy, you should be real proud. I don't think I ever saw a prettier tree. Thanks a lot. Well, our side of the family always had a flair for that sort of thing. Good taste was just born in Leroy. Oh, oh Unky, now that Mrs. Ramson's here, why don't we sing a few Christmas carols? Oh, an excellent suggestion. Will you play for us, Leela? I'd love to. I don't think Christmas is Christmas without singing a few carols. Well, come on, then. Come on, Leroy. You can sing alto if you're careful. Don't worry about me. You're the one that gets off. Yeah. <laughs> now, my boy. Excuse me, Miss Gilsleeve. Is it all right if I go now? Oh, good evening, Bertie. Merry Christmas. Good evening, Miss Ransom. I didn't see you over there. I thought you'd left long ago, Bertie. Sure you can go. All right, then. I guess I will. Bertie's going to sing a solo tonight in church. Now, Leroy. Is that a fact, Bertie? A solo? Well, won't be nobody singing but me. <laughs> Not on this one particular carol. It's just a little Christmas carol, that's all. Well, why don't you sing it here, Bertie, before you leave? Oh, no, I won't do that. Oh, come on, Bertie. Yes, Bertie, do you good. Sing it now, and you'll do it better in church. Mm, I'd be too scared, Mr. Gilsey. Uh, there's nothing to be scared of, Bertie. Is that your music you got there? Yes, it's just a little book of carols. Come on. Leela, you can play this, can't you? Well, I don't believe I know it, but I guess I can play it. All right, Bertie, sing it. The little, little tiny child Bye-bye, lolly, lolly The little tiny child Bye-bye, lolly Lovely. That's beautiful. Thank you. Kind of a funny tune, but I like this. So did I. You'll do fine in church, Bertie. Now, before you go, let's sing something we can all sing, huh? The joy to the world. Oh, yeah. Come on, everybody in on this. Let her go, Leela. Joy to the world, the Lord is come. Let earth receive her King. Let every heart prepare him roll. And heaven and nature sing. And heaven and nature sing. And heaven and nature sing. Yes, sir, Christmas.
was the night before Christmas, and all through the house, not a creature was stirring except the great Gildersleeve. Gildersleeve is still downstairs, fussing with something or other next to the Christmas tree. <laughs> yeah, guess I'll go to bed. Oh. <laughs> well, I may live to regret this, but what do I care? Merry Christmas, everybody. <laughs> Kraft Foods Company and the entire cast of the Great Gildersleeve join in wishing every one of you the merriest Christmas and the happiest holiday season you've ever had. Good night. This is the National Broadcasting Company. Talk to you later tonight, everybody, here on Yesterday USA. Jaws Professional, Saturday 1 1 Alt Tab, 5 Gray Alt Tab, Alt Tab, Alt Tab, File Tab, Button Draw Alt Tab, Alt Tab, Saturday 1 1 3 1 8 4 Alt F 4, Alt Tab, Alt Tab, Alt Tab, Alt Tab, Alt Tab, Menu Bar File, Alt Tab, Alt Tab, Leaving Menus, Alt Tab, Alt-Tab, Menu Bar, File, Alt-Tab, Leaving Menus, Alt-Tab, Alt-Tab, Menu Bar, File, Alt-Tab, Alt-Tab, Leaving Menus, Windows M, Desktop S, Seagate XS, Snowforge S, Soundforge S, Soundforge Pro 11 Point Enter, Soundforge Pro 11.0, Escape, Escape, Enter, 0.86, Enter, Menu, file A, leaving menus, sound one star, save as dialogue, file name, sound one, edit, S-A-T-U-R-D-A-Y-N-I-G-H-T-S-E-C-O-N-P-C-W-I-T-8-P-A-T-R-I-C-I-A-1-1-3-1-8, save as type, save button, enter. JAWS Professional Apple Software Update Dialog List View iTunes 12 Alt F4 Alt Tab
Alt tab, Skype trademark, Alt tab, contact list as Alt tab, Spotify, Spotify, Alt tab, Alt tab, Skype trademark, 30 Walden.news, Alt page down, Alt tab, Spotify, Alt tab, Alt tab, contact, Alt tab, Soundforge Pro 11.